working for Palatoy, what was it like? Oh, it's a great company to work for. When you look back at it in hindsight, you think, well, it was, it was a bit more than a job. <laughs> it was uh, it was providing toys for children to for enjoyment and for play and everything. And now it's providing enjoyment for adults for collecting. Because you're a part of people's history. Yeah, it's part of history. Yeah, I mean, you can see it around here, can't you? Welcome to the Vintage Rebellion podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show, and you are listening to episode 54, Palaboys Do Palatoys. Kinky. I like that. Joining me, as always, is our R5 D4 focus collector and general nut job from Newcastle. It is Richard Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Evening, guys. Well, also joining us, he's fresh from uh, fresh from wounding a deer out in Afghanistan. It is Jez. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, lads. Good evening, everyone. Although, actually, it's good morning because it's now um, 25 to 1 in the morning. But hello, everyone. Lovely to be with you. Do you get deers in Afghanistan? Have you seen much wildlife? What kind of wildlife have you seen? (laughs) Cats and dogs. Oh, it's just like being in Slough, then. It's not (laughs) any any different. Barren wasteland. (laughs) You're all goats. Goats. I've seen a goat and then it got <laughs> slaughtered in front of me. <laughs> I had to eat it. That was interesting. Massive testicles. Brilliant. <laughs> Sounds a bit like. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, someone who uh, likes to slaughter goats himself. It is our Ray Focus Collector. It's Peter Davis. Good evening, Peter. Oh, hello there. Hello. How are you this beautiful Friday evening? Not very beautiful here. It's horrible and wet and damp. Well, boys, we're going to go straight on to latest acquisitions this month because last month, Jez alluded to, oh, I've, I've bought a couple of bits, I'm not going to talk about them yet, but I'm going to wait for them to arrive. And then the plum did something that makes him even more plummy than what he normally is and he's, he's lucky to receive anything. So, Jez, have you added anything and what have you been up to? Stu, mate, it's been it's been awesome. As I said to you before, you know, I've, I've had um, a, a massive love of, of vintage whilst I've been out here trying to transform my room a little bit and um, got those Empire Strikes Back cinema stickers, uh, which I'd seen before, which I saw on the Beyond the Toys Facebook group. And I bought those. and I was really, really pleased. That was the first thing I think it was like, I reckon, who knows, was it the first vintage item ever sent to Afghanistan? So that's when it started. And um, so it got that come in which was brilliant. And then I saw uh, a Petals, an Empire Strikes Back Petals lampshade on eBay. And I was like, oh, that's really, really cool. That would be nice. So I emailed Andy Preston saying, mate, what do you know about these? Are these any good? Is this a sort of, you know, typical price? And Andy, bless him, just said, oh, uh, I've got a spare one of those. I'll send it to you. Don't worry about it. So um, about a week and a half, two weeks later, this wonderful Petals lampshade arrived with some great graphics in it. But not only that, he puts in um, a return of Jello books and various different activity books and badges, all sorts of stuff. Cinema program, Andy Blesson, what, what a kind-hearted gent. That was awesome. Um, I then see 
an attack commander, a Palatoy attack commander, which Mark Daniels had been uh, trying to sell on the Palatoy Facebook group. I saw it, I thought, oh, I've always loved the attack commander. Card art, I think it's stunning. I think it's really great card art. And the attack commander was the first figure which I found in my parents' house when I sort of found my Star Wars figures again. So I've always liked that. But it took a while for uh, it to arrive because I accidentally sent him the um, partially the wrong address. So crucially, the British Forces Post Office, the crucial number to get it to Afghanistan. I sent him the old one when I used to live in Northern Ireland. And uh, so this attack commander went to Northern Ireland, sat there at a uh, base for a while until they realised it was in the wrong place. And then it arrived just a few days ago. So I've now got out here a carded Star Wars figure, a Palatoy attack commander. Mate, I'm over the moon. It's, it's awesome. That's brilliant, Jason. It's great that you've got a, a vintage mental guard out there with you. But mate, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Out of the blue, a package arrives from Martin Woodgate, right? And this is awesome because it's a it's my first ever store display. It's a Star Wars. It's the the bubblegum. So he's given me the um, Star Wars photo uh, movie photo cards with one stick of bubblegum. You know the wax wrappers. So I've got one still sealed, one um, opened wax wrapper, and one the actual box that these things came in. So the the tops Star Wars movie cards and bubblegum. So that's in my room. So I'm absolutely made up. My my room looks brilliant, and and with Andy Preston's uh, with the lampshade. That came with a really, really cool scan light poster, an Empire Strikes Back poster. So now that's up on my wall. So, um, yeah, I'm over the moon. Mate, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Have you got more bits on the way that you're you're keeping back for next month? No. <laughs> that's me done. No, I've got nothing else to come. I just got a bit carried away with that. I'm still making love to my porg every night, mate. So that's all good as well. Brilliant. Pete, have you been uh, treating yourself on the vintage stuff? stuff is that like stuff but with more s's Um, i actually bought a vintage item Stuart. i bought a vintage item not something you hear me say every month because i'm normally buying modern like a goose but yeah i bought a decker soup bowl empire strikes back obviously but it's i've got quite a few bits of decker i'm quite surprised how many bits of decker i have are you now a decker focus collector no no i don't want to get into that kind of thing that's just silly because like uh, there was a seller selling this stuff i missed out on uh, on one of those portion plates you know you got the little things split into portions and that went for silly money but um there was a few others and the soup bowl was it so that's uh, i keep getting it so i probably i probably will get all of it at some stage but i've got like a cup and a small mug i guess and a bowl and now a soup bowl look at me and my decker empire strikes back collecting oh and i did get i can't remember if i mentioned this last month but I'll mention it again just in case I forgot. And it is kind of vintage. It is vintage, but it's not vintage. Uh, a cast of Han Solo's face from the Han Solo Carbonite block. So, you know, a real cast of that, I guess, at some stage. So, well, that's quite a nice little, little thing. I'm going to hang it somewhere. It's pe- it's pe- currently painted black, so I need to paint it silvery kind of silvery colour. But um, I need to spray paint it. But, yeah, it's, it's kind of it's kind of nice. It's Hans- you know, Harrison Ford's face. How cool is that? That they are super. See what I did there? Yeah. Yes. 
amazing so great plenty of vintage coming in i'm sure rich isn't gonna let me down yes Ju. so i have added to my mint on card collection i was just looking at my jedi cards and i thought you know i'd like to get another one of the easy ones out of the way so i picked up a really nice 79 back b-wing pilot and that was around about the 50 quid mark so i probably could have put it on the 50 quid and under thread over on stars for me okay so i was pleased with that really nice I picked up about 40 or so Dixie Cups and another job lot. So I've got loads of Dixie Cups now. Got quite a few doubles. I'm going to take them down to Father's From and try and swap them with a few people down there. Um, so my Empire Strikes Back Dixie Cup collection now totally complete. And I think I'm about five or six cups short of the Star Wars run. For the Jedi run, I've probably got about 10, maybe a bit more. And the Saga run, I've probably got about 15. So, not doing too bad on Dixie Cups, I'm, I'm really pleased with them. And the last item that I bought was I bought, um, for me R5 Focus collection, I bought two Yuppie, the Colombian f- uh, food product premiums. I've got the grey Yuppie figure, and I've got the white one as well. So, that just leaves me to track down the blue, the pink and the green, and the, the next impossible to get black one. And then that'll be me 7 Yuppie R5 collection complete when I track those down. So, yeah, really nice items. I'm pleased to get them. Do you know, like, a couple of months ago, you bought a, an 8D8, which had a Dix sticker on. Is that a bit like why you're going after the Dixie Cups? Because they're a bit like your name as well. Could be. Yeah, didn't think of that, Stu. Do you think you'll eventually capture Carl Dix and put him in the corner of your living room? No, he's too hairy. But great pickups, Rich. Um, you seem to buy Dixie Cups every month. I cannot believe there's some you haven't got. I, I'm I'm not sure if with Dixie Cups whether some of the designs are far easier to get than others. Because I've, I've bought three or four collections and in each of them the same five or six cups have appeared. So I've got quite a few doubles of those. Um, I am led to believe that there's two in the Saga collection where they are just nigh on impossible to get. So... I'm not going to advertise them too much because no one may look. They'll be a PR and eBay. The you little toads will snap them up. Um, so I'm just going to wait until I've got them. Rich, if you've got a, a Slave Lair one on a Dixie Cup, I'll have it off you. I probably have, yeah. I probably have got a Dixie Cup Slave Lair. I know I've got a couple for Rob, Rob Marsh. He wants a couple of the Hoth Dixie Cups. And I think I've got all of them probably. And if you've got just one Empire one, then I'll have it off you as well. And I can that can stick it in my Empire. Just anything with Empire on it, doesn't matter which one it is. Got about 12 just... Empire Dixie Cups. I've definitely got a low... Definitely got a few lowbots. Seem to get a few of them. That'll do me. You've got, you got a low, but that'll do. I'll put it in my Empire Switch Back random collection. So bring them down if I make it. Bring them down. I should send it to Afghanistan and then Jez could tell his American mates that he, he was famous. <laughs> <laughs> right. As for me, boys, I know last month I had this um, where I said that I was a little bit, you know, Star Wars out. I wasn't going to be buying much, but I was going to take it back and I was going to start a loose collection again. Well, I have done that. I've picked up 13, one of which I know we're discussing in NA later. But I picked up some nice, nice ones. I've got all the bounty hunters from Empire. I've got myself a Yoda. I've got myself a Snow Trooper. Uh, a couple of the last 17 so so started attacking that got myself an upgrade on my uh a loose greedo pbb which my one i had was a bit bit dodged so a new one of them but then i've really gone kind of gone down the um deep beyond the toys this month now steve savory first of all many many moons ago i, I talked about a bootleg chewbacca money box and that 
in that set there was also a Darth Vader now Steve sent me that for free bless him so I've got that to go with my Chewbacca got myself a nice little um, six I can never remember what they're called the Maruk ritual no the Japanese little arrays of things Makuru 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 maybe Makuru yeah Yes, I picked up. Macaroons. Uh, I've got. I already had a falcon, but I've now got. I bought three tyres, two like, skateboards, and a land speeder. But I didn't want to keep one of each, so the other th- two of the spare tyres and one of the um, skateboards, I'll move on. But they're quite nice little things. I bought myself quite a few adverts. Been been putting them back into a folder, including two uh, Mira Meccano ones. After we spoke about them on the podcast, got a couple of the Greedo ones of them. I got a lovely complete set of the drawing board greeting cards. A pack of 16. Really, really cheap on eBay. Uh, they're lovely. Uh, after our discussion last month, I went after Presto Magic. I thought, oh, I know, I'll get the set, which has got um, size noodles on the front for my little size noodles side run. So I bought one of them. And then a display box came up on an open auction. So I've managed to get a display box and three more of the packets to go in there. So we'll slowly try to fill that. Uh, I picked up myself up a Electroset scrapbook, which someone's filled in as a child, which I quite enjoyed. Lots of newspaper cut-ins, uh, adverts and that i quite enjoy reading through them but i looked for some more of them but some of them sell for big money big money obviously a big um big marketing for them and the other thing i bought was a popper point pencil and i've never seen a star wars one of these before and it came up by chance but it's a popper point so the pencils you use to put the little bits in of so the pencil itself uh, has got written on it uh, may the force be with you 1983 it's made by butterflies but the best thing about this is the little uh, the little dr- box of um the box of refills which is amazing so it's a little box it's got loads of refill pencils in it but it's this little silver box has got the millennium falcon on it on the front and it's a brilliant little piece now i got this for a bargain two pound 20 on ebay one pound 35 i think delivery awesome little piece so yeah a few, a few bits and pieces but um that's, that's my lot we've all done really well but i i absolutely love that when i saw you post that and the price you paid yeah i can't remember seeing a, a star wars one but i definitely remember those popper pen and pop pencils the coloring ones made that brought back loads of memories that i think was one of the bargains you've had for a while that was awesome awesome purchase um there's <laughs> in addition there's one other thing because it's been so long since we recorded i forgot that this came in the day after we recorded the october show um lee jack so uh carl sent me a stormtrooper jelly purse which is which again awesome um and he, he was selling these and I, I saw them come up and i'm like oh mate is this is the stormtrooper one there and he's like oh no sorry it's already gone but it had already gone because he had posted it to me the cheeky scam so uh, yeah i've got i've got uh, one of those so um yeah loving the vintage collecting yeah i love those jelly purses i've got a um a full run of all the characters but all the characters come in so many different colors to to do all that but you can get them carded which they look lovely we don't see them very often so lads we always have a little a little opening topic nothing nothing major but last couple of months jabbers have introduced a couple more rules and this month they added uh, they added one on november the 6th uh, stefan put uh, an admin announcement up following last week's drama regarding the bleaching of figures i'd like to make all members aware of the new rule for the group we don't support in any way bleaching or using peroxide to temporarily alter the condition of your toys this has been proven harmful to the integrity of the plastic and deceitful to those who buy them as mint condition figures posts will be removed and you may find yourself removed as well hashtag say no to peroxide sadly jez didn't say no to peroxide 
and that made his hair fall out. But I thought it was probably worth returning to, to bleaching because sometimes these new people come and new people listen and things and people don't understand what we mean by bleaching or, or what the damages are. I thought we'd just give this a, a bit of a refresh and why jabbers are going that way. So first of all, Jez, in case people don't know, when they say bleaching of figures, what are they referring to and what is the process? I was going to jump in because you said, oh, yeah, it's been on jabbers. And just for there will be a few of our listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with that. So this is one of the main Facebook groups, Jabba's Court, Jabba's Palace, uh, run by a lot of uh, real good lads. You know, we've got some really good Facebook groups out there. So, yeah, so this is a new rule on one of the Facebook groups, which we, uh, we which we all go on. Um, but to answer your question, mate, what what's this all about? Well, bleaching is for arseholes only. But in the case of Star Wars, uh, what we have here is, yes, yeah, so people want to clean up their figures you know, they'll they'll give them a scrub, they'll use soapy water and stuff like that. But as you know, through plastic degradation, through sunlight or just general time with figures, they do fade. Some of them go very yellow, like smokers yellow. And people have discovered that they can whiten, often whiten imperial troops in particular with a very low percentage of hydrogen peroxide. And this has really, really split the community, mate. There we go. It's it's is using hydrogen peroxide to whiten the imperial troops very unnaturally. Okay. So, Pete, why are Jabba's Court banning these? What harm is it really doing to the hobby? You've kind of got a, some, a set of people who do it who say it's absolutely fine because there's no problem. And then you've got actual people with fat, like our friend Lee Bullock, who actually works in material science and this sort of thing, who says, no, actually, all you're doing is you're chemically changing and damaging the the, the artifact in question. And there's absolutely no reason why it won't suddenly return to being a bit yellowed later on. So it would just it would just repeat the process because there's nothing you can do to stop plastics kind of degrading i mean people have been talking about it for ages because of this you don't know if, if you see a minty kind of ship or whatever or figure you don't know whether it's been bleached and that leads to people buying stuff that that may be damaged or may fall apart later on and it's it is not a clever thing to do and personally i would never buy a bleached item i'm not interested in it i'd rather have a scuffy old yellowed item <laughs> i would a bleached item and because of that java's court is rightly saying look i'm sorry but take your bleach crap somewhere else you know take it away go and join the the freaks who do repros and all that sort of stuff so rich what exactly does bleaching do to the plastic and the joints of the figure and is bleaching a temporary resolution will these figures remain white well yes Joe. so obviously somebody like me can't really answer that kind of question but thankfully master chemist and materials engineer lee bullock put it quite succinctly as it's an oxidation of the polymer from oh radicals so when he did that i thought okay there's a few words in there that i'm not 100 percent certain of i was aware what oxidation is but i had not a clue what he meant by oh radicals so i've done a little bit of further research on that and there are some absolutely amazing articles online I think some guy was giving Lee a bit of a hard time by saying, but Lee, you haven't really tested these with, you know, Stormtrooper figures, and Lee was going, I don't need to. I'm a master chemist. I know exactly what's going on with these things. And he pointed this guy off to some articles, which he clearly didn't, couldn't be bothered to read. But I found it absolutely fascinating. So just to change what Lee said there slightly, so oxidation is simply the loss of electrons in an atom of a compound. And when you add hydrogen peroxide, which is an which radical, to a plastic it causes the material to change and that process is completely irreversible completely you, you can't reverse that back to its original state and as the polymer chains are now shortened then that means that the plastic will become more brittle and can crack 
and obviously especially around the joints area where there's going to be some kind of movement. However, it will achieve a certain level of whiteness. But the original reason for the yellowing in that the plastic is breaking down at a molecular level inside the, inside the figure, it isn't halted and the process will start yet again. So by further adding OH radicals to the polymers, you know, you, you, you're going to weaken it, you're going to remove more of the electrons, and eventually you're going to have figures and, you know, vehicles, and we've seen it with Imperial Shuttle, where it's just going to snap and it's just going to break down and it's just going to be a globby mess. It's certainly going to come back again. It's, it's a massive harm. It's a big problem. On the how can you tell kind of thing, apparently it's got a rougher feel um, to the figure if it's been bleached. So, you know, if, if you take it against your kind of traditional figure that you know you that, you know, hasn't been touched, which is most figures, then if you touch it, apparently there is a slightly you know, rougher feel to it. All. So so that, that I mean, I think I think those sort of things need to be kind of reiterated that there are ways of telling if you're, you know, if you're interested in telling those sort of things. I guess the, the big telltale would be the fact that it looks eerily eerily far too good if you bought something for like a five or a ten and it, it's well it's a bit strange maybe you ask the question and then if it feels a little bit rough then then maybe you start asking the questions and asking the experts but so so jess surely surely if these figures are being kept in my collection then it's all right isn't it well that's the whole thing if it's going to stay in your collection i mean yeah if you're pulling the wool over someone's eyes when you're going on to sell it fine you know we'll, we'll hear all sorts of people say oh yeah you know it's staying in my collection but then Maybe these are the same people who get bored in a year's time and then sell it all. So, um, yeah, it is something which is troubling. It's not as troubling as some of the other practices going on, which we've seen in the community, but it is bad enough. And, uh, and I agree with Jabbers. So, uh, yeah, I don't want it in my collection. Yeah, it's not a practice which we should really encourage, I don't believe. So, Rich, with regards to the main forums and the other main Facebook groups, is this a stance that is shared across all the big groups or uh, is it something that's allowed to be done, discussed, not discussed, sold, not sold? What's the general consensus? As far as I'm aware, every group, all of the main groups have bought into this and said, nope, we're not having we're not having them at all. I'm sure there's some little side groups somewhere, you know, the ones that, you know, don't believe that certain individuals have 57 different aliases um, and, and are all designed to cause trouble and allow the trolls to breed and all that kind of stuff. But as far as I'm aware, there's not a single group encourages the practice, not a single group allows the practice and, and good on them because that's the way it should be. The IC, um, I've got no problem with it. Really? really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is very surprising. I'm really surprised that the IC haven't allowed that to be a rule. Because, you know, they, 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 they were a bit slow with the old repros, weren't they? And then they went full on kind of, right, absolutely no repros. So maybe hopefully they'll have a change of mind if, if pressure comes from certain areas because, uh, you know, and other groups maybe because they, they were a bit slow on the uptake the first time around. So, kids, there we have it, you know. Don't bleach your figures. Jez has just put on, as I said, that bleaching is for arseholes and he would know. Boys, always a pleasure to talk nonsense. Right, so let's move on to the quiz, boys, and... um. We've all been very busy and whatnot, so we thought we'd we'd use our, our fifth member. So Steve Savory is here for the quiz this month. And Steve was very lucky in the last month to meet me because there's a lady called Jill, a listener, who won a very special competition to meet me for a coffee. And Steve brought her along so she could uh, fulfil her dream. So, Steve, over to you for the quiz this month. What have we got in store? Well, hello and welcome to a new quiz called 1010. 
where we find out what a bunch of space brains really know about their chosen specialist subjects and, of course, some general knowledge from the Star Wars films. I'm Steve Savory and I'm your host for the evening and we have four quiz kings with a knowledge that is out of this world and they are waiting eagerly in their chairs to show off their talents in the big black chair. We have Stuart. Stuart, if you'd like to come and take a seat. Woohoo! Stuart, I understand from the card in front of me that my researchers have been have handed to me that you're a Greedo Focus collector from Kent. You have two children, you're thirty nine years old. And you do a spot of cleaning for a living down there in Kent, is that right? Something like that, mate. Something yeah. like that. So, we'll start off with round one, which is your specialist subject. And what have you chosen for your specialist subject this evening? Uh, I've gone with Sigma, because I don't think there's that much you could come up with to ask me. Okay. <laughs> so, each of these rounds consists of ten questions. Uh, your first ten questions on your specialist subject are on Sigma. So, question one. What is the full name attributed to the Sigma Ceramics range? Uh, Sigma Taste Setter. Correct. Where was Sigma made? New York, Garden City. Incorrect. Japan and Korea was the manufacturing base. Ah, I'm where it's based. Okay. Where was the US base for Sigma Ceramics? <laughs> Garden City, New York. Correct. Outside of the Star Wars line, which other major US TV property did Sigma have a long-standing success with through the 1980s? The Muppets. Correct. How many mugs are there in the Sigma Star Wars line? Twelve. And how many figurines are there in the Sigma Star Wars line? Twelve. Both correct. Name the four money banks in the Sigma Star Wars line. Oh, blimey. Jabba. Correct. Darth Vader. Correct. 
Yoda. Correct. Chewbacca. All done. One point. Thank you. Name the four characters that appear as part of the Sigma Star Wars music box range. C-3PO, the Ewoks, Princess Nisa, and another one. Mm-hmm. Good question. The Max Rebo band. That's correct. Is that it? Yeah, that is correct, yes. In which two years are Sigma accredited, according to the Star Wars Collector's Archive, as producing their Star Wars lines? 82 and 83. That is correct. Two characters appear the most on the Sigma Star Wars ceramic line. Can you name them both? Uh, 3PO and Yoda. Both correct. Stu, you can sit back down with your colleagues in the row of chairs, happily knowing you scored nine out of ten. Woo! Right, next up, we have a rather tall gentleman called Richard. Richard, do you want to come and join us in the chair? Yeah, that was impressive, that's Stu. Right, Richard, my researchers have handed me a card, and here it says that you're an R5 D4 collector from Northumberland. You're 42 years old, an assistant head teacher, a member of the Fanthatracks network, and a dog lover as well as a duck lover. So, tonight, what is your specialist subject? Well, I'm not from Northumberland, and I think I was given R5 D4 as my specialist subject. Okay. Uh, again, you have ten questions, and the first one... According to the Kellerman book, what was the Kenner R5-D4 debut card back? I believe it was a 20B. Okay, thank you. And the R5-D4 was first released in Spain by Poc on which card back, with only one example known to exist? Oh, that's a bit of a nasty one. Um, I'm going to say it's probably a 45 back. No, it was a 41 back. Ah, that was the other one I was going to go with. Who was the actor inside R5-D4? Oh, I've got no idea. We'll just go with Kenny Baker. Nah, no, there wasn't an actor inside R5-D4. He was actually a real robot. How many Star Wars films does R5-D4 appear in? Two. That's correct. What type of droid is R5-D4? He's an R5 unit. He's an astromech droid. How many different cardback variations does Kellerman Book record as being known for the R5-D4 on Kenner cardbacks? 17. I was shocked by this. Having gone through the, the Matrix, it shows that there's 11 that are known. Which of the Kenner Vintage toys is taller, the R5-D4 or the Power Droid? R5-D4. Unfortunately, the Power Droid is 4 millimetres taller. Within £25... What is the current average price in the last 12 months on Star Wars Tracker for a mint-on-card R5-D4? Can I have Sigma as me question? Um, <laughs> £160. Shockingly, the average price is £298. So you had a range there of 273 through to 323 Within £25, what's the average price in the past 12 months on Star Wars Tracker for a loose red bar R5-D4? Come down a bit lately. Um, I'm going to see 110. Oh, much closer. Uh, 180 to 230. It came in at 205 as an average. And in the Sigma line, as you wanted a Sigma question, what product featured R5-D4? I've got no idea. No idea at all. No. 
Okay. Got it. You've got it, one. It's, oh, it's, it's a salt and pepper pot. So unfortunately, outside of the, uh, outside of some hints there. So Rich, if you'd like to go back to the row of chairs and join your colleagues, unfortunately, I have to report you got three out of ten for your first round. That will be a tough round. Peter, if you'd like to come up and join us, you are next to Hello there. Black chair. Hello there, Peter. You're very jolly. I'm uh, very jolly because I'm not going to get any questions right. Okay. So, Pete, my researchers have handed me a card, and on there it tells me that you're a 44-year-old collector of everything related to the ladies of Star Wars. It tells me that you live in Leamington Spa. It also says that you're an international computer hacker working for a Russian consortium, a football coach, and a big fan of comic and comic artists. Is that all correct? Some could be true. Some may may not be true, especially the ones related to Russians, because I don't want to be shot. OK, Peter. And what have you chosen as your specialist subject tonight? <laughs> well, well, Matthew, this week I am mainly dressing up as uh, the holiday special. The holiday special. <laughs> It's not a specialist subject, though. Let's just get that right. OK, OK. I, I do hope that you've uh, you've been studying hard and watching watching this time and time again <laughs> for the last the last month in order to, to knuckle down on this one. So we'll get you off with your 10 <laughs> questions. Question number one. What date was the holiday special first aired in the US? November 17th, 1978. Correct. Oh, hey. Which channel broadcast that show to the nation? CBS. Correct. Yes. Which actor was given top billing on all of the advertising ahead of the screening? Oh, my word. I'm going to go for... I was going to Harrison Ford. Ah, it was Mark Hamill. Can you name Chewbacca's wife and son in the show? (laughs) His wife is Marla and his son is Lumpy. Correct. (laughs) What character did B. Arthur play? Uh, Akamina, the bar lady, a woman thing, right. cantina thing. Who directed the show? I don't know. Steve Binder was the director. Which band featured in the show? Uh, Jefferson's Starship. Correct. Two different actors provided the voice for the now infamous appearance of Boba Fett in animated form. Can you name either of them? I really have no idea on that one. Okay, they were called Don Franks and Gabriel Dell. What event are the main protagonists heading home for throughout the show? Life Day. Correct. (laughs) Marla is preparing a celebration meal for Life Day. What cut of meat is she preparing? (laughs) Bantha. Bantha. I need the cut, I'm afraid, Pete. Oh, my word. Uh, uh, Bantha loin, isn't it? Oh, sadly, it was Bantha Rump. Ah, I'm very happy to tell you, because you did exceptionally well during those 10 questions, and you scored 6 out of 10. Well six done, Pete. 6 out of 10, not bad. If you could make your way back to the uh, ch- the row of chairs, we'll call up our final of the four gentlemen to join us up in the big black chair, and I believe his name is Jeremy. Jeremy, could you come up and join us?
Hello. So, uh, Jeremy, I believe you're, according to the card, you're also known as Jez. You're a 43-year-old Luke X-Wing collector from Bristol, now living in Oxfordshire. You're a secret member of the village people, posing as a helicopter pilot in the Royal Air Force. It also says here on the card that you like to go out for a run every now and again. How does that sum you up? Is that okay? That's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty close. Okay. So... You've got ten questions, and your specialist subject this evening is what, Jez? Well, I would very much like my specialist subject to be vintage three-packs. Vintage three-packs. Okay, if you're sitting comfortably, we will begin with your ten questions. Question number one. How many three-packs make up a full run of three-packs? Sixteen. Sixteen is correct. How many of the 16 three-packs released were ESB branded? Nine. Nine, that's correct. In the Star Wars Hero packs, what are the figures that appear across those two packs? Han Solo twice, Ben Kenobi twice, and then you had Leah in Series 1 replaced with Luke X-Wing in Series 2. Perfect answer. Well done. What is arguably wrong with the Android set in the Star Wars three-pack line? Chewbacca. Chewbacca is... That's correct. That's what I've written down. Chewbacca is not an Android. How many different figures in total appear in the entire three-pack line? Oh, oh, I have to do some very quick maths now. 16 plus 48. And there's probably about, let's say, 44. Oh, very close. 42. The coloured backgrounds for the three packs are light and dark blue, red, pink, yellow, light and dark green, and which other colour? Orange, I would say, for the first set. Which two first 12 figures do not appear in any three pack? Right, that was Luke, original, and Jawa. Correct. Three packs, unlike normal carded figures, were not intended to hang, and they shipped with a display tray from Kenner. But how many three packs were displayed within these trays? I don't know, mate. Uh, let's just say eight. Oh, very close. It was nine. It was three wide by three deep. <laughs> what is notably different about the known prototype packaging for the three packs? Um, they had a a hanger tab there was a like circular hanger tab yeah so a circular hanger tab and also you they were called shadow boxes and the the top of the box would come down a little bit lower and you couldn't see the title of the boxes as clearly but i would say the main one would be a little circular hanger tab you're you're absolutely right it's a perfect answer the um the square cut window was was notably different in the head in the imperial forces set which is the only figure that is not a bounty hunter no absolutely correct that is a fantastic score you have gone into the joint lead with nine out of ten well then jez if you'd like to take your seat back with the other guys in the row of four and as is traditional in this type of show we are now going to move over to the person with the lowest score which will be richard joining us back in the black big black chair and Richard will be answering questions on general knowledge from Star Wars films. 
Richard, are you ready? Yep. And you're sitting comfortably? Yep. Hopefully these will be a little bit a uh, little bit easier for you. So we're going to start off and we'll start off with where in Slave 1 does Fett put Han Solo once frozen in carbonite? In the hold and beer. In the cargo hold. I'll take that as a correct answer. Who looks for C-3PO after he goes missing on Cloud City? Chewbacca. Correct. According to Solo, how many parsecs did the Falcon make the Kessel Run? Twelve. Okay, it's less than twelve. I can't give you that one. Ah, Where does Leah claim the rebel base to be when under... Dantooine. That's correct. What does Luke say in response to Han asking for 10,000 credits for safe passage to Alderaan? We can almost buy our own star speeder for that. Own starship for that. Yep, we'll take that one. Okay. What is the name of Darth Vader's personal Star Destroyer? Executor. Yep. And which hand does Luke lose in his duel with Vader on Cloud City? Right. Correct. What Ewok weapon backfires on Wicket when he tries to use it? It's, um, sling. One of the things you spin around your head. Yeah, it's, 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 technically it's called a bowler. It's a piece of rock tied to a string, but a sling is the same same kind of weapon. Into which sector above Hoth do the rebels say the Imperial fleet is entering? The fourth. That's correct. And your final question. How many banthers does Luke spot on Tatooine just after R2 warns him that several creatures are approaching? Two. It is two. And you have just completed... Your second round with a wonderful score of nine points. Well done, Rich. If you could take your seat back on the benches. Okay, so back in the seat for the second time. We've now got Pete back in the seat. Pete. Hello. You you uh, had a very good first round there with the holiday special, and now obviously you've got your ten questions coming up on uh, the Star Wars movies. Uh, are you sitting comfortably? Shall we begin? Oh, it's very uncomfortable here, so let's begin anyway. Okay. <laughs> so, question number one: Who tells Boba Fett no disintegrations? Darth Vader. That's correct. Yeah, I've got more rights. Who says we would be honoured if you would join us? Yeah, uh, Darth Vader. That's correct. (laughs) What does Yoda tell Luke will happen if he leaves Dagobah to help Han and Leia? Uh, He won't complete his training, uh, etc. Sadly, he says he he will destroy all for which he has fought. Okay. Is the Millennium Falcon longer or shorter? than a Lambda-class Imperial shuttle. Probably a little bit shorter. Oh, it's longer. Oh, there we go. At the end of A New Hope, what does Princess Leia give to Luke and Han? Oh, a lovely shiny medal with a lovely strap on it. That's absolutely right. Well done. Uh, How does Han describe Lando to Leia just before they meet? Is he a bit of a scoundrel? I can't remember. He's a scoundrel and you'd like him. (laughs) <laughs> he wouldn't <laughs> who does C-3PO say never returned from Jabba's palace 
I thought Lando and Chewie didn't return. Um, uh, um, Lando. Oh, yeah, I think you saved yourself at the last minute there, Lando, <laughs> correct. <laughs> which Imperial spy tells the stormtroopers in Mos Eisley which docking bay to find Luke and Obi-Wan in? Uh, Grindon, isn't it? Yep. And which docking bay were they actually at? Uh, 94, was it? Not. Very good. Your final question. How Ooh. tall in metres and centimetres is Chewbacca? I think he must be around about 2 metres 20. Oh, remarkably close. 2.28. Oh, come on. So you finish your round there with seven points, Peter. Thank you that's very much. Hair, that's a hairstyle. Come on. So we've got Jez and Stu both joint on nine after the first round. So alphabetically, we'll call Jez back into the seat. Are you there, Jez? Are you ready and comfortable? I am ready. I'm not necessarily comfortable, but okay. I'm good to go. Well, you know, I think it's well known that you are a movie buff, so we're expecting great things from you. And we're going to start off uh, as we mean to go on. We are going. Question number one. What kind of jetpack does Boba Fett use? Was it A, a Z6, B, a Z9 or C, Z41? <laughs> completely set up here. Let's just say six. It was six. <laughs> Who arrived just okay. before Solo and the Falcon crew at Cloud City? Uh, Darth Vader and the Imperials. Technically, I'm afraid it was the Empire. <laughs> How did Lando lose Falcon to Han Solo? In a game? Are you, are you going to want the game Sabacc? Sabacc, correct. What kind of ship is the Millennium Falcon? It's a YT. Do you need more than that? Need the number. You got the YT. It's a YT nine hundred or something. Ah, uh, thirteen hundred. Sorry, Jez. What is Leia's home planet? Alderaan. Correct. From which cell block is Chewbacca supposedly being moved as part of the cover story in the rescue of Leia from the Death Star? Is it one one twenty eight? Oh, one one thirty eight. What is the technical name of the first Death Star? Uh, technical name of Death Star. I don't know. Uh, Death Star One. Correct. DS One. Death Star One. <laughs> Unbelievable how you pulled that one out. <laughs> what is the name of the weapon that the Death Star destroys planets with? Hang on a second. Reactor. Reactor core weapon. Death uh, Star weapon. The, no, it's called the Super Laser. Which language does, it's very simple. Which language does Uncle Owen need to make sure that C3PO speaks when he buys him? Botch. Correct. And your final question. Where on Tatooine does Ben Kenobi live? Does he live in the jungle and wastes? No, he lives out beyond the Dune Sea. Oh, of course he does. So you finished round two there, Jez, with five out of ten. Tricky. And our final contestant to return to the seats, we've got Stu.
right, this is where I do naff because I can watch a film a hundred times and not remember anything. Quite literally. So I'm ready for this. I'm ready to go from first to fourth. You're getting, you're getting your excuses in quickly. Oh, mate, do you know what? I do. I can never remember Jack. Okay, then, Stuart. Welcome back into the big black chair. You've got ten questions across a uh, variety of general knowledge from the Star Wars films. Question one. Which bounty hunter finds Han Solo on Cloud City? Boba Fett. Correct. Why does Darth Vader freeze Han Solo? He's trying it out before using Luke in it. Correct. What does Leah warn Luke when he sees her being captured by stormtroopers? Um, it's a trap. That's correct. According to C-3PO, what are the odds of navigating an asteroid field? 3,000 to 1. Oh, 3,720 to uh. 1. How does Princess Leia kill off Jabba the Hutt? She strangles him. Uh, a bit more detail? With her chain that she's been chained to him with. Correct. What colour squadron does Lando Calrissian lead into the Battle of Endor? Oh, gold. Correct. That's a good guess. Very good. What's the name of the ship that Admiral Akbar commands in the Battle of Endor? No idea. It's called Home One. How is the Death Star 2 protected? Force field. Oh, I'm afraid no. I'm going to be picky. A shield generator based on the forest moon of Endor. Who is Red Leader in the Battle of Endor? Wedge. That's correct. And your final question. What is Han Solo's famous line in the Battle of Yavin just before Luke blows up the Death Star? Let's blow this thing and go home. Uh, no, I'm going to have to be picky. Everybody else has had pick me being picky. It's You're all clear, kid. Yes. Now let's blow this thing and go home. So I'm very pleased to uh, report in there. You've scored a very credible 7 out of 10 for your final round, Stuart. Well done. Take was a seat that, back. Was that more than movie buff Jez, who classed himself as knowing everything? <laughs> I'm just going to total up the scores. Right then, guys. The results are in and the totals are here. As we come to the end of this episode of 1010, we have in fourth place Richard with 12 out of 20 points. We have Peter in third place. Yes. 13 out of 20 points. In second place, we have Jez with 14 out of 20 points. And in first place, after a stunning first round, we have Stu with 16 out of 20 points. Thanks for playing, guys. Hi, this is Richard Cunningham. I played General Ramder in Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and you're listening to the Vintage Rebellion Podcast.
40 years of French culture. Old photos may be the key. Palatoy surprises. The rebel base is on the moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet. A rich 40 years of French culture. Yes, Jew, so as everybody knows, we are more than willing to support anybody's endeavour for pushing vintage Star Wars, whether that's through books or whether through other podcasts or new websites or any other means. Anybody who's been on Facebook in the last month or so will know that Stephen Forcourt and Jan LaRue have released their latest book and they run a French Star Wars collectibles. So let's catch up with Stefan now and hear what he has to say about his new book and what's different from this book between all the other ones. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Star Wars author Stefan Forcourt. Now, if you want to know more about Stefan, check out episode 18, where we recorded with Stefan in the French Connection. Stefan, welcome once again to the Vintage Rebellion. Thank you guys for, for hosting me. Stefan, the reason I've asked you back on, and it's been a bit of a surprise to me, because I had a feeling you were going to write a new book at some point, but you posted on Facebook last week about a book that really surprised me. So you're primarily known as a vintage Star Wars Meccano historian stroke enthusiast, but you've released a book which covers the last 40 years of French culture. So what's been the inspiration behind this? Uh, yeah, okay. So yeah, I'm mostly, as you know me, I'm mostly a vintage uh, toy collector. Um, uh, so I've been collecting the Meccano and the Troy logo uh, lines and their associated uh, marketing material. Uh, and, and of course, the, the books um, I've done before uh, are mostly about toys and also um, the merchandise at large, but like in the, the French Touch book, but mostly focused on the on the vintage era. So yes, this time it's a quite different. It's a book we uh, we had. Uh, I had the the idea of this book um, four years ago, and the idea was to make something like a, a commemorative books for the release of, of Star Wars in France in 1977. We didn't see any official book coming for, for the, the, the 40th anniversary, and, uh, and I don't think there, are, there were any particular books released for the French market. And so the idea was to make a, a commemorative book uh, which would review uh, all the, the, the iconic, uh, usual or, or unusual merchandise and, and their marketing material, uh, if they are worthy. That were that were released over the four decades, and the the inspiration from this book came from a, a book um, I really love from Stephen Sweet, uh, which is an old book now, but it's what it was called uh, One Thousand Collectibles, and the the idea was to have a very nice pictures uh, of selection of items and merchandise. It's not a completist book. It's not pictures of of items lay flat, you know, on the floor or. I mean, you know, flat pictures. So it's really a composition of, of, of various items. And the idea was also to bring, uh, to bring anecdotes from the authors. So that's what Steve had done in the, in the 1000 collectible. And I really love this book. Of course, we didn't have maybe, we didn't have so much items. Uh, I don't think there is a 1000, you know, iconic items, uh, in France over the 40 years. So this is a much lighter book, but, uh, we definitely wanted to focus on the the four decades and present to the to the readers and, and collectors and fans at large with the most iconic or unusual products that were released in France. 
I think it would be best before we go any further to mention Jan LaRue, because you just mentioned there that these are on flat images, and didn't Jan do the cover of your McConnell to Try logo book? And he certainly seems an incredibly skilled Photoshop illustrator. Graphics on those were amazing, so have you been impressed with Jan's output again? Yeah, so I think that Jan will be uh, delighted to hear that. Uh, Jan uh, is a very skilled artist because he was working in the marketing at some point, uh, a few, some years ago. And so he has uh, some very, uh, very nice artistic skills. Uh, he knows how to, to design the, the stuff and page layout, the covers. And uh, also his skills were also very useful for, for the, taking the pictures and arrange, you know, because maybe if you've seen, if you've seen the sample page of the book, you can see, like I said, there are not uh, pictures of flat items. And it's, it was very, uh, a lot of work, you know, arranging all the, all the items, uh, to, to make a picture work. Yes, Jan, uh, skills in photography and graphics were very useful for, for this book. And also, uh, it's also important to mention that, uh, the, we are, we've been working, uh, with five friends and collectors on this book. So the main idea and, uh, the, the page layout and everything, so of course, mostly came from from myself and Jan, but we also teamed up with some other pals uh, who, who who helped with the book because we had to. It's a big project, you know, 40 years of books, of merchandise, and uh, none of us uh, are completists, so we had to really to team up our collections to be able to 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 present uh, a 40 case of of merchandise and uh, and related material. I've been reading a couple of questions online that a few other collectors have posted and they seem to be unsure about the ratio between vintage and modern pages. And then secondly, is the vintage section reused from previous books or is it being completely updated and brand new? Let's say that, so there are 40 years of products over 162 pages. Uh, I was I was mentioning about uh, the inspiration from uh, Steve's and Sweet 1000 collectibles, but uh, Steve's, and Steve's books was arranged in thematics. And uh, so this one, because we don't have as much products to, to, to present, so this, this book is, um, is arranged chronologically because uh, also it's 40 years of merchandise. So uh, when we started thinking about the book, we had to decide if it was, you know, arranged by teams or if it was um, chronological. So we, we chose to, to go for chronological. And, and, and so the, the vintage section of the book is like maybe one third of the book. So one third goes from 1977 to 9 to 87, and then you we also cover the dark times like uh, 87 to 1992, 93, and then all the way long to 2017. Of course, uh, um, in the vintage section there are items previously seen before, uh, some not, but because uh, the book have, the books I've done before were mostly about um, were mainly focusing on toys. This book is more for the, the fans at large, so there are, there are only a few pages of toys, the, the most iconic ones. And so, um, so the content is different and also the pictures are also different because uh, it's arranged, you know, it's, uh, um, it's, it would be like, you know, uh, it's not 2D, um, 2D stuff, you know, like I said, flat stuff. And it's really arranged, you know, so we, we, we selected some, some items. For example, you won't see in this book, you won't see all the cadet figures. You will only see see a selection of one or two, um, you know, two cadet figures from Star Wars and and two from Empire and two from Return of Jedi, but you will see some very nice stuff like uh, toy toy speaking, like um, the the marketing uh, stuff from from the 1994 uh, promotional poster offer with the full the full kit which was offered to the retailers. So this was not shown in the in the previous books. 
and, and, and other stuff like that, stuff like that. It's really uh, beautiful pictures. It's really uh, arranged. You know, the items are arranged along, all together, and it's more like a, I would say 3D pictures. You know, you can really uh, uh, see the items and, and uh, not just uh, you know the, the face of them. And taking the taking the picture was also a very long process. We were talking about Ian's um, uh, skills in taking pictures uh, and photography. Because we know we had to select the items, so we, we made some lists before, of course, uh, in order to be prepared. And uh, when we were starting sh the shooting sessions, uh, you know, we would combine the, combine the items, you know, um, do the lighting, uh, taking pic pictures in var you know, in various lighting conditions, and also uh, rearranging the items to have uh, different pictures, the same shot. So we could then, uh, you know, so Jan could select the, the, the best picture uh, for the page layout. And, you know, sometimes it's not the one you were, uh, the, that was intended for use because, you know, the page is different on the left and, and, and the pictures you are selected on the, for the, for the right page, you know, it doesn't match, you know, with the, the way the layout is done on the left. So, so this is a really tricky combination and um, a really tricky work. And so, uh, the, Taking pictures was really a, a very long process, so that's why the the book actually uh, took so much time to to design. So how how long have you spent then making this book and, and producing the layout and taking photographs? The the idea of the book came came uh, four years ago. So so you see that even in the meantime we had the we had the time to release another book, which was you know, the the collector's handbook in 2016. Yeah. So and this one was a. Uh, was a lot quicker to do because uh, you know we have just had to shoot you know all the to re to redo all the pictures of all the the action figure uh, the carded action figure so and, and the design was very nice but it was more easy to do so really the the reason it took for four years uh, because first we had the the idea a few years before the 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 40th anniversary because we knew anyway that it was a it would be a, it wouldn't be a book we could do in six months, you know. Or, so it was a good thing to have the the idea four years ago. I initially thought we we could do it for the the official, you know, release anniversary. So we are very close. We are we, we didn't make it, but it was a very close, just a few months close. Yes, it took four years because, like I said, we uh, we had to team up our collections, and uh, so we had you know to to go to combine our collection with a. Uh, with Jérôme Brun, with um, Pascal Delvaux and, uh, and Jean Bernard, uh, and so we had, you know, to bring the, the stuff, you know, at a place, at my place or Jan's place or Pascal's place, uh, Jérôme's as well, and so we had to bring some stuff, you know, because sometimes in a shoot we have maybe, uh, let's say, four or five items, uh, let's say, for example, the mechano viewers, and then and then you know. Uh, uh, Pascal will have two viewers and Jean would have the third one. So we had, you know, to bring the stuff at the same place and, and do the pictures. You know, uh, we, we still, we also have, you know, have, uh, our, you know, usual day-to-day uh, -day life, you know, with our work. So, so it's something we could not, uh, we couldn't be there, you know, uh, all the weekends, you know, to do that. So uh, we had to schedule that, uh, the, the shooting sessions. And like I said, bring the items and, 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 and shoot the pictures. I guess maybe just shooting one pictures. Was maybe a process like which, which which took like maybe one at least one hour sometimes. Wow! But uh, yeah, because the time you know to to uh, to position the items, mm -hmm. shoot them, shoot different pictures, work out the lighting, you know, store, uh, unbox the, the items, just put it back, uh, you know, uh, remove them safely and put them back in the boxes and everything. So so uh, yes, it was quite a long process, and that's why it took four years. 
Stefan thinking back to the UK, most of the modern Star Wars promotional items in the UK were generic and were usually featuring movie stills. So how does French culture present modern items? Merchandise and packaging were were, were specific in many countries uh, up to the Revenge of the Sith. And, and I, I think that uh, from Revenge of the Sith in 2005, uh, yeah, like you said, you know, the, the packaging went uh, pretty generic everywhere. But still, we were uh, we were surprised when we 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 made a, a huge list of the of the stuff we wanted in this book, and then we we shortened it down, you know, so uh, narrow it down to uh, just to, to to select, you know, the the, the best or the most uh, suitable uh, items for the book. It it was a concern uh, we when we had, uh, when we started working on the book, we wasn't sure to find, you know, yeah, you have to, like you said, you know, specific uh, French items or French package items. Uh, over the rest, the most recent year, it was easy. I would say it, it, it's pretty easy from the vintage from from the start to 2005, and then it becomes more tricky. But still, we were very quite surprised to find uh, nice items which were made specifically for the French market, or which was you know uh, sold everywhere uh, in other country as well, but sold in France with French packaging. Uh, I, I can't name name all of them here, but uh, I can mention, for example, the Lazarus disc, the lottery tickets, which were exclusive to France, at least the first one. Many food premiums. Uh, so also the merchandise, which is a um, promotional merchandise, uh, which is uh, designed by TV channels or phone operators uh, for their customers. Uh, convention exclusive, you know, uh, Atlas collectibles is a, a brand of um, subscription collectibles. Uh, of course, cereals. Uh, even water and, and milk bottles, credit cards. So, yes, that's pretty much a lot of stuff exclusive to France. One of the the best product category which illustrates France is uh, the the food stuff. We can see some very uh, uh, nice uh, merchandising campaign on food stuff during the vintage era, but but also uh, to to the recent years. So, of course, in the I guess the the most memorable food problems um, in the vintage era were of course the the Palmito cards, the, the 3D, you know, vacuum from cards yeah. from the Palmito cookies, and also the um, and the Mota ice cream campaign because it was it it was a very uh, clever uh, made campaign uh, involving the retailers because you would get you know coupons from the retailers and uh, uh, they would redeem stickers and uh, you would also uh, uh, order the stickers to you also order uh, a big poster to to the Mota company so it was very uh, very cleverly handled. Uh, marketing campaign and more recently that there are there's uh, i guess more recently it's still 20 years ago in 1996 you would have uh, the bn cards uh, the playing cards more recently you, you there are there are also the le gaulois the snacks and the the, the pre-cooked meals uh, from le gaulois with the with the small magnets so it was uh, with the revenge the, the revenge of the seeds in 2005 the the best uh, the marketing campaign we can find on food stuff recently is the the quick restaurants so Quick is a is a fast food burger chain, uh, retail chain in a, uh, in a France and Belgium, and so they run a, a very nice marketing campaign uh, in 2012 uh, with uh, a lot of advertising material for the restaurant outlets, um, specific um, products uh, for for the kids and, and and teenager meals, and also crew items like T-shirts and stuff like that. Banners, posters, and uh, many, many advertising stuff, and of course the burgers themselves. So the the the, uh, the campaign uh, would run over three weeks, and each week you would get uh, a specific burger, 
So there's spicy burger and the the, the Jedi burger, uh, if I recall correctly. And, and of course, the the most iconic one is the 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 black squid ink uh, bun burger, which was called uh, which was named uh, the dark burger. So uh, and this was a, a limited campaign. The, the the dark burger was limited to only to uh, 250 pieces per restaurant. We didn't get anything like that in the UK. Now, many collectors would assume that it's fairly simple researching modern items when you compare them to vintage, but I'm pretty sure that's not always the case. So what were the different challenges in researching modern items? Yes, exactly. Collecting modern stuff is not uh, always easy because uh, at first there's lots of things to collect uh, compared to the vintage era, so, so I guess it's almost impossible for anyone to, 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 to buy everything. So I guess that nowadays collectors are more, you know, uh, cherry-picking what they want to collect. And the, the, the thing, uh, I think the, the, the most important thing that we have to consider uh, for collectors today is that everything has become an event. Everything is event-driven. So you won't find a movie, uh, you know, lasting for months and months uh, uh, in the theaters and having several months of promotion and marketing campaign with specific material. Uh, when, when, when a movie goes out, you have uh, generally a lot of brands, you know, uh, wanting to brand products with this movie, especially with Star Wars. And so uh, it comes, you know, a few months before, and everything disappears just right after the movie is out. Uh, that's what happened with Episode 7, and uh, that's what happened also with Episode 8 or Solo, or even Rogue One, which has less products. So the stuff which is at retail, is a, first the, st- the stuff which is at, uh, which is sold at retail, disappears very quickly from the shelves, or for the restaurants, if we are speaking of premiums. But also the marketing material is trash now. So most of, of the licenses uh, get specific information from Disney that they have to trash everything, every all the marketing materials once the campaign is over. And it becomes very difficult to to be able to get the stuff. For example, uh, La Poste, which is, which is the, the French post office, run on a, a promotion in 2015 for the, for the episode 7. A very nice uh, campaign with with, with uh, the big displays, you know, character displays and stuff like that, and posters and other stuff uh, like stamp and everything. Uh, and they they also run a similar campaign uh, for the Last Jedi, and of course they also had uh, standees, uh, displays, posters, and they they had some very specific uh, instructions to destroy everything or to or to send it back to the, to the headquarters or for for it being destroyed as well. So. And uh, it's also closely monitored. It becomes very difficult to convince people to give the stuff because they know that it's monitored. They could get uh, issues with their supervisor. And also the risk is that uh, some people are just asking the stuff to put it, to advertise it, you know, on auction or classified websites. So they are just here to make profit. And since those licenses have specific instruction to, to trash the items, it's not good for them if the item shows up, you know, on eBay or, or similar websites. Now, in other books, you've included forwards and interviews with either collectors or people who have been involved in the licensee. Does this book have the same? Yeah, so um, uh, in this book, we were very excited to have uh, a forward from uh, the f- famous collector, Steve Sunsweet, uh, because like I said, uh, uh, we, I really liked the, the idea of the 1000 collectible uh, uh, he, he wrote some years ago and... Uh, uh, I know that Steve has a, has a particular appeal uh, to French uh, merchandise, and he also made a, a very nice uh, back cover text, you know, on the Star Wars Vault ten years ago. 
Um, so I know he, yeah, I knew he had uh, this uh, this appeal from French stuff. So so I asked him if if he would if he would kindly make a, a uh, write a forward for the book and and say uh, and share uh, his appraisal and appeal on the French merchandise. So which he did uh, gladly. So so I thank him uh, very much for that. And we also had a, a more local eco from a French perspective from a John Bernard, which is a who's a, a first-time collector and now he's also manager of a vintage toys, toys boutique in Paris. So he, he knows a lot uh, about Star Wars collecting, and it was also uh, uh, very nice to to have his uh, his perspective uh, as a forward as well for, uh, in the book. Yeah, so I'll be looking forward to reading those. Now, I think you've alluded to this a little bit, but does this go up to The Last Jedi? And what is the general French impression of The Last Jedi in modern Star Wars? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, the book stops with The Last Jedi merchandise. We weren't supposed to up to The Last Jedi, but we were uh, already back on, back on schedule for to, to for wrapping up the book. So it, it fits uh, it fit ni- nicely as an open conclusion uh, for on the 40 case of merchandise. So the last product uh, of the book uh, is the popcorn buckets and Coca-Cola uh, <laughs> collector's bottle, uh, which were uh, available um, at the first screening of uh, The Last Jedi in theaters. So the, the impression on The Last Jedi, uh, I, I like to speak of the movies with, with you know, collectors and friends and even colleagues at work. And I think that uh, the general response of the French audience is pretty much the same as elsewhere. Um, uh, personally, I wasn't fully satisfied with uh, episode seven because uh, with, this, with the sense of déjà vu in the plot, there are, there are so many good things in episode seven. But also, the, the I guess the, the drawback of the, of the the movie is the the plot, which is kind of déjà vu. So, so we know all that now, and uh, and so we were quite excited uh, with uh, episode eight. But I would say, like, like with any movie, there is a lot of pros and cons. Uh, so. So we are, we are still uh, maybe we are expecting too much, but we're still not fully satisfied. There's a lot also there's a lot of good things in episode eight, uh, and also some things you know uh, which I don't I don't like very much. So I think there are too many uh, personally. I think that in episode eight there are too many uh, funny lines. So you you can you can find some funny lines in, in every Star Wars, but uh, uh, I would say it serve you know the the plot, and in, in this case it was more you know like. Uh, it was a uh, too many uh, comic situation, which doesn't add really to the to, to, to the plot. You know, it's Star Wars. I mean, it's not you know, it's not Aston Powers. You know, so or similar movie. So I think that the comic uh, part went too far on some point. Doesn't serve the movie. Overall, the, the new uh, the new installment of the of the franchise in theaters on all the movie, the, the four movie which was released uh, since the the, the installment of, of the franchise. Uh, I personally like uh, Rogue One. So where's the book available then, Stefan, and, and how much does it cost, and is it available now? So, yeah, the, the book is available uh, on Amazon.com and Amazon UK. Uh, so the price on Amazon.com is uh, $48 and uh, £34.5 uh, in the UK. Uh, the, 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 four, the, the size is uh, 8.5 uh, inches square, so it's a very really nice format, and we wanted this kind of... Uh, of book size uh, to make it, you know, a, a nice item itself, and it's uh, 162 color pages. Uh, so you can just find it on Amazon. Uh, uh, you know, you could just uh, write uh, Star Wars, you know, uh, a French culture, and I guess it would be enough to find it. And of course, it's available now, yeah, right now. 
Yeah, great. So just in time for Christmas for everybody's yeah. uh, Christmas stockings. <laughs> and I think it's a, I think it's a personal, I think it's a nice read. It's not an exhaustive book, you know, in terms of reading. Uh, yeah, if you if you compare, you know, to to the to the previous book I've done in, so uh, for example, the La, La French Touch was a book which reviewed all the merchandise in it. There was quite a lot of, lot of text over, you know, the, the book is yeah. 272 pages, and there's there's the equivalent of 70 uh, pages of full text because there's the whole story to, to read about, of the pro, uh, about the products and the, the way they were marketed. The collector's handbook has almost no text, just a small blurb at the, the beginning of each series of uh, action figures. And uh, it's, it's really a you know, book uh, for collectors to enjoy the candid figures only. Uh, so this one is a very different book. Like we said, the pictures are different. You can find anecdotes small description uh, on, on the items, features, and, and, and personal anecdotes uh, from the authors. And it's more a book to enjoy, just to, to see, you know, to review 40 years of, of merchandise and have, you know, a small anecdote, uh, which, you know, uh, which is worth saying or worth mentioning about uh, about the, the items we are uh, sh- showcased. Of course, it's, uh, it's not a book only for collectors. Like I said, it's a book for fans at large or anyone interest you know uh, uh, in Star Wars so I also have colleagues which who are fans or some who are not even fans at all but you know they heard about Star Wars because of the, or because of their kids or and they, they were interested by the book even if they are not collectors we we had some very nice uh, feedbacks from from non-collecting people uh, who just you know they were just browsing through the books and they said oh uh, they remember you know seeing you know a particular offer in the stores <laughs> Uh, or particular uh, food stuff, you know, they, they enjoyed with the kid or some stuff they saw at retail uh, uh, while, you know, during the, their, their shopping, you know, and they, they, they remember, even if it was 10 years ago, they remember about a particular item. Uh, everyone will find at least one product uh, which connects to nice memories uh, from these books. Yeah. So I guess that's the best thing that we, we could get uh, out of it. So many thanks once again, Stefan, for coming on the Vintage Rebellion and talking about your book. We are all looking forward to getting our copy very soon in time for Christmas. And uh, where can people get in contact with you to have a chat about the book? What's the best place to go to? Yeah, so we, we are. I'm still. I'm always pleased, you know, to to talk about stuff. And uh, so yeah, the, the best place to chat with people about the the, the books or or even you know collectibles, uh, French collectibles at large. So there's a, of course um, our f- Facebook group, which is the Star Wars French Touch. So I guess if you if you type these keywords in in, in Facebook, you will find us. Uh, and of of course you, I'm always uh, pleased you know to reply to to get in touch with anyone. So just don't hesitate to uh, to PM me on Facebook, even if we are not friends or in officially friends in Facebook. So uh, I'm always pleased to reply, so don't hesitate to PM me uh, through Messenger uh, and Facebook. So we also have uh, our website, which is the www.mecanototrylogo.com, but uh, it's more, you know, like a description and uh, of, the, of, of all the books we've, we've done. So, but I guess the, the most active place, of course, is Facebook anyway. And if anybody would like some more information on that, then check out two great interviews that are currently on Fan the Tracks and the SWCA blog is written by Kevin Lentz. And it's an incredibly fascinating interview. So between the three of them, you're going to get everything that you possibly want to know about the new French book. 
The moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes. Old photos may be the key, which I think this is relating to older story. It is, so we'll discuss the 99 pence special off our baggies, stroke, Woolworths, bags, or whatever our collectors want to call them, a few episodes ago. And we got a lot of feedback on that, and I was delighted to see that a lot of people had appreciated, even though they might not have agreed with everything, appreciated a lot of what we had to say. So there's been a bit of an update what I want to discuss, and some new information has come through. Just to set the scene, Lawrence Dyer and a few other collectors have spent a long time discussing the authenticity of what collectors are calling the Woolworths 99p Special Offer Baggies, which are clear plastic bags with a large white 99 pence circular special offer sticker slapped on them with assorted loose figures inside. Now for those unsure about their background, here's a little description that I found from Dave Tree. It was the second half of 85, that's 1985, obviously not 1885 years. People keep thinking in the wrong context with respect to these items. It wasn't Star Wars being cleared, it was part of a large clearance toy sale that featured multiple product lines, including Mattel, but was made up with the majority of discontinued Palatoy lines. Large volumes of Palatoy product were shifted to various retailers in an effort to recoup money, clear space due to storage shutdown, or in some awesome stories, out the back door, as much as you could fill a van, and money not going through the books. The bundle packs of figures were part of that which was sent to Woolworths, but were not the only unpackaged, incomplete, non-retail product to be sold through that toy sale, which included window-boxed action force vehicles, with them without figures. Star Wars was dead in the water, all toy retailers by this point, with Transformers and Marshall Universe leading the way, were desperate to get rid of this product. The Co-op was another of the mainstream retailers that also ended up with a fair amount. That discussion from Lawrence Dye and various others seemed to have been pretty much case-closed on this, although there were still one or two questions about these um, sticker baggies. Now, where it's changed is Jamie Brown, Fuzzy Buzzy Toys, had added a new photograph on Stores from UK. And this photograph was taken from, I believe it was from Jeff's paperwork, so that's Jeff Glanville. He has allowed Jamie to go through what Jamie described as tons and tons of paperwork that Jeff's had in order to find the source of these baggies and various other things. And the photograph was taken from an old works camera, which Jeff used for surveys. And this was a copy of that image, which Jamie uploaded. I'll just describe the image that's on there. So we've got quite a large box, bigger than a, bigger than a shoebox, possibly two, three times the size of a shoebox. And inside this box are what appears to be multiple Woolworths 99p stickered baggies. 40, 50, 60 of them, don't know how many's in there, but there's a lot. And later on, this is described as a true Holy Grail. So, yeah, interesting photo for sure. So, Jamie's put there, the find was in a bungalow in Arborfield near Reading, which was a probate. The loft was to be cleared for woodworm treatment, and everything in it belonged to an old lady who had died. Jeff mentioned to the new owner about various items up there, and was giving everything, or it was to be dumped. He put on there, please feed free, to use the image across any forums or Facebook groups for discussion. Now, Stu, I'm going to come to you first because obviously you go around people's houses as part of your job as a carpet fitter. And I'm pretty sure that you would have been into houses where you have old ladies, okay? And I know you like, you know, the old ladies. I think, I believe you said that they were the biggest tippers for your service, if I remember right. That's the one, mate. Now, at any point, is it entirely possible 
that in any of the houses that you've been in, would you find, especially something like a bungalow, would you find a box of real vintage Star Wars items that would just be apparently shoved in a loft or anything at all that you've ever had to clean out where you've thought, wow, that's amazing. Right, well, first of all, I don't I don't really do that kind of work anymore where I'm in lofts, but in the 80s, my dad had, obviously, the business since 72. So in the 80s, my dad used to do some clearances, and he was always coming back with boxes of stuff, vinyl or old toys or stuff like that, from the 1960s and 70s then. It is very, very plausible. The last, the last attic I worked in was probably 20 years ago, and they were two people in the local town used to organise a lot of the carnival stuff and they had all a, a lot of historical stuff from the town just boxed up up there so yeah it's it's very very plausible that there is stuff boxed in people's attics without a shadow of a doubt I think that that is very plausible as I've said there so this photo is alleged to have come from 2001 taken by Jeff on a works camera initially people looked at it and thought you know what that's a, that's an awesome image what a find not a lot of people believe it to be true Jamie certainly wasn't presenting it as this is proof that Jeff was telling the truth. That's not what it was about at all. It was about opening up for debate and hopefully getting some more information. Now, one of the images on the baggies was spotted as to being a bit different to the rest of them. So, Peter, I'm going to come to you next. Okay, so one of the baggies was slightly different. Now, can you describe this baggie, but come to the most odd thing last, if you can? Richard, well, I am no knowledgeable person on baggies at all. Uh, I don't know. I guess I don't know. Let me have a look. Let me have a quick look, Rich. Let me let me see. Is it the figures inside? Well, there's uh, lots of the Death Star droids. I don't think you see many of those in baggies. I don't know. There's a there's a, a power droid, Snaggletooth, Thingamajig. What's his name? FX7, Stormtrooper. Uh, looks like Squidhead. I can't see someone at the back there loitering. I can't quite make it out, but the writing is red. Is that is that different as normal? I don't know. So right, and it's not a. It doesn't seem to be. I thought they were there was more in the other ones, but um, I don't know. So yeah, more room. Sorry, in the bag. It'd be quite a squish. There, there's normally there is normally just eight figures in the eight packs. No, no, I meant more in the bag. As in, I, I thought the bag was bigger. Right. Okay, so you've mentioned there the red text. I mean, Jez, if you had a chance to look at it now, most baggy collectors will be going Woolworths 8 packs. There's the big round circular sticker slapped on it. What's Pete talking about red text? Pete's talking about the receipt, which can be seen quite clearly in the photograph. There is a Woolworths receipt inside the sealed baggy, inside the sealed 8 pack. It's subject of a great deal of interest. And it certainly did. And I've got to say a big thanks to Ben Coomba for some of the investigation in the next part, which we're going to come down to. That was a pack which was spotted in the box. Okay, so if you believe this image was 2001, this traces this pack directly back to that. And that was a pack that was sold to Kevin Bledsoe, which had been graded by UKG approximately five years ago. So obviously the true detectives zoomed in on the receipt. And they spotted on the back of it, you can clearly see a postcode NW16JL. And when you Google that, it is an address which belonged to the Woolworths Group, and I believe it was the head office. Now, that then set more alarm bells ringing, because Ed Grant, owner of Stars Long UK, he came on and said, well, why would there be a Woolworths receipt in these packs that were bagged at the Palatoy factory? 
It is widely accepted that these special offer items, including the vehicles, playsets, etc., were not exclusive to Woolworths. And I'm just going to jump to the next story in our main interview. In the Palatoy talk, the guys um, there were asked about these Woolworths 99 pence sticker items, and they believe that it was done at Woolworths. But I think there's far more evidence to suggest that this wasn't done at Woolworths, and it's very likely that the guys that we spoke to would have had nothing to do with this. These were just getting the items out of the door, and that wasn't part of their role at all in the in the packaging process. So, Ben then done quite a lot of detective work on this receipt, and this was something that I never knew, but it's actually really easy to go and buy a Woolworths receipt in very good condition from the 70s and from the 80s. So, as soon as Ben found that, and he posted loads and loads of receipts from eBay, it was very clear that that is not any kind of evidence whatsoever that this was dated as far back as that. But then Ben started doing some more detective work, and he spotted on the back of the receipt the following bit of text. And it mentions terms and conditions. And when he compared all the receipts that he could find, that text didn't actually appear on any of the receipts that he identified until after 2003. So what that means is, is that number one, the receipt is probably 2003 and newer, and definitely couldn't have been in there in 1985-86. Frank came on and he queried why Jeff never mentioned the pick, and never mentioned this epic find at all. He put on there, it's a true holy grail for baggy collector. He's been after baggies for years, he's mentioned to Jeff that if he spots any, just let him know. Frank was always willing to pay over the odds for what these are worth. And Jeff never mentioned these ones to him. Now Matt Fox, he joined in the discussion. And he said that it shows all of them before they were sold off far and wide. Approximately 40 of them in the box. It's the one and only source that we know of. And we know these are all from Jeff. We know that his dead old lady story about acquiring them in 1999 just isn't true because of the receipt. Now I'm not sure where this 99 thing come from because... That's also quoted much further on, but it actually said 2001 from Jamie, so I'm not sure where 1999 came from. And he's put on there basically that his best guess is he spent a productive afternoon making the baggies at some point in 2014, and then took them away with an intention to drip feed them on the market. Purely speculation, but of course there's a lot of evidence pointing that way to suggest that it's actually true. Now I responded saying, okay, we can pin the receipt to post-2003 possibly, but it would be much easier to contact Kevin and just ask him to take a photograph of the other side of the receipt because it should have a date on it. And we were delighted that Kevin Bledsoe had actually um, signed up for him and he started responding about the receipt. And he did say that the other side of the receipt was completely blank. There was nothing on it at all. He posted some messages that he'd been sending to UKG and this was a response from Steve at UKG when he sent this baggie in for grain. So the message says, from Steve, Yes, it arrived safe and sound. Been speaking with a couple of people about it, and to me it is fine. Even the sellotape matches as it should, and it's aged itself with no signs of tampering. The only issue we have is the Woolworths receipt inside, because it is unheard of. But saying that, my argument is, if Woolworths packed these, then it could quite easily have been put in there at the store level, because obviously Palatoy would not have packed them with Woolworths receipts. It's all ifs and maybes, so maybe we need to have a think and chat to some more people. Provenance and proof is the key, and as you know, we wanted to be right. 
After a short period of time, we responded saying, OK, after much deliberation about the Woolworths APAC, we've come to a final decision on it. I've spoken with quite a few people, and we are willing to case it with a label stating what it is, but the label will state no grade. Now, we do this with some items that are extremely rare, and very difficult to say yes or no if there's a slight issue or doubt about something, EFA do exactly the same. And we've done it a few times now on a few items. Basically, the issue is that the receipt inside and how it got there, was it done at store level? Was it done after the purchase when the tape was new? It could have been lifted and a receipt put placed in there and sealed back. You can see a lot of people have arguments about them. The problem is proving anything as you know. In my opinion, I think it was either done by the store or by a parent when it was originally purchased, but the items were never touched then or after. The store doing it raises a question about why would they would put a receipt inside the baggie and leave it on the shop floor because stores just don't do that, as people could quite easily steal them and come back for a refund because they'd have the receipt. So I think your best option for displaying the piece is to have it done with one of our labels inside, stating what it is, as there is no doubt whatsoever that this is authentic. It is just a question about whether it was opened at some point in store or shortly after. That's the only issue. So based on the above, the pack was authenticated by UKG, as there is no doubt it is authentic, and he quotes Steve's point there. I believe the style of APACs that followed were authenticated from this point onwards, and all of them have originated from Jeff, apart from the two that Jeff states he received in a trade. I see a clear problem with that. I've already described the receipt to you, and yet on there, Steve is saying, we've looked at the receipt, we're not sure how it was in there, somebody could have took it, went back for a refund. In this situation, you couldn't possibly get a refund. Why not, Jez? Because... The receipt was blank because it was, this could have been the end of it. He would have actually ended up in there if there was sort of, you know, bags and something the other. And you can see some sort of mind numbing or let's just throw these things in. This has gone in. It was a blank receipt. I didn't get it. I didn't get it whatsoever. That was, you couldn't get it. You couldn't end off that. Exactly, Jez. It was a blank receipt. You know, so Steve at UKG, he's looked at this, he's checked the tape, he said it's definitely genuine, it's definitely authenticated. I don't know what he's used to base that on, but he's absolutely happy with it. And then the query in the receipt, surely they would have said this, the receipt's blank. There's nothing on the receipt. So why wasn't that mentioned back then? There's just a lot of red flags on that one for me. And then Kevin goes and uh, posts a snippet from a chat that he's had with a former ex Woolworths manager. Uh, and this is absolutely brilliant what this guy's written. So he's put on there, on the figure packs that you were asking about, so obviously we call them eight figure packs now, from what I remember, Woolworths was Kenna Parker Inc.'s largest European stockist. And when that company was spun off in 85, one of the reasons, as I understood it, was that General Mills had decided to ditch those two divisions and float them off separately because, unusually, they operated sale or return items on their toys. For the retailer, this meant that instead of having to guess how well new character ranges would sell and either run out, or lose sales because they underestimated, or land up with a lot of dead stock to bevy if the character brand bombed, chain stores could order huge quantities in the hope of good sales and then send back any stock they considered to be surplus once a sales pattern or lack of it was established. The trouble was that return sale or return stock was often ex-display, and many of the items sold on hanging cords would be returned dog-eared around the edges, torn around where the, po- the hole punch was for the pegboard hook, showing that store staff had pulled them all off the hook at once 
when universal arms are designed to reduce shoplifting by forcing you to remove each one individually, otherwise the tailor packaging. Kenner Parker had launched a new Star Wars range in 85 to accompany a spin-off animated TV series, with the models tweaked to look like the animated rather than real-life characters. The UK had high expectations for the series when it aired because it had proved popular in the USA, and retailers went heavy on the figures. Sales were okay but not spectacular in the UK, and for what I remember, retailers got very uncomfortable when the figures were included in a media storm about new European toy safety legislation, which was announced in 1985, with a long transitional period leading to enforcement from 1990. Several press reports used the Kenner Park Accorded figures as an example of non-compliant products. For example, they didn't show the importer's name and address, which is now a legal requirement. They didn't have a prominent warning about small parts. They didn't clearly state that they presented a choking hazard and were unsuitable for children under 36 months and should only be used under supervision by preschoolers, etc, etc, etc. You can imagine how uncomfortable it would be if you were asked, why are you still selling these dangerous toys, Mr. Argos? Or whatever, even though, of course, they had simply been manufactured before the regulations were agreed. As a result, Kenner Parker had extremely heavy returns from what Woolworths would call the outside trade, i.e. everyone else, while Woolies kept their nerve and saw sales of their own full-price stocks rise as other retailers went out of stock. To cut a long story short, faced with dog-eared packaging that had been criticised in the media, I think Kenner Parker came up with the idea of paying peaceworkers to rip all the figures off the cards and put them in plain packaging. They offered the line to Woolies for the toy sale. Despite the low price of your items, Woolworths actually had more than a 65% gross margin on the line and sold all of the stock they could get within a week. The promotion solved a problem for Parker, earned Woolies some brownie points for the next season's buy-in and gave some lucky kids a great bargain. The latter always assuming the child was over three and didn't think the figures were edible. To be on the safe side, stores were instructed to display a disclaimer ticket in front of the display of figures, warning of small parts, the age restriction, and seeing that the importer's name and address was available on request. All labelling was done by the supplier. Woolworths calculated that at this time they made 5p extra profit per single if the labels were affixed at source rather than in store. Calculated based on the labour cost of labelling and the shrinking cost around 2% of store produced lines, Shrink a cost of around 2% of store price lines being mislabeled at the wrong price. Those items mispriced didn't sell, while any underpriced rocketed off the shelves but as a loss. This was in the days before barcodes and scanning tills, and was laid at the justification for retailers moving to that technology. Any in-store labels were of little metal type that supermarkets used on the top of tins. So, a guy from Woolworths clearly saying without a doubt, that a lot of these carded figures were sent back to Kenner. They then outsourced them to another company who ripped them apart, whacked them in these plastic bags, and then they went back out to Woolworths. Now that also ties up with what the Palatoys guys said, in that they didn't do it, which was true. There was a small third-party company there. We then had a further update from Kevin. My recent discussions with Steve at UKG was around at what point did Palatoys supply Woolworths, and the stock was completely depleted, and at what point did that supply stop? Steve seemed to believe that the special buy figures went on later than we think, and possibly into and beyond 1986. 
I believe that non-compliant old stock may have been getting stripped from cards in the years following and sold off randomly, but their numbers would have been really low that they have, may have been missed. Woolworths did not bag or label the figures in store, and I've been told several times via different individuals now over the years that this did not happen. There is absolutely no evidence that Woolworths did this. Also, I've been told that sheets or rolls of special buy labels have been found in the 1990s. He's asked if anybody has any evidence to back that claim up. My packs have been authenticated and graded by Steve at UKG. He's informed me that I had an open double tape one, and it was one that he found in the early 1990s, and he believes that that one to be completely authentic. Therefore, he's basing all of his on the ones that he found in the early 1990s at a car boot sale. So guys, what can I say there? It just looks like an absolute complete mess. I think, personally, I believe that there is more than enough evidence that these have nothing to do with Woolworths, probably next to nothing to do with Palatoy. This small company has made these, whacked the labels off, straight back out of Woolworths. Woolworths have sold them very, very quickly. I mean, for 99 pence for eight action figures, you know, a lot of these would have been perfect stocking fillers. Although the toy line was dying, there were still action figures at the end of the day. Great little toy figures to play with. And for a box like that to have been found in 2001, 1999, 2003, whatever year you want to come up with, it just seems completely bizarre. Especially with one with the Woolworths receipt, which was pre-2003, shoved in there. Guys, any comments on that or just does it all stink? Rich, I think the biggest scandal from this oh. is is why on earth are people buying Woolworth seats on eBay? And that's a sham. <laughs> Be ashamed of yourself, all of you. I don't know, looking at that photograph, right? When I, when I look at the photograph, all the packs, pretty much every pack is facing upwards. There's almost like some sort of order to the packs. The way they've been placed in there is sort of relatively carefully display however the photograph itself is a really rubbish photograph which i don't know which there are so many weird things about this that if you're going to buy all of those in the loft usually for an investment someone's like oh, right yeah i'm going to do that in my loft and people, people will know about it i can't think for a second someone's like oh yeah yeah just just take it all it's going to get bin. um so for me there are yeah there's loads of red flags in this. And it's only been in the loft for that long. They're looking very clean. Yeah, absolutely fair point, Jez. I've never even considered the fact that they all seem to have been placed in there very, very carefully. Why would somebody in there, you know, an, an old lady, for want of a better word, have, you know, taken such care with those? I mean, let's face it, any old lady back in 1999, 2000, 2001, unless if she was keeping them for her son or, or daughter or something like that, fair enough, but would have donated those to charity. You know, they would have gone to a charity shop. Yeah, I've got a bag of toys, get them out the door to a kid. Now, if there is a son or a daughter, then surely once the old lady has passed on, they would have been in the house, they would have, you know, remembered these when they were going through the things. Oh, I forgot about this box that's been up in this attic for 20 odd years. They would have removed it, surely. It's just all, once again, ifs, buts, maybes, and I'm going to be honest with you, I think it totally stinks. Jez just pointed on a good point there. That, that's been in the loft for 20 years, in that photo. That's how long it's been up there. Well, in theory, yes. There's not, there's not a pit, there's not a bit of dust on the top. 
I've been in enough attics that to know that that would have a, a layer of uh, the blacky, salty dust. That's as clean as clean can be. Yeah, the other thing is, is there's no there's no proof that that photo was taken in 2001. <laughs> it could have been, you know, 2015 taken with an old old camera. I've still got them knocking around my house. It's, it doesn't prove much, does it? But one thing that I think is interesting is that Jeff's allowed Jamie to go through his paperwork and I really hope that Jamie keeps that up because the more he finds, the more answers we're going to get and at some point we're going to say, that's it, that's a smoking gun or the very, very small chance now, this is where Jeff's spoken from, you know, this this is the EB account, this is the city, this is the country, whatever. Okay, but that could still be found. So keep going, Jamie. Death Star approaching. Estimated time to firing range, 15 minutes. And finally, Rich, uh, Palatoy Surprises. A bit like a kinder egg, this is. Yes, Joe. So on Saturday, the 10th of November, 2018, at approximately quarter past three, around 50 or so Star Wars fans were eagerly anticipating an historic event. Former employees from the Palatoy factory were delivering a panel right in the heart of the Star Wars toy manufacturing region in Colville, Leicestershire. This event was part of the May the Toys Be With You Touring exhibition organised by Matt Fox, which we've discussed many times. And obviously I knew it was coming. I wasn't sure whether I should go or not. But once the five hard copies of the Kenner Biker Scouts and, you know, Lando Skiff and those kind of things appeared, I thought, you know what, I've got to go down and see this. So Spoons have contacted us and said, Rich, if you want to come down, I'm taking my kids, you know, I'll drive down, drive down to mine at Sheffield, and then I'll run you the rest of the way to Colville. You know, we'll, we'll listen to see what the guy's got to say. And I've got to say, I am so glad that I went down. I mean, not only was it great getting down there, um, you had on the front row, you had me, Pete, Pete was sitting next to us, you had Ben, you had Jason Smith, so obviously we all felt sorry for the chairs on that front row. Behind us we had Spoons, we had Mark Daniels, there was Matt Fox there, you know, there was um, a guy in the forum whose username escapes me at this moment in time, the guy with the with the red tracksuit on, which, you know, we were jokingly saying was the scout side, but clearly isn't. Uh, we met him down there. Um, so many vintage stores collectors, and, and people, not on the forum as well, people who, you know, Craig Spivey and various other guys were down there and were all fascinated listening to the talk. So I recorded this whole event. Uh, all I've done on this event is boosted the sound levels. Apologies if there's some things that you didn't catch, but a few people have contacted me and said, please don't edit the interview. Some of the things that the Palatoy guys have said isn't correct. Some of their memories, you know, the 70 odd year old, they will admit that TM the date to them, it was just a job. We are reading far too much into it, but there's a lot of what they've come out with, which is absolutely fantastic, and many collectors went, that's the answer I've been searching for. So we're going to play this interview in its complete entirety. This is going to replace the main interview for this month, so we don't have a main interview. We didn't want to make this podcast too long. Here you go, the Palatoy Talk, an historic event. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I am indeed Matt Fox, and uh, a, a very warm welcome to all of you for coming along here tonight on a rather cold evening. Uh, I've been finding out that people have travelled in from various distances around the country, so you know it really is appreciated. Thank you very much for coming along and supporting this exhibition here at Colville, at the former Palatoy factory site. Now, before I even introduce our Palatoy panel here, um, I had to talk a little bit about you guys, because um, I'm looking at 
what really amounts to a bit of a who's who of British vintage Star Wars collecting. Um, for example, I can see Jason Smith here with the phone. Raise your hand, Jason Smith. Jason Smith, uh, aka Mr. Palatoy. Uh, just so you guys know what you're up against here, uh, Jason is the creator of the Palatoy Matrix, which uh, shows every single card type and variation across the whole Star Wars toy line. It's an incredible uh, piece of research. And for services to vintage collecting, please a round of applause for Jason Smith. Come on. Sitting behind it now, I also spy Mr. Mark Daniels, also known as Sub-Level Studios. Uh, Mark has done lots of Palatoy-inspired art. Um, he's also created the, uh, the the logo for my exhibition, the May the Toys Be With You, so uh, I've got something uh, personal to thank Mark for. Um, one of Britain's most talented artists, uh, Mr. Mark Daniels. A round of applause. <laughs> I also see this uh, rather tall gentleman in the front row who's blocking the view of the young kid behind him. It's... <laughs> All the way from Newcastle, it's Rich oh. Hutchinson, who Oy. is the co-host, along with his friend uh, Pete, um, of Britain's best vintage podcast, The Vintage Rebellion. Uh, please, a round of applause. Rich Hutchinson here. <laughs> uh, I'm also seeing, uh, where is he? Yes, there, there is a chap here with, with even bushier beard than mine. Um, this is uh, a gentleman called Craig Spivey. Craig also has an exhibition, an incredible exhibition that has gone around uh, to different museums. And in his spare time, Craig uh, cosplays as uh, Luke Skywalker. In fact, I believe he's sort of the official Lucasfilm cosplayer of Luke Skywalker. So you can picture him in his grey robes here. Uh, Craig Spivey, please, a round of applause. Fantastic. <laughs> now, I, I could actually keep going and going because there's a, a lot of characters here. But um, time is precious. Um, I really just wanted to make you panellists aware of what you're dealing with. Um, collectively, I, I dread to think... <laughs> I dread to think what the people in this room have spent on Star Wars toys in their lifetimes. Um, my, my wife Jo was here earlier, but thankfully she's gone now, because as the old saying goes, if I die, I hope my wife doesn't sell my collection for what I told her I bought it for. <laughs> now, I have to introduce the panel. Uh, Bob Breachin. Uh Bob, raise your hand, please, Bob. Now, Bob was Palatoy's chief designer. He spent 17 years at the company and then left to focus on his day job, which involved wearing a red and white uniform every December the 25th and climbing down chimneys. He's the friendly Father Christmas of the toy world. A big round of applause for the nicest man on earth, Bob Breachin. <laughs> Sitting to uh, Bob's left, here we have Roger Morrison. Uh, raise your hand, please, Roger Morrison. Um, Roger was the tooling manager who worked on the Star Wars line from start to finish. Um, after his time at Palatoy, he opened the Morrison supermarket chain and is now a billionaire who leaves Palatoy prototypes lying around in his loft just because he can. It's Roger Morrison! <laughs> now, uh, I thought we were going to have Brian Turner here. Now, where, where's Brian Turner? He's, he slipped away. Okay, over on the corner there. We'll get you a chair at the front as well, Brian, I'm sure. Now... Brian Turner, who, amongst other things, during his time at Palatoy, he engineered the Death Star clips. These are the little plastic clips that hold the cardboard Death Star onto its base. Now, I've handled dozens of these clips, and in the 40 years, I have never seen a single one of them fail. And I suspect 400 years from now, Brian's clips will still be going strong. A round of applause, Brian Turner. Uh, now, this gentleman here, this gentleman here with a rather fine beard, this is Dave Barnacle. Dave spent his early years attached to the hull of a small fishing vessel in the North Sea. 
One day, the boats moored at Skegness, and the young Barnacle was able to make his way to the bright lights of Leicester, where he became a truly great artist, creating many of the evocative paintings uh, for the Action Man box art, and uh, most importantly for this audience, uh, the photographs, design, and artwork for the Star Wars line at Palatoy. Dave Barnacle, please, round of applause. And we also have John Holmes, the Sherlock Holmes of Palatoy, the manufacturing engineer, uh, the man behind the Palatoy ATAT. Is it ATAT or is it ATT? Uh, I'm hoping that he can answer that very pressing question <laughs> here tonight. A round of applause, John Holmes. <laughs> but uh, before we get to the meat of the Q&A, uh, we have a rather mouth-watering starter for you. A chance to hear direct from Jeff Macy, uh, product manager for Palatoy. Um, so I know your hands may be getting a bit sore, but please give a massive round of applause for the amazing Jeff Macy. Right, following, uh, following my recent demotion from marketing manager to product manager, um, <laughs> what I wanted to do was take you through a few things about Star Wars, not technically, but stuff that you might not know. Uh, for example, how did I get roped into this? <laughs> um, there are three real themes. First is, how did Palatoy get Star Wars in the first place? How did we launch it? And how do we keep it going? So the first part of it, how did Palatoy, from a place that most Americans have never heard of, get hold of Star Wars? Why didn't he go to Hasbro or Mattel, who are both $5 billion companies now, and much bigger than we were at that time? Well, Hasbro, at that time, was in trouble. What had happened was they had overreached themselves. They had product which had been called back from consumers and from retail. But more important than that, they had to delist their prime category of G.I. Joe because of anti-feeling because from the Vietnam War. That was 40% of their turnover and 60% of their earnings. So they had a massive hole to fill, but the banks had put a stop on them, wouldn't lend them any more money, and they couldn't go after Star Wars. Mattel, on the other hand, had Barbie. That was a world-renowned brand already. It was in massive distribution worldwide, and they had no boys' toy. So why didn't they go for it? Well, at that time, fortunately for us, they were in the middle of an acquisition for a company called Golden Books, Western Publishing which was $120 million then, about a billion dollars now. So they couldn't afford to do both. And they didn't want to put the investment into Star Wars because they knew what sort of uh, cost that would make. So Lucasfilm turned their attention elsewhere. They didn't come to us. They went to a company called Mego, which was a little US company, but they had one thing that Lucas liked. They had a product line tied to a film. They had Planet of the Apes. It had action figures, play sets, and Lucas thought, that's exactly what we want. They're the company I want to go with. But Migo said, thanks, but no thanks. We work with 20th Century Fox. We don't want to know. That left Kenner. To understand the dynamics of this, <coughs> General Mills at that time was a $2 billion, basically flour milling company and a cereal, breakfast cereal manufacturer. They were cash rich, they were looking to diversify into other things, and one of those things was the toy industry, because they saw the opportunity of profit, profit margins 
and great profit from the toys. They went out, never did anything by half. They bought a company in Canada, two companies in the US, one in France, Germany, Benelux, Spain, and two companies in the UK. But those companies, all of them, were autonomous. So what they did was they brought in a guy called Bernie Loomis to head up what was then the General Mills Toy Division and to go about looking for product. Now Bernie was an interesting character. He finished his business studies on board the Death Star and I don't think Lucasfilm knew what they were dealing with when they agreed to meet him in New York. First, Bernie always got his own way. And to be honest with you, uh, you could see why if you ever met him. He was a big man, but he was also a very persuasive man, a very forceful man. And he met a guy called Mark Pevers in New York. And Mark said to him, we'll give you Star Wars, but you have to promise not to take six million dollar man. I don't want you to have both categories, even though it's not ours. And Bernie looked at him and basically said, nobody tells me what product I'm going to buy. We're the only game in town. Take it or leave it. So George took it. as we were the, At that time, we were the only game in town. So that was the war. To get the product here, there were two other battles to win for Palatoy. Because going back, General Mills said, every subsidiary has to have Star Wars. We don't want any licensing to third parties. Waddington's had got Monopoly, which was a prime product in the US from Parker Brothers, part of the group. Every subsidiary has to have the Star Wars line. So we thought, that's great. Except in the UK, there are two companies. There's us and there's Dennis Fisher. And we know that General Mills wanted to build up Dennis Fisher. So we thought, well, we have Action Man, which is really the key competitor of Star Wars. We're probably not going to get it. Fortunately, Bernie could see that Dennis Fisher was a single product company. They had Spirograph, they were into crafts. So he thought that was a better home for $6 million man. And we got Star Wars. So that battle was won. The second battle was an internal one. Where do we put the line? Do we put it into retail sales? Or as the marketing director at the time thought, do we put it into wholesale? Because we wanted to position it away from Action Man. We didn't know what the potential was for Star Wars because we haven't really <coughs> seen anything yet. And we thought if we put it into there, it would probably be the safest place to, to put Action Man. The problem with that is that Quite frankly, you're then relying on wholesalers, sales guys, who are carrying hundreds of lines to carry the line for you. And as soon as they get any resistance, they just drop that and go to something else. And that's an important point that we'll come back to in a minute. Les decided that that's the way he wanted to go, marketing director, and he presented this case very carefully to Bernie Loomis. Bernie Loomis looked at it and very carefully considered the two words of his reply and it went into the retail side and it's a really those two things are really crucial first it came to us and not Dennis Fisher otherwise I'd be at home watching the All Blacks and you'd be up in Leeds somewhere <laughs> second it went into retail and not wholesale and that comes very clear in a few minutes so we had the line we'd not seen anything 
We had no product. We had a movie that was going to release, as far as the toy trade were concerned, at the worst possible time, after Christmas. And we had a trade that were basically saying to us, we don't take space toys. We don't want anything tied to a movie. I'm going to be dead by the summer. So what did we do? How we launched it was, first of all, we had to make sure that we could get distribution. And going back 40-odd years, that was a very different customer profile than now. There was no Toys R Us. They were still 10 years away from the UK market. There was no Argus. Our, our main retailer at that time was Woolies, with its 800 stores. And then we were dealing with Mail Order, Debenhams, Boops, the Co-op, and the independent retail trade. Now, because of that decision about where to put it, our sales force could get distribution into the independent retail trade. That wasn't enough to save the brand if we couldn't get it anywhere else, but it meant we weren't talking to empty shelves in the retail trade, and there'd be Star Wars through the country. It might be thin, but it would be there. If we'd gone wholesale, we would be advertising to empty shelves. Mail order said it's too late for autumn winter because the catalogues are now nearly finished, <coughs> and we don't want it for spring summer because we but that's already closed as well. It'll be dead by the summer, so we'll forget autumn winter. So we couldn't get into mail order at that time, a very, very major part of our overall sales plan. So we had to go to Woolies. But the first thing we got from Woolies was resistance. They didn't want to know. They didn't want it. It's not a summer toy. It's tied to a movie, and it's space. So the only way we could get into Woolies was basically we have to buy space in their top 50 stores. And that space were end caps. So if you look down the aisle, at the end of those aisles, there are stands facing you before you go down. We bought one of those in each of the top 50 stores. And we said to Woolies, what we'll do is we'll put stock in there. If you sell it, we'll charge you for it. And if you don't, we'll take it back. That wasn't enough because they said, well, if it doesn't sell, we could have had something else there and made money out of it. So then we had to give them an extra discount on Action Man, which they also carried. So really, it was a fight to get Star Wars even into stop, into sh shops there. The next question for Woolies was, if it sells, can you read the sales? Yeah, well, when it's sold out, we'll know. Okay, well, how long will it then take you to refill the shelves? Three to four weeks. Okay, so what we had then had to do was hire a team of merchandisers to go around the stores and read the stock, and as the stock started to move, get it replenished, get the orders raised, back to Woolies, they sent it back to us, and it was really a difficult thing to start doing. And then the TV broke in the autumn of that year, and things just flew off the shelves. Now, we have a different problem, because now the trade were after us for not supplying them. So it was completely opposite. And they were basically saying, where's the stock? You know, you told me you could get it. You told me to put stock on the shelf. Well, where was your order? It doesn't cut any ice with them. So, again, we were struggling to get product. And for that whole year, we, the shelves were pretty much cleaned. We couldn't replace most of the stock. We got what we could. So the launch plan basically was get as much out there as we possibly could in as many places as we could to make sure it sold through. And then hopefully we can recover from that position for the following year where there would be no Star Wars movie. And then the year after that, we'd have Empire Strikes Back. 
So that was really the launch plan. And the launch plan included TV, PR, store visits, point of sale displays, everything. We threw everything at it to try and get it going. And it just flew. And that causes an even bigger problem. So moving on from that, the next step was, well, how do we get stock to keep this thing going? Each country around Europe where we could get stock was autonomous. They all had their own, you know, they all had their own names. They all had their own systems. And like all good Europeans, we all lied to each other about what we had. <laughs> we didn't have the stock. Um, they didn't have the stock. Mostly we were taking US stock and overstickering it. France was taking French Canadian stock and overstickering it. Germany couldn't do anything because their stock really had to be made for them because they couldn't show any weapons firing, no violence of any kind. So they were really dead in the water for a start. Spain didn't care where the stock came from, so they got some. And it carried on like that. We were just hand to mouth. We were trying to pack product here. And there's a funny story because we were raising purchase orders here for individual products to try and get the thing moving. And it was at a time where we started giving names from Star Wars to some of the key players. Bernie Loomis, for example, we changed from Bernie the Bolt, because he fired so many people, to the Emperor. And the marketing department had to sign off the orders that were being placed, because obviously it was our forecast. We wanted to put the thing in. And Ken Barker, who was the purchasing manager at that time, came up to me and said, have you seen this purchase order? Now, to understand the next bit, you need to understand that when we buy corrugated sales packs, it's from a company called Corrugated Products. All the packs are then ordered with a prefix of CP and a number. He said, well, what's it worth? 20,000 CP30s. He said, read the description. 20,000 CP30s, Star Wars droid. They're so used to writing CP that it should have been C-3PO. <laughs> That's just one of the many problems we had at the time. So, the next question was, how did we keep momentum going? When there was no film, stock was coming through in a bit more of a supply. We were getting new products on stream, and we were waiting for The Empire Strikes Back the following year. We had to keep it on shelf. We had to persuade the, the trade who were now still resistant and say, well, okay, you've had a Christmas. It's not a summer toy, so we won't stock it for spring. How do we keep doing that, getting it on the shelf and keeping the momentum? Well, we broke ground in two ways. Bear in mind, we're going back 40 years, and this is new ground at that time. The first thing we did was we had a TV commercial. Bear in mind, everything had to be done on film in those days. There was no... CGI or computer graphics or anything else. So we had a TV commercial that had 10 seconds clip from the movie showing the product that was advertised in the remaining 20 seconds. We took it to the ASA. They're the people who tell you whether you can run it or not. And they said, yeah, that's very good. Does it really fly? <laughs> no, it doesn't really fly. It weighs a ton. Well, then you can't show it. Sorry. So after about three or four months of wrangling with them, they eventually agreed that we could show the Millennium Falcon in a kid's hand with him making the noise of an engine, so long as then we showed a normal play situation. And that's how we went out with it. But at that time, of course, it was fantastic, because you were showing the film, showing the product, 
if you wanted it. The second thing we did was nobody really had advertised in cinemas. It's very expensive to do it because if you take a hundred cinemas, that's a hundred films you've got to send to the cinema. There's no other way of doing it. So what we decided to do at that time was we take the cinema advertising and we would tag the end of it in a Star Wars um, theatre with the name of the local retailer, provided he stopped the product and put down a, a reasonable commitment for it. Because obviously we had to tag the thing, we had to make the film, we had to send it to the cinema, and we had to buy the cinema time. So it was an expensive operation, but that worked, and it kept the momentum going. The last thing we did, and very heavily in that year, was PR. Um, we had a very good company, um, Monroe Dighton. And what they came up with was, let's have Darth Vader meeting the plane delivering Star Wars stock. Everybody knows there's big shortages. That would bring it to everybody's attention, and they can see the product coming in. And we wanted to go down to Heathrow Cargo Terminal and take Darth Vader onto the apron next to the plane that got Star Wars stock. But we first had to go through health and safety. What's that he's carrying? That's a lightsaber. Well, if he takes that down there, he's going to have every plane in the area taxiing towards him, because it's like <laughs> our batons. So he can't have that. Okay, well, we'll leave it behind. Can we go then? Yep, that won't be a problem. But he's got to wear this high-vis jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Thing of right and thing in those days, we thought, well, that's probably not going to work. But having a good PR company, they found a hole in the fence. So we went down through the hole. And at that time, we actually had got Dave Prowse himself in the in the costume, one of the rare occasions where he was available. And we said to Dave, look, you know, you're a big star here, this could be police and stuff. Would you mind going through the hole in the fence? Oh, Ari said, I don't mind. And I suddenly realised why he never got the voiceover for Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Luke, I'm your dad. Oh, what about that? <laughs> and so we got the shot. Um, and it actually got us a lot of space in the papers. So going through that year where really we were just trying to keep things going all the time with different things, different promotions, we then got towards the release date of Empire Strikes Back. Before that happened, General Mills came back to us and said, look, this is crazy. We can't carry on like this. We've got to have interchangeable stock across Europe. People have got to talk to each other. We're going to set up a European operation and we're going to bring over a, a guy to run it and set it up for it. His name was Vic Rado and very quickly it changed to Darth Rado. <laughs> and in fact, that's probably a disservice to Darth because Vic was much worse. <laughs> <laughs> and what they decided to do was to hold lead company presentations where you had to bid for the product line you wanted. This was a little bit now like Brexit negotiations because the French were desperate to get Star Wars. They wanted the kudos with the States. They didn't have the relationships with America that we had. But we didn't want to have to be beholden to the French, so we wanted it. We wanted it really bad. <laughs> so the first thing they decided was, and it didn't take long, should the meeting be in Colville or Paris? <laughs> so we all went over to Paris. <laughs> but before we got there, we rang the French and said, have you got all the equipment? Because obviously in those days, you didn't have 
laptops, you didn't have mobile phones, you had slide projectors with 35mm slides and a carousel, and you had an industrial style VCR called a Sony Umatic, which weighed a ton, and it was a great big thing. In two systems, we knew there was a PAL system for Europe and NTSC for America. So we just want to make sure they got the PAL system. And I said, yep, we've got Sony Umatic, we've got slide projectors, we've got everything you need to know. The agency came along because we said to them, you know, we've got all the slides, we need copies of all the commercials. He said, I said, I've made you three copies. Oh, that's great. He said, one's PAL, one's NTSC, and one's CCAM. Well, what's CCAM? Oh, the French have their own system. <laughs> now, they never told us that, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> but when it came to the presentation in Paris, they had obviously got one over on us because they were entertaining all the General Mills people in Paris the night before at a hotel called the Georges Sank, which was, at that time, the most expensive place to stay in Europe. So we thought, we've got a mountain to climb. We have a real mountain to climb. The presentation room was really Burmese teak panelling, 10 foot high double doors, chandeliers, reproduction furniture, the whole thing. So we thought, okay, well, we're first up. So we made our presentation. It had all the stuff we just talked about, cinema tagging, TV commercials with, with um, clips from the film, PR campaign, product line, launches, new product introductions, and so on. And it went okay. We went through it all. It seemed perfect. We put the uh, projector, we put the, sorry, the VCR tape into the machine. And the French looked on with anticipation until it worked when we looked downcast. <laughs> so like all good Frenchmen, they cheated. Um, and then it was their turn. We thought, I hope they know. I hope we've done well enough to get the product. The product manager stood up and there was a loud cry of meld, which we all thought, that must be French. What he'd done is he stood up with his slide carousel upside down. And the slides all crashed to the floor. <laughs> of course, we were heartbroken for it. <laughs> Bernie, during the whole meeting, was eating M&Ms from a cut glass ashtray. And he picked this up and threw it at the door, made a hole in this door, and stomped off. The manager came in and said, you guys have to leave. You can never come back. Bernie shouted over his shoulder, I'm never even coming back to Paris. And that was the last time he ever went there. But the meeting had two days to run. So basically, we had no idea who had got what. Darth Rado came along and said, right, Palatoy, you've got Star Wars. And he just allocated it arbitrarily. We put all this work together, counted for nothing. And that's really how we managed to control Star Wars. Again, if we hadn't done that, we're not quite sure there were some critical decisions along the way which could have changed the way Star Wars actually finished up. So now we have to present this plan to a visiting board member from General Mills Board for final approval before we went ahead. And this is before the year before, the end of the year before, Empire Strikes Back was due to release. His name was Don Swanson, and we were in the design department over there where there was a, a preview theatre in the top. And this guy had flown in overnight, been picked up from the airport, 
driven to Colville, we sat him down, gave him a cup of coffee, dimmed the lights, and he fell asleep. <laughs> he woke up as we finished the last slide and said, great job guys, let's go. <laughs> and the rest is history. That's, that's it. Is there any questions? Thank you. Jeff Maisie. M&M's out of a cut glass ashtray, eh? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, as you've heard, that's uh, some amazing recollections there. And uh, collectively, there's a wealth of palatal knowledge and experience on this panel. But um, uh, before we do the q I also want to temper our expectations. Um, I've had many chats with Bob Bridgen, and there have been occasions where he said, Matt, you know more about it than I do. Um, Bear in mind, these are recollections from 35 to 40 years ago. So... um, if your question is of the scale of why did such and such figure not appear on the 65D double stem blister made in Meccano's stickered mop, they might not know. Um, and, and I don't want you guys to feel any nerves in your answers to the world. Um, you are amongst friends and fans here today, gentlemen, and um, you know, it, it, feel free to interrupt each other if you have extra things to add uh, once the question's asked. Um, you know, let's just have a nice chat like we're all down the pub. Now, um, I've got some questions here, and we'll go through these and hopefully uh, have some time for some freestyling as well. And, uh, and the first question, um, uh, it, it comes from Rob and Chris. So, uh, Rob and Chris, would you like to briefly stand, ask your question, and then you can be seated together for the answer. Rob and Chris, go. <laughs> uh, I've always wondered since when I was a kid, uh, this gentleman kind of enlightened me a little bit, why the uh, tie fighters pilots smelled of strawberries. Ah, <laughs> who'd like to take this one? There's somebody in the audience can answer that one. Um, uh, Stamp John. <laughs> John John Hawkes was my boss. Uh, Bill Pugh was boss for my, when. For my sins, I was the design director yeah. for Palestine over the period that we're talking about now, um, and I can't recall. Specifically, this strawberry shortcake smell for Star Wars, although I do recall it when we were making uh, the SAS figures for Action Man. I got a call from Sam Smith, who was head of our warehouse at the time, on a Sunday morning. I was having breakfast with my kids and my family, and he said, Your assignment's arrived because we've tooled up for it, we've got the figures ready, the packaging's ready, thanks to Dave Barnacle, who did an excellent job on it. Everything's ready to go, we've got the women in, all we needed were these little plastic parts that uh, we needed to pack out for getting out for retail. And he said, you better come over, he said, the assignment's right. I said, fine, okay, fine. He said, well, we've got a bit of a problem. I said, well, what is it? He said, just come over. So I went over to Baker Street, where our warehouse was, and we went out the back, and there was a 40-foot container, 9 foot by 9 foot by 40 foot long, full of these plastic things, guns and so he said, uh, he said, that's it. I said, well, what's it? He said, well, stand back. I said, well, he goes to the door, so before he put containers, vandals spill out. And he opened the doors, and I nearly bowled over by the strawberry shortcake smell that came straight out of that. And what they've done, the, the, the suppliers in Hong Kong, because we had this shipped in from Hong Kong, they hadn't purged out the machines for making strawberry shortcake, so every action man beats was spending a strawberry shortcake. <laughs> and we thought that was quite a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the end. That's probably what happened with the strawberry shortcake on Star Wars as well. 
This panel has such an embarrassment of riches that we have panel members sprinkled in amongst you as well. Thank you. Um, I've got a question now from... Can I just have one point on what Jeff was saying? I think that both Rick Rado and Bernie Lewis were the Donald Trumps of the Stormy Yes, I guess you could say that, yeah. There's another thing uh, John's got a connection with, and that's his son. His son... Um, he, we, we came up with ideas for Action Man, but his son came up with a fantastic idea, and that was the sharpshooter position. Does anybody remember that? Action Man fans. We couldn't, we couldn't see it in the design department, but his son did. But his son went on, tell him, John, what your son did afterwards. Well, for those of you interested, my son is head of props and head of costume for the past five Star Wars films, and he works at Pinewood. And if you've got a father that uh, does that sort of thing, then you can make those sort of things for the sun. Which you attack revenue business Star Wars guys. Fantastic. He's, he's working on the current Star Sorry. Wars film, which I think is he's just started. He finished the last one which was the Han Solo. Uh, I don't know what it was. I'm, I'm not a Star Wars fan, I just did it. I, I just did it for a living, you know. That was my thing, so uh, anyway, that's what my son does is is the job. Oh, it's, good. it's good to hear that the family uh, connection is being followed tangentially, even as, as such. So uh, the next question is, comes from David. David, would you like to ask your question? Yeah, I wonder what your happiest memories were of your time working with Palatable Ginny, and particularly of working with Star Wars brand. Leaving. Should I answer that one? I better answer that one, haven't I? Yeah, you can answer that one. Sure. Sure, did. Yeah. Uh, I think... Uh, the thing we're most proud of, Brian, this is Brian Turner here, who was the designer with me. The proudest thing is, is the Death Star course. Um, that's what we're really happy about. The fact that you guys think it's probably the best toy ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> who puts their hand up for the best toy ever? <laughs> so, is the question here, is it? No? It's a hand up. <laughs> so, I think that's what, um, question? Uh, yeah, you did the artwork for the Death Star. You painted the. Well, it, we're, we're, we're going to argue about that because we think Dave Barnacle <laughs> did it. <laughs> Dave Barnacle did some fantastic work on Action Man, and uh, he did a lot, all the packaging for Star Wars, didn't you, Dave? Yeah. And Brian and I, well, Brian, we're getting old, you know, we forget things. <laughs> Brian says he used to go down to Dave's and take all the. Um, he used to brief him down there. I think I made a mock-up of I think I made a mock-up. But I didn't do the finished artwork. Not for oh, the mock-up. The trash compactor and working all the all the how it configured round there from the film. I, I might have done that, but I didn't do the finished artwork. Oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I did the box. Anyway, Brian designed the box. Brian did most of the work anyway on the design of the Death Star, so if you want us to talk to Brian afterwards and fact details of it, he's the one to talk to. He designed the clip, he designed the shoot, the little shoot, um, and the rest of it. And of course, we had a, who was the mother maker at the time? Was it Alan or? Yeah, yeah. 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 it probably made the moulds for the um, the thing goes on the top, you know, the little gun placement thing, which is vacuum forming. We weren't allowed much in the way of money for tooling for this because these marketing guys didn't know where it was going to take off, really. But um, so we had to keep the tooling down. So we, we allowed some money for injection mould on the little clip, which 
he thinks the best toy ever. <laughs> well, engi- well, well, well engineered <laughs> toy that one. Best clip ever. Yes. Uh, but Ooh, we had to make a little moulds for the vacuum corbids to make the thing on the top, and, and Brian drew, drew up the design for the uh, chute. So that's, that's my memory really of Star Wars. Uh, we did do some uh, redesigns of the, um, the cantina, the, uh, the land of the Jawas, and the, the droid factory, because we. Uh, Roger's tool manager. We couldn't get all the tools, of course, could we, Roger? Oh. So we, we designed that for the British market, so we made that in vacuum forming as well. Uh, but what we did designed on that was the, the little uh, fighting stand, the double stand, because mm-hmm. the American version was injection moulded, and their stands were sort of set into the injection mould, so you couldn't really move the figures around. But with the little fighting stand, you could, you could go everywhere, so we, we were quite proud of that. And the other thing we actually designed was the the game on the other side of that big uh, cabinet, which was the uh, Destroy Death Star. Now, that's an interesting product, because before that, there was a product called Salvo, based on the design. And Salvo was... Uh, the actual mechanism of Salvo was based on Etch-A-Sketch. So when you turn the two knobs, instead of a, a, a pen or whatever it was going along making the sketch, there was a light underneath the plastic, and you had to guide the light underneath... The Death Star, not the Death Star, the uh, Tie Fighters, try and blow them out the sky. So we just we we developed that game. So the rest of it obviously is Kenner, but when it comes to tooling, Roger will tell you which ones were, you know, tooled here and moulded um, here and so forth. And next, I've got a question for from Diane. Diane, would you like to ask? Yeah, well, we've got a little example anecdote of something that went wrong, whether it was in production or design or... But John! I believe you I mean, the classic one would be, which would involve Roger as well, with Millennium Falcon, the actual uh, outer casings of them, the amount that we had were, that were distorted, that cost us hours in production. Can you remember that, Roger? Mm. Yeah. Old yeah. plastics... <clears throat> Well, yeah, it was American tools that came yeah. over to the UK and we moulded them here, obviously in the UK. And uh, that was the nice thing about any new tooling for Star Wars that we've made in the UK. When you've got the plastic moulding to look at, you can look at ways of improving the design. Not the outside form, but obviously the inside, where you eject it, reducing wall sections so you've not got sink marks, etc. So there are things, but I mean, it, like anything, using trade moulders, they've put a price on them bit of plastic they're going to make and if they can increase the cycle time I obviously reduce it so probably quoted on something like 45 seconds to make one full shot if they can get it down to they're going to make more money and that's what happened with that they're trying to make them too quick of course when it comes out of the mould the plastic's still warm and it starts to obviously move and yeah puts you out of line and gives you a few headaches in production yeah they? I mean other things like the, the rancor they're trying to design a way or if you want to come up with a production method to put the the eye in which in the end finding the girl on the line that was the most adept at using a felt pen to put a white spot in oh. Oh, there's so many i could spend you yeah, know give it give me 10 minutes to think about it you could spend hours talking about every product we ever made that's got a funny story or an issue with it that created you know humor or pulling your hair out that's why i've not got much on the front now <laughs> Now, I, I, have, I have another question. Sadly, it hasn't got a name next to it, but um, it's about the country of origin stamp being removed. Who are, would you like to ask that one, then? Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, towards the end of the line, from a collector's point of view, the Hong Kong bit goes missing. Um, I've got my own ideas on why that was, politically as well, but how important was that to 
your guy's job. No, it's good, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I this is, this is on the this is on the reverse of the leg. They've each got a a country of origin stamp of, of various sorts. But uh, later in the line, they they seem to sort of do away with them. We, we call them no coup figures. Do you know no, what? Country of origin C O O. So no, we call them no coups. Yeah. So any idea why they that happened or? No idea. No, no. Roger, you're no. talking. No, I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you, fa- if no, you, fa- no, you no, I mean, <laughs> where you made uh, was that a, a memory or crikey, we've got to get the whole coral off of all of these. No, sometimes you like the cavity numbers and things like that. You'd have to do, or you'd have to obviously re-engrave them to make them more visible. Right. So if production had a problem and it's a poor impression tool, and one of the items wasn't working well on the production line, I could look at the component and you'd see it either got one, two, or three, or four on it, and you knew where the problem was on the tool to rectify it, but no, I don't actually remember that, but I do remember Kenner starting to move to Mexico for moulding, weren't oh, yeah, they? So great, whether they moved tooling over from Hong Kong to move into Mexico and obviously took it off, I don't know. Okay, we've got another question here, which is quite technical. Um, there's been a mystery, uh, and James can ask the question to see if we can get to the bottom of it. So there's, there's a figure that's been baffling the community for about 25 years, and it's a, it's a snow trooper that emerged apparently from a Palatoy staff member that where the limbs are grey instead of white and it's been I've got one here and there's a few in the room I think if you, you've got one as well yeah um, should we pass it down to the front for the panel to inspect the, 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 uh, the infamous grey limbs trooper it emerged as a test figure um, I think I got mine in about 94 um, and the community has been sort of divided on whether it's real or not. And so that came out on a card. No, no, it, no, no, it no. came out via a staff member apparently oh, when the factory closed. Oh, yeah. 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 So it's one of his tool shots, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's first sample. It's first off samples, yeah. okay. and that's what's happened. The moments, yeah. then they've assembled it. You know. Okay, so what, it's what, kind of like a pre. Yeah, yeah, when they when they mould them up and they test the tool, they just pick up a bit of material they got on the side. Okay. To mould it in production, you've got to order loads and loads of it. Yeah, there was all those things going around. I've got, I did have a uh, a care bear done in panda colours, black and white, for my daughter that was done as a sample. It was in a bin, so I'll have that. She'll like it. Yeah, probably. So you're supposed to do it all the time. Colour, you know. Yeah. My wife worked for Hasbro for ten years after they bought. Palatoys, so she's got loads of them. They're she not, worked they're, here. They're mod, modernised, no, in London. In the, uh, Softy Park. So, yeah, exactly, yeah. So I did have one more question related to that, if that's alright. Um, so, when Palatoy got the licence effectively, did, so, so from her experience at Hasbro, um, at Hasbro, the, she worked in licensing, and it, the London office, Softy Park, um, was the um, was like the global markets office where Kenner would talk to London, that would then influence all the other markets around the world, and so and they would kind of oversee the license and make sure everything was conforming with the brand. Did a similar situation happen with Pamsoy and the rest of the European production? Eventually, when we first started out, um, Pamsoy had again. Bear in mind, there were no computer graphics; everything was done mechanically on boards and so on. And the first instruction was that we had to take any artwork change 
and that really include just putting the palette or logo on, but to recreate the four colour artwork, take it down to Lucasfilm in London, who then said, we don't have the authority to approve this, it has to go to California, come back from California with any changes, back to us, we have to resubmit it if we have to, and it used to take forever. Um, then Lucasfilm said, okay, we now have authority to approve stuff, but when we have the European structure in place, that role reverted back to Maidenhead, and they were the ones then who were the liaison with Lucasfilm. Right, right. Thank you. Very to to um to hear that those grey limb stormtroopers are part of the Palatoy pre-production process will make a lot of collectors very happy. Oh, sure. It make me rather gutted because I've never bought one, <laughs> and now the price is going to go through the roof. So, okay, let's move on to a question from Ian, please, Ian. Yes. Okay. Which have you prefer? Um, yeah, the first one was. Were there any action figures that Palatoys specifically pushed for on the Star Wars line that never came to fruition? No. I would say that we didn't. We actually just followed the line that kind of developed. When it came to the action figure line, uh, we just followed what they had. Uh, we had no rights to do anything. Um, I suppose the closest we ever came to it was a PR competition, which was Draw a Droid. And we said we'd submit the winning entry to Kenner for them to consider that nothing ever happened. But we were quite happy with that, because obviously what they were doing is taking figures from the movie itself. So there was no real latitude to develop stuff separately. And you kind of answered my other question within this guy's question, but... What was the, the chain of, of approval for products? Did, as a division of Kenner, did you have to go through Kenner and then Kenner went to Lucasfilm, or were you able to go direct to Lucasfilm? If we were developing a new product, like Death Star, for example, we first of all go to Kenner and ask permission to do it and give them a description of what we wanted to do to get Lucas over there to approve the concept. Then we go back to the original chain and that was to go to Lucasfilm London, back to California, back to London, back to us. Quite convoluted. <laughs> uh, well, sort of on the subject of unproduced figures, we've got a question now from, from Richard Hutchinson. Yeah, um, a fellow collector's got one of the Boba Fett's with the firing rocket and it doesn't match any reproduction and it doesn't match any of the Kenner ones either. So there was a lot of hype about the rocket firing threat around the times. So did any make its way over a palatoy fight to have a look at? And if so, what what did you remember of the change from the from the rocket to being fixed? You guys know the story of the rocket firing Boba Fett. Mm. Yeah. Remind us. Uh, <laughs> it, it was originally going to have a a backpack that you could sort of have That's a small spring in it, yeah. fire the rocket out, and that, and that was deemed dangerous at the, ultimately yeah. and, and cancelled at the eleventh hour. Um, did you ever see that figure over over here? I didn't. No. The problem was when Star Wars started to really take off. A lot of US, um, I suppose you'd call them major retailers or wholesalers, started shipping anything they had that they couldn't sell to Europe because they could see it was doing well. And of course we were the first port of call for anything that they had left over, whether it was knockoff, genuine, factory, fell off the back of a lorry, anything like that always finished up in our market because obviously we speak English as well. Um, so it could have been that, I have no idea. Okay, we've got no a question. Control of what, you know, in place yeah. at that time. And we've got a question from uh, Mr. Palatoy, Jason Smith, next. Hi there. Um, so, 
when, when it's like that, there were the original 12 figures which are actually behind you on, on cards. And on yeah. the back of the card, it says, uh, it has an X wing and it has iPad and it says, with flashing light, with, with lights and sound. Uh, now, obviously, the Palatoy versions of those didn't have that, so the cards were all overprinted, yeah. which gives us rise to what we call a Palatoy 12A, which has the text, and a 12B, which has been overprinted without the text. And since the day dot, there has been two variations. Up until a few months ago, when someone found a new variation, where basically it says on the back, rather than for the for the figures, it says. Scaled to fit the large size non-die-cast Star Wars space vehicles. It was felt necessary to reinforce the fact that these action figures, the three and three-quarter inch ones, wouldn't fit in a die-cast vehicle. Now, that was never done on the Chemicard. It was only done on some of the Palatoy cards. What happened to make that deem necessary to be kind of changed about to say that? Do you have, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, you were nodding. I've got to answer that. Oh, you're nodding. You should know more about that than me. Um, I just I I, I I talked to you about this earlier, didn't I? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess maybe it was I, a guess, UK law. Or I guess it was a UK law that our, our, our lawyers, whoever they were, were our lawyers. Richard Faulkner. Oh yeah, Richard Faulkner. So could have been him, yeah. Richard Faulkner probably picked it up one day and said, and and, and realised we'd do a diecast and these figures and they wouldn't go in. And he think, thought, we'd better check it out. And there's probably some law that says you've got to, you know, you've got to cover every contingency, as it were. So I'm only guessing. But, so you know. It was a change of the small print for the small vehicles, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Well, you've got to put it on because, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Jason, you have another one. Slightly put it in, and you can't. You have a slightly more general question as well, don't you? Yeah. So, so basically, the you know the the way the way things progressed is all the all the all the action figures, the card backs, and the bubbles were all made out in Hong Kong, and from what we can see, assembled in Hong Kong and distributed yeah. with Paltoy and Kenner. And then, by the time you get to Empire Strikes Back and the the Offalus Empire Strikes Back cards, there the cards are printed. In, in the UK for, for Paratoy and for Clipper and for the German markets. At, at some point, were these cards assembled from the component parts that were sent from Hong Kong or did they arrive ready assembled? Do you want to tell you about what happened there with the machine you had to buy? Uh, yeah, we had to buy the illegal machines to keep up and the cards were printed in the UK and the figures came in from Hong Kong. Yeah, so at what point did you start assembling them? Because yeah, I personally can't remember his assembling Star Wars figures. Of yeah, we do. I can tell you behind that little story, we had a massive imbalance between figures and matching cards. So in the end, we stopped it again and went back to Hong Kong. We couldn't, we couldn't, for some reason, I don't know why, but we had a new purchasing guy come in and we were trying to keep pace with things. And I think what was happening was ordering cards and they were very easy to produce in the UK, but the figures weren't. So you might be producing, say, 100,000 Darth Vader cards. Couldn't get 100,000 Darth Vader figures because it was such high demand. Maybe only got 20,000. So they'd be 20,000 made up. The cards are going to storage. And then we have to buy different cards for another figure. And it was just an absolute nightmare to try yeah, and keep that. I mean, certainly we can see that with the, some of the Return of the Jedi cards. On yeah. the back, they have a factory code. 
And if it's got a factory code on it, it means it was made and assembled in Hong Kong. So you see yeah. that with various figures, yeah. Yeah. where they were exclusively, they were made, they were made, uh, made in Asia. I think that's right. But I think, again, we went back to Hong Kong because we just couldn't cope with it. Uh, but then I moved out to somewhere else. I don't know what happened after that. Okay, well, talking of, talking of moving out and moving, moving on, uh, we have a question from Steve Davis. At uh, what point uh, in production did you realise things weren't really selling anymore? And uh, how did that affect the company? We were actually guided by the States. <clears throat> if it stopped selling in the States, I remember a conversation I had with the president of Kenner, a guy called Joe Mendelssohn, who again was another from the Mafia School of Charm. Joe, can I get any Star Wars stock? And he said, son, because I was a lot younger then, he said, son, if you can get it, you don't want it. And that was really the maximum we went by. If it, if it suddenly became available in the US, we knew it was on its last legs. So we basically followed their trend. And funny enough, the trend was very, very accurate. When something stopped selling in the States, a few months later, it would stop selling in the UK. So we followed that, and we were able actually to manage our stock better than they could because they were the first to actually get hit. But we were reading, um, in, in those days, we were able to read, although we couldn't do it in the UK, we could read there over the counter sales of all their major customers because they collected it electronically and sent it to us, and they had uh, market share data, sales data by figure, and we could trace how it was performing, whether it was going up or down or leveling off. Um, and we were able to read what was happening, so we actually could control our stock. And usually we finished up fairly clean. Fantastic. Uh, now we have a question, um, I don't have a name to it, but it's, it's about the arts work being done in-house or subcontracted. Mark, would you like to uh, Yeah. Was, was there an in-house art department at Palatine? Was all the artwork for all the play sets <coughs> and packaging all done by you guys, or was it farmed out to subcontractors? Dave was our man. It all came to me. Right, so it was just you. Did you have anybody else working with you? Yeah, there something? were um, there was five of us all together. Right, okay. Yeah. For you personally, because I've been a fan of your work, not just for Stoll's, but also for Action Man and well, other lines. <coughs> I did most of the uh, sort of creative design. Right. Um, but most of the Star Wars artwork is pretty routine, really. I think Jeff touched on it. We just overlaid the... Um, American packs changed the Kenner logos to Palitoy, put the Palitoy uh, address and, and any other changes that are required. You, 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 you did the photograph of the away. Death Star though, Dave, didn't you, with your son on? You did the photograph of the Death um, Star with your son on? The, the, that's the only, th the only box I actually designed from scratch was that Death Star box. So it is my son on the box. Who's now 53. Action Mom wise, is there a piece of artwork that you're particularly proud of doing? Is there one piece of artwork that you did that actually stands out with you? I'm really pleased with that one. For what? For Star Wars or Action Man? For Action Man as well. Um, well, I did manage to buy 20 artworks that from that had been sold at Vectis auctions some years ago. But actually bought back my own artworks. And there were a few there that with a lot of I, I couldn't remember ever having done until I found them. But there, <coughs> there are three that are my favourites. There's the German Storm. Uh, French resistance fighter and British Tommy. 
if we've got favourites in action. Right? Um, as for Star Wars, that the favourite is the Death Star box because they did what I did from scratch. The only other things I did from scratch were leaflets. I did a poster. Um, I think it was a um, a a two poster, a three poster, something, which just advertised the product line. I did all the photography as well. Toys are here. Yeah, yeah. Um, did sort of trade leaflets as well. For the marketing, yeah. Yeah. Very sought after that poster. Yeah. Is it? Very hard to find. Is it? Oh, yeah. Nowadays. I've still got one. With Dave, we, actually, we, we give him, say, three or four weeks to do these artworks. We would, he'd say, yeah. <laughs> We'd ring him up and say, Dave, is that already? No, I'm not doing it. No, I you have to do it the night before, didn't you? Yeah, you work to... all night on someone. <laughs> I think I'll be reputation. That's how he came up with great artwork. That's pretty pressure. You have to have the pressure. Yeah, I like the pressure. And uh, someone had a question about, um, we, we like cardboard. Uh, someone had a question about cardboard play sets. Andy. Leading on from what you said before, Bob, about the perception of land of the Jowl is oh, yeah. Death Star. Was there anything like that that was in the pipeline that never that never made it into production. No, we just, we, like Jeff said, we have, we were sort of dominated by the camera, really. So, so if they, if they had a plastic set, you might make a card set. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we, Roger couldn't get hold of the tolling drawings, we'd do something, you know, like a cantina. Or, you know. yeah. We what didn't like their Death Star, so. Yeah. So, there, so there'll be nothing that you would come, I suppose the, the, the drawer of droid would be the, the closest thing you came to, sort of anything. They did, what, the droid factory? No, the, uh, the competition. Oh, droid competition but oh yeah, 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 so but that's more of a marketing thing, yeah. Mm. You know, some of the things they have to do in marketing to, you know, keep the product going, keep the product line going. Uh, sorry, sorry, did you want to follow no, up? I just suspected it was going to be a short answer. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, actually, um, how how you felt about the size of the Star Wars toilet? Did you think the size was? Did it feel expansive, or did it feel like you could have done more if the option had been there? I think we were struggling actually to keep up keep up with what we had because when you look at the total figure line, we were trying to renew it all the time. But to do that, you had to get it off the shelf. I mean, otherwise you'd have masses of figures and you wouldn't have <coughs> any space to put the new ones in. So. We were trying to always carve the line down rather than expand it because we just wanted the best space we could get hold of and we wanted product that was turning over quickly to keep it on the shelf. So really that's, um, that's how we managed to stop. Okay. Now, now someone else had a question about individual production line. Um, who was that question? Oh, that yeah. I just wondered, um, because you've got photographs of the lady there working on the, the, the Millennium Falcon. Were they always assigned to the same model? Come on, John. Uh, no, it was. Well, we tried to because obviously they got the skills, but uh, in some occasions we were running two or three lines on the same product, so, you know, the other lines had to pick it up and go with it. But obviously there was a learning curve. And the, fa the shop floor at that time, it was 99% female labour, either working 8 till 5, 9 till 4. Or occasionally, as the season went on, working five till nine, five till ten in the evenings. You know, the, the Americans came in and changed the whole system, didn't they? Yeah, at that stage. yeah, because we used to work, which is like a lot of old British industries, like 
for example, Tech Action Man, where we had a work in progress store with numerous, if you want, thighs, arms and all the bits. But when things got tight around the time that uh, Mrs Thatcher came and the company changed its outlook on manufacturing, we then had to have a just-in-time policy and just make, say, a day stop and keep it on the line. And everything, including like the ATAT, everything was made almost together. There was no sort of sub-assemblies of the legs or anything. That was produced on the line at the top and then sent down for the assembly with the head unit and the body unit. And it was packed at the bottom and sent over from the old factory into the new factory into the dispatch area where it was sent out to Ashby, which was the distribution point. Uh, and someone's had a question about um, sort of realistic versus sort of cartoonish sculpts in the toy line. Who was that? Yeah, I was just looking at the green tooling ones over and noticed that the, the Luke one, the, Je the Luke Jedi, uh, is about 10% bigger than the, the, the actual one. I'll tell you about that. It has a very realistic sculpt and I was just wondering why that was made. Because uh, <coughs> the particular tools, um, what we did, we cast brilliant copper from those masters mm. so we'd make a silicon mold and then uh, use a ceramic to make to do the brilliant copper castings mm. and you've got a shrinkage rate with brilliant copper it's about 16th I'm, I'm imperial now 16th there per inch so that's why they're a little bit bigger the green figures yeah. to allow for the shrinkage of the cavity which is brilliant copper that's right the yeah. head as well is, is like a much more realistic sculpt compared to like, I, I assume the figures. Like a, a style guy. That yeah, I mean, cartoon, doesn't it? yeah, I mean, they, they are the masters, they are sharper yeah. and will be, but of course when you do the casting, after you've got the casting off, there is a little bit of uh, tooling work required to obviously make them, um, shall we say, more presentable to the moulders, so there's a lot of hand work, so I mean, polishing. Yeah. Shot blasting, very very fine shot blasting, etc. On on the cavities. Okay, we've got so, through. Um, thank you, Roger. Carry on on that. Sorry, question. yes. Please do. So, how far away from the original Kenner? Just on what you're talking about there, you might have had to. Would overuse of a of a mould mean that you would have to repair it along the way, for example? And then, would it ever have to go back to America for them to go? Well, you've gone too far here, actually with your repairs, it doesn't look enough like the original figure. And oh, no, no, no. Just sort of... Yeah. No, I'll be truthful. I mean, the actual figures as such, those tools are very, very simple, really. So you don't have a lot really go wrong with that unless there's some somebody drops it or does right. it. Because, I mean, even the cavities are brilliant copper. We do harden those to a certain extent. And all the tooling, really, was fully hardened. It was quality tooling because... It gave the purchasing department at, at Panitor to tr move it around the trade, uh, and obviously if you're moving a bit of steel from here to there, it can get damaged. So I mean, the tooling was of a good quality, even when we made the product it, or made the tooling in the UK. But you sent all the damaged stuff over to Spain, yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Spain, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought so. <laughs> yeah. The but, um, definitely weren't as good as. Uh, yeah, I mean the damage the damage we'd get on the American tools really. It'd be uh, what we call like flash. It's, it's, it's when you get a little bit of plastic coming off the side. It's where the tool's worn, or is it after a time, obviously. You put them in an injection moulding press, and there's a lot of tonnage there closing it, so you don't get that. Of course, after a while, you will get a bit of damage there, or you get it's 
just just ordinary damage. So that that's the only really damage or problems we had, ejectors and things like that. But there, nothing there, nothing too major. There is one thing I've told. I was talking to somebody earlier on. You had to make a new tool, a new mould for the uh, top of the Millennium Falcon. Yes, we did indeed. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. I was talking to the guy and saying, "Have you noticed any difference to the Kenner uh, Millennium Falcon top to the Python Millennium Falcon top? Whether there's any difference there?" But you copied the. Mm. Yeah, did you have the patterns? Yeah, yeah, yeah exact patterns. But and it was cast. Here's a challenge. You know, can you see any any difference in a Kenner Millennium Falcon top and a Python one? Mm. Uh, was that, it, should I, be, it should be identical, but there might be something different. I suppose, did, did you guys mention that, that some of the tools were, were purposefully destroyed towards the end of the line? Well, Roger's, Roger's well, uh, yeah. assistant did yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> when Pally Toy closed, yeah, they had to destroy a lot of them. All the action men t- uh, yeah. tooling, which were lovely tools, they were. Yeah. They were all laid yeah. out in the, in the old um, up, ovens area, wasn't, wasn't yeah. it, uh, John? Yeah. And the ovens are gone. Yeah. They were all laid out, all the tooling that we had. And your colleague, yeah, Chris, 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 Chris Ward, Chris Ward yeah. had a big lump hammer. <laughs> and he went around the tools and smashed up the insides, the cavities. And there was a man from the government signing them all off. And then a bloke came with a truck and they all went up for scrap. Yeah. Did any escape? I don't know. No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, any in a landfill nearby? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Or loft. <laughs> um, so we, we've actually, we, we've gone through all the written questions now, so let's freestyle. Who's got a question? Just put your hand up. Uh, Richard. Yeah. Notice that some of the Star Wars um, parts of some vehicles were reused in later lines. So what was the thinking behind that? What would we use? Um, is it called the Volvo Skull? Is it the? Oh yeah. The yeah. Action Force. Yeah, the Action Force line, you know. Um, oh, Action Force. Yeah. So oh. a lot of those are reused Star Wars parts, and I was just wondering oh, right. how you got that past Kenner and things like that. Don't think they noticed actually. <laughs> <laughs> in, yeah, yeah. I I designed the Robo Skull, <laughs> and uh, when I made the, pr- the prototype, the first model was just a piece of clay that I sculpted and stuck some wings on the side. And I took it to marketing for a new products meeting, and uh, they and I what's the name of the character? Skeletron was it? No, not not Skeletron. Skeletron. I did Skeletron, and I said this is the pilot, and this and, and not Skeletron. Uh, no, it's not Robo. I called I called Skeletron Robo Skull, and I called the vehicle something else. I can't remember what it was. Probably Skull Fighter or something. <laughs> And they said, no, that, that's Robo Skull, the vehicle. And they wanted to go with it, but we want a new, we want a new pilot. So I had to go and design a new pilot, which was Red Wolf. Um, so, and I did pinch bits off of Star Wars vehicles, I think. Uh, was it the... The canopy at the front, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You used Brian's did, clips yeah. again as well, didn't you? Hey? For that. You used Brian's Some clips point. again for Action Force, didn't you? Did we? Oh yeah, we, we we did design the we designed the um yeah we designed the uh, card um, play center HQ yeah, Brian's clips. You realise in a hundred years, some archaeologist is going to find these clips. Cardboard away. These are brilliant. What are they? What are they for? What are we using for? Another question. Uh, yes, sir. 
Uh, just wondering what your initial thoughts of Star Wars was, and whether the toys would actually be successful. All of you, really, you know. What we saw first was the film. Yeah. And we knew it was going massive. We hadn't seen any drawings, we didn't see any toys, but we knew, as Bernie Lewis said when he first saw the film, he said there was a toy in every shot. And there was. And you could see, we didn't know how they were going to do the toys, but we knew that it was going to be successful. Yeah, the expression in the toyetic. Toyetic, yeah. That's toyetic. Another question. Uh, yes, Pete. Um, how much stuff that was thrown away um, ended up at someone's house? If at if all. Mainly his. <laughs> John? None. I weren't interested in it. He's a job. A lot of samples that I have never went back. <laughs> Unfortunately, I never saved them and gave them all away. Uh, we, had, we had a factory shop um, for the staff. Um, and uh, you go in the factory shop with a big black bin liner and fill it with toys you wanted and get to the end, you know. They were all seconds of returns, weren't they, from yeah. retailers and the sticker on, you couldn't say it again, things like that, or the paint wasn't right or something. Um, some good ones as well, but you go in this big plastic bag and you get to them in the queue and they say, five pound please. <laughs> That's three or four hundred quid's worth in there. <laughs> and I didn't put any in the loft. It all went to friends and family. I kept a plastic bag though. I kept a plastic bag, yeah, that was a bit now, aren't they? Was it yeah. 200 quid for a plastic bag? Is it 200? Yeah, yeah. I've got one of those. Have you? James, another question. I've got another question regarding a figure that has seemed to come out of Pantoy, um, and possibly the Pantoy shop, in fact, and it's, it's, a, it's a tooling question. So, it's a tooling question. So, it's a completely different skull on the Death Squad Commander, um, and the boots kind of look like British Army boots, whereas the other ones, I don't know if you one from a cab, but I haven't got a normal one with me. The boots on the normal one are really thin, soles. Oh, yeah, there's one over there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just wondered, <laughs> it's a unique tool. It's only mark. found in the UK as well. Yeah, it, it's only found in the UK. It's a yeah. unique mould and it's only really found around the Palatoy area and there's no evidence that it was ever produced on cards. Well, I said we didn't do that in, I don't remember doing that at all, the boot. No, no. Yeah. No. But this wouldn't have been moulded yet, it would have been moulded in Hong Kong. Hong Kong, Hong Kong, as I say, so, so I would have thought, I would have thought, I mean, it's such low numbers and examples, not like the others, but if I said there was 100 known in the world, 50 maybe, but they all come from around Leicester. Do you know? Oh, okay. yeah. Strange, I, isn't it? I, I got, Sorry. I got my examples from Never on a card, either. Yeah, so yeah. It works at yeah. Palatoy, but it from there. Do you know what year? Yeah. Well, I've been writing just about that figure, a whole book. I've trying to work out whether it happened at the beginning, and Ken kind of looked at it and said that's too far away from the original figure. Or it happened towards the end where they were going to go big and then obviously the line ended and they weren't going to put that figure on the power of the force cards anyway. Do, do you know how they had a, 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 sliding, plate, cork. a sliding core come out to do the holes? Yeah. The, 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 the legs are moulded up and down like that. Yeah. But there's a sliding core. Takes the pin out. Takes the pin pulls out. Pulls the hole. So that comes out first. Oh, 
and then it opens up to the leg yeah, drops out. So it drops out. out. Now, that's right. Probably what happened yeah. there is that they didn't have the right sliding core there in Hong Kong, and a load of them came over here. Our quality control saw it and chucked them in a bin. Yeah. We see the the Uber the Uber uh, disco boots death squad commander flying through the air. Uh, luckily, he was caught. Uh, another question, please. He's got another question. Sorry. Has anyone got more questions about it? Yes, sir. How come the Hong Kong didn't pick up the kind of add down space for the original 12-pack bells and stuff like that? Have you decided to do your own? So the point of sale materials. Yeah, what do you do? Oh, okay. Is it nice? We picked up from Kenner whatever we could. Because obviously they had it pre-approved by Lucasfilm, yeah. uh, so we had most of their TV commercials. Um, I'm about the shop displays. Oh, actual shop displays. No, we, we would have, we would have actually probably not use those. Um, we we went for more um, card produced or PVC produced display pieces on the shelf, because we were trying to draw attention to the product. Yeah. Uh, but to be honest with you, we couldn't keep it on the shelf long enough to to put any big displays in. I think on Star Wars it just wasn't time to do it. We were so panicked for most of the couple of years before Empire Strikes Back, we just didn't have the time to do it. Okay, uh, another question? Yes, sir. Um, did Palatoy keep any sales figures for the individual figures, or were you just across the board? I'm just interested if you knew what was the best selling figure, like you sell 10 million figures, <coughs> but only half a million layers. I know that uh, I wasn't there all the time, so I, I left to go and do Star Wars in Europe. Um, and I know when I left altogether, we reached. I think it was 8 million figures across Europe. And the biggest portion of that would be Darth Vader, obviously, in various guises. Um, I mean, the, the main characters were by far the biggest sellers. Um, and the rest were all peripheral, very low volume compared with that. Um, but the problem was, because of that, how did you get it on the shelf to sell in the first place? Because retailers wanted to cherry pick just the main characters. So we have to control how the packs are sent out to them and so on. On the flip side, once any particular products you couldn't get shot off at all. There was a particular problem. Um the poster on the board there was a guy called Oh I don't know, see that Peter Waterman there? Yeah. Oh okay, Peter Waterman. Peter Waterman, yeah. Peter Waterman was um oh, he's a really nice guy. He was Procter and Gamble. And he decided to bring in a lot of P and G people at marketing manager level, and they weren't used to toys, toys <laughs> and the rapid swings around in market share. For them, they'd be euphoric to see a half-point move in market share. We were looking for 15, 20, 25 percent. And what they thought was, because they had particular skills in maintaining product, they thought when they came in, 
they could maintain port sails between the movies at the level of the sails during the movie year. And we, we old school, old school <laughs> people tried to warn them about it. And Tesco was sold the Millennium Falcon in bucket loads. And I remember once going down there with the sales director and he wanted to sell some new soul and parked in there. And the, the buyer said, just come with me. And he slipped his tour back on the whole warehouse with Millennium Falcon. And he said, get rid of that and maybe we'll tour. That's the only time I ever got to hear about that sort of thing. Uh, did he have a follow-up question? question? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if any other guys in the room remember this, but I only remember it from Empire onwards. Um, but in 1980, so for a couple of years, being completely used to everything being palatoy, and in 1980, even as a kid, we were all kind of aware of Kenner yep. and that those were American products. Yep. And I thought, I didn't best in fatigue figure, um, in 1980 when it first came out, and I got it on a Kenner card in a UK shop, and it kind of had a little bit of playground kudos that who had a Kenner one. Um, so I'm assuming that was just you couldn't get enough product out, so you just dragged stuff in from. But do you remember? Was there any Kenner? I never saw any Kenner figures on the shelf. No. What would have happened in that the case? There's a problem with that, and I don't know if you know the pack well enough. We would still have had to put a CE mark on it. The Palatoy address and the Palatoy logo. What used to happen is that if there was any stock that people in the States couldn't sell, they just shipped it straight over to us in the, in the US, straight to retail. You'd have a major um, wholesaler in the UK who would buy direct from the US um, and just bring the stock in. They wouldn't get it tested, they wouldn't get it certified or anything else, they just put it on the shelf. It could have been that. And you. There was nothing you could do to control no, it. No, there's no way we'd try and or stop you, it. You, care, you know, by the time we found it, it'd already been you know, yeah. on the shelf and you couldn't stop it. Right. Okay, we've got time for a couple more questions. Uh, who's got another question? Uh, oh, God, yes, yeah, it's, it's more for you. The, um, your artwork, you said you just you did some of the posters. There was a lot of um, comic booky style posters in the 2018 of the outfits. I was just wondering whether you had any kind of oversight. Yeah. that's just purely marketing. Yeah. It's where Gentleman Brian Bolland uh, was the yeah, artist. Brian Bolland, Sorry? Brian Bolland was the artist who did the uh, the adverts into oh, 2018. Not, not familiar not with the Jackie Mead. No. Yeah. Do you know a guy called Frank Blanford? He did some of the Jedi posters, uh, Palatoy posters, the uh, Emperor special offer. Um, it was a Chewbacca special offer as well. Um, he was quite a famous comic book artist, and I'm just wondering no. if you remember. Didn't know. The, the name rings a bell, which it, I didn't know. Right. So <laughs> mainly all the packaging, in pack um, leaflets, posters, things like that. Really. Would you have done the landscape box? See? Would you have done the landscape box? Because that's different. I can't remember if it is that. Because that's different. I think you would have done Dave. Because it's, it's not the chemical. Anything with a palace or logo on, I think that we would have done. Mm. The, the, the Kenner one had to flip up. That's thing, right. Yeah. 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 I think we would have done that one day. Yeah. I, I would have thought so. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. well, I mean, that's what we did. Put yeah. the Palatoy logo on the address, changed any American spellings. So did you do the photography as well? It's yeah, I did quite a lot of photography. Right. Okay. Certainly for, for all the leaflets <laughs> we did or 
things like that. I did all photography at local while in Wixton. I've got some transparencies in my car for you if I found before I came out. <laughs> well, lots tra- of transparencies that were, that's, that's what we used at the time for the artwork. The photography for the part of the is, is largely sort of agreed upon that it is better than it's, the Kenner stuff. It's, it's Kenner artwork, really. Kenner, Kenner design, yeah. we've overlaid it. Say, the, the one at the back, the Death Star is the only one that was original. Yeah. Oh, you, you did the Destroy did Death Star game on as well. The artwork for the game, though. For the game. Have you seen it at the front? When you came in? Happy yeah, was. I can't remember. I was getting old, it's a long while ago. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't October. It was about 40 years ago. <laughs> 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 another, another question for the panel. Yes, sir. Um, I know um, you've just been telling us, obviously, a lot of the figures, most of them are moulded in the Far East and brought into the UK. Was Spain, was there a factory in Spain actually injection moulding its own figures? They, uh, they did some um, some vehicles and that, but I don't remember them doing any figures over there. No, I don't remember any figures over there. So what, it's just all sort of Middle East. Yeah, and we, the America and UK control it, but it's all yeah, and also in the Middle East. Sometimes we'd send out some additional bits of tooling for them to manufacture for Europe as opposed to the States. Kenner opened an office in Hong Kong, and um, typical of the Americans. They gave all their work priority as opposed to the UK or Europe. And um, Howard Woden, who was like production director, he um, got that changed a little bit and went out there. And uh, we we took then more of a share of the uh, the office over there with regards employees to work on European projects as well as some of the staff there working on American projects. So then it, uh, yeah, it, it gave us a bit more, in, in, well, more, more urgency from the point of view of sourcing stuff out there. Oh, yeah. And did you, did you guys hear the story about um, a Millennium Falcon that was cracked open recently? And uh, inside was a handwritten piece of paper by one of the guys in the factory. He said, I've been working, this is the 250th Millennium Falcon I've put together today, yeah. and I haven't even earned enough money to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been me saving the company money. Thank <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, John. <laughs> That's why they called me Penny Farthing on the shop floor. I was so generous with the company money. <laughs> okay, has, has anyone got well, Anyone who's not asked this question at all would like to ask one? Uh, Craig Spivey. I'd like to ask a question about the, the Bounty Hunter on pack promotion. So... If I remember rightly, Action Man had the stars. Yeah. And I was used to cutting the stars off the boxes and sending those into things. And then these Bounty Hunter, you know, the Boba Fett logo started to appear on the boxes. And then when the actual promotion appeared, it was you cut the names off the action figure cards. So were there, were there plans to do something with the, um, the on-pack logos? And why didn't that sort of really... I think, I'm not sure. I think that might have been because... We didn't know at that time how strong Boba Fett would be and that it would go into the general range, so we thought we'd hold it back as a promotional giveaway and to try to replicate the, uh, the Star, uh, the, uh, star Ski, the matching one. Um, and I think at the point of that, and then when we realised how big it was, we kind of abandoned it because we didn't want to give away the crown jewels. So I don't think it ever got off the crown, but the packaging was already done. Happened a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. Uh, we, we've sort of arrived now, sadly, at the end of the Q&A. Um, I, I think uh, we should all thank the panel for their well-considered, patient and uh, very interesting responses. Um, we, we've all learned a lot about Palatoy that perhaps we, we didn't know. And, you know, 
fingers crossed there will be more Palato exhibitions, more retrospectives, maybe books, you know, it's it's, it's, it's knowledge that we all want shared with the world, and thank you for doing that tonight. Please, let's give a really big round of applause. Thank you again for travelling to Colville tonight, and I should wish you all a safe journey home. You're welcome to stay, enjoy the exhibits for a little bit longer, um, and, and thank you. Very nice to see all of you tonight. Thank you. Over to this month's NA with the little peanut Jez. Hello, what have we here? Ah, good. New acquisition. Lads, do you know what? This has been brilliant. It's been really, really great. It, it was being shown off, particularly on the forums. And before I, before I crack on too much, Stu, you mentioned last month about how, you know, you start to get a little bit disillusioned and, you know, the, a lot of negativity and stuff like that, which you'd seen. And um, and almost all of my new acquisition research, which I've been doing, has been on the forum. Actually, there's some of the forums um, in particular. I've got to give a shout out to, uh, to Tantive. It's just all lovely. It's just all really nice. Everyone's really complimentary. People have been showing some stuff off. So actually, you know, when we've said, well, let's get off of Facebook. Yeah, I genuinely do think is people seem to be a little bit more keyboard warrior-ish. And, and it's just been lovely viewing all the stuff. So let's start off, as we always do, on Stoll's from UK. I think it was page 2277, and um, it's APAC7229 is his um, forum name. And he's put on a Cinerama theatre ticket, a cinema ticket from 1980, June the 9th, 1980. And it's The Empire Strikes Back. It's just lovely because it just, you know, it encapsulates that day. And it made me do a little bit of Googling, actually, on Cinerama uh, in the background to them. But, yeah. £4 ticket to the Empire Strikes Back. It's just something like that. Probably in Cossier. And uh, I would, yeah, something like that, I think, in a collection is awesome. Um, I think the whole Beyond the Toys thing is just um, really, really coming on strong now. And, and uh, congrats, APAC. I, th- I think that's great. And uh, yeah, that's where it's all started. That's why we're fans, because of the movie. Good. Moving on to page 2279. It was Steve, Steve Savory. Darth Vader Sigma, but this one was a little bit different. Now, I had no idea. Metal Sigma items. Now, I started Googling this. I started looking out for information. I was putting in Darth Vader Sigma Metal. And all I was getting 
were YouTube videos to sort of metal bands and, and songs and stuff like that. So, well, fortunately, you've on with us tonight. And also, Stu, you're a bit of a sick fanatic. So, guys, can you help me out? Just tell me a little bit about this Darth Vader Sigma Beauty. Um, well, I, I picked it up having picked up at Vectis uh, a couple of job lots of Sigma somewhat swayed by seeing some lovely pictures of uh, Stu's Sigma collection and I got a little bit of a bug for it so I had a little nose around on eBay saw what, what else there was out there and this thing really caught my eye it sold for about £12 it was no money at all really it doesn't have the the stopper in the bottom of it but most of them don't because the stopper that goes in the bottom is actually just a sheet of paper that's then got a rubber fitting that you'd expect in the bottom of a of a money box fitted into that piece of paper so as you'd imagine it's usually missing on these and it's certainly missing on mine but the one thing that i really liked about this apart from being metal which is quite distinctively different for the sigma line is is just the proportions of it i think it's a really beautiful dinky little sculpt it's almost like like, like a christening gift type type product rather than some of the other pieces that are either a little bit oversized or a little bit a little bit crazy looking this one's this one's got that kind of slightly cleaner look to it so that's that's why i picked it up you're right with the stopper steve you know what i've i've owned three of these had three of them come through since i've been collecting sigma and i've still not seen one with a stopper yet come up for sale um i've been collecting it what four and a half years now but um, it was, I don't know why it's metal. I don't know, it's anodized, isn't it? But mm. I don't know why they made one piece of this. And it's the only piece made for the UK market. I'm not sure whether it was actually made in the UK. But it's very strange. They made one piece for the UK and they use metal when Sigma as a as a company is is a ceramic company. So I can never find online anywhere why that is, that is the case with it. But yeah, I totally agree. It's an awesome, awesome piece. Goes in really well with the collection. Mm. Nice yeah. pick up, Steve. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, nice one, mate. You have learned much, young one. Impressive. Most impressive. Staying on page 2279. Again, I love this. It was Kuma75. He had a die-cast display. Now, I've got a die-cast X-Wing, and, you know, I think they look all right. Carded stuff, you see them. Majority of time, you see kind of a little bit beat up. It's loose. For some reason, just having these displayed on acrylic stands looks fantastic. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen this on page 2279. He's got a great display. So not only has he got carded versions, he's got mint on card die-cast ships in acrylic cases. In front, he's got a loose version of them. And these must be sort of positioned. I don't know, they're probably about two inches or so, if that, off off the shelf. It really, it really makes them stand out. And my love, joy or, or admiration, I would say, for the die-cast line, massively increased. I think they look phenomenal. I think they look awesome. In particular, I love the Slave 1 because the uh, the actual stand which has got for this one has got it in flight, as we've seen it in the movies. And, uh, yeah, really, really looks great. You guys seen these? I've talked to Ian a couple of times in the past about these display stands and... I've never really thought, oh, I've got to go and order one. I've got my die cast actually on my Palatoy Death Star, so they are basically sitting in the hangars um, around the the Death Star. But I'm looking at these photos now, and I think Ian needs to take some of these photos and put them on his website or on his Facebook page or something, because they are really pushing the displayability of these items. When I'm thinking of the pressure that must be coming down on the wings of the Darth Vader's TIE, uh, the TIE bomber, um, and these obviously are designed to take all the pressure off them. I think I think they they are looking really really good. I, I'm really impressed with these. Yeah, you're right, mate. Ian does need to look at these uh, if hasn't done already, because also it's the the Y wing 
I think the white wing one is brilliant because it's got the inspired bit of actually having a little area for you to have bomb position. As you know, the, the bomb is always the bit which comes missing from the Y wing. Brilliant display. So it was a very quick shout out. Kuma 75, and it was um, shown off some of Ian as acrylic. And uh, page 2279 of Star Wars Forum UK, really great way to show off your die cast. And from my point of view, stock values of die cast should have rocketed after PC. They do look really, really great. I have chosen to test this station's destructive power on your home planet of Alderaan. No. So moving on. Whilst we're, we're talking about displays and, and ways to display things really, really well, very, very quick, sort of shout out, but also discussion on page 2283. Um, the guy goes by using Darkest Logic, displaying card backs. Now, card backs is, you know, something which I've had in my collection from, from time to time. I've got a few, but it's all that whole, well, how do you display them? How do you display them? And he's just quite simply kind of put them on, on show there in a... Um, in a, in a folder in a lot of poly pockets and i'm like you know what that's actually fairly simple and and cheap and it's a, it's a reasonable way to do it i mean how do you guys display your card bags do you have any what, what would you do can you think of another better way of displaying card bags i've already got two or three card bags left now i, I wouldn't do it with a proof card with proof cards i'm using Ian's GW acrylic um, proof cards for those holders but for the card box I, I, I do use that kind of method where it's just a simple poly pocket but I've also done the same with the top trading cards as well so you can buy these A4 um, quite good quality plastic pockets and you can put come over 9 or 12 in one sleeve and you can have them back to back as well so you can fit quite a lot of them in an A4 folder and what I'm looking for to really set it off is um, either a vintage Star Wars folder, a uh, ring binder, or to see if there's, you know, how they've released a lot of the modern stationery again using the Marvel comic covers and things like that. I'm looking to pick up an A4 ring binder that I can put all of my tops trading cards and all my um, all my card backs and all that kind of stuff because it takes up next to no room at all. So it it is a great show. It's a great idea. I, I know others use the top loaders, um, and I, ha- I have I've had a couple of top loaders in my time, but. The, I think the problem with top loaders is, yes, they protect them well, but still, you know, what do you do with them? Do you stand them up? Do you do you put them in comic boxes? You know, it's it's, it's still a problem, but very cheap, great way of displaying it, as far as I'm concerned. Back to back, Rich. You want better see the backs. It's all about the front speed. <laughs> Don't think so. It's all about the backs as well for me. The simplicity of the fact that he's, he's got them there, you can see the front and backs, and they can go over, you know, you can just... Flick them just like your book, just like a book, just page turners, page turners of car packs. Now, I think that works more so than, say, top loaders. So I think a, a great combination could be a top loader, but with some, um, with some sort of punches, some holes, so they could be attached into a ring binder. It would be brilliant because they're secure. The only thing which I was thinking of with the poly pockets, you know, if you if you tipped your folder slightly or if you didn't carry it right or what have you, they can very easily slide out. So I was thinking, right, what I'd probably be doing is get a mailed staple gun, just not to uh, not to staple the cards at all, but obviously to try and sort of crimp the poly pocket shut just but just above the card on either side to keep it in place. But yeah, I'd be interested to see how else people do display or show off their card bags. But I just thought, yeah, simple, nice, cheap, and uh, and a great way of doing it, and we're not taking up much space. So nice one, man. Maneuver. Stay on target. We're too close. Stay on target. Loosen up! 
as you know, from a show notes point of view, that was it for Star Wars Forum UK. As I said at the beginning, it was really nice actually just going through and looking at people's stuff. And, and since we submitted the show notes and whilst we've had a little bit of a delay, I've had a very quick look through some other stuff. It's never ending on Star Wars from UK. Andy Preston has put on a whole load of stuff. But in particular, I liked his uh, Black Falcon Empire Strikes Back pillowcase. A whole lot of great stuff. That was awesome. Um, Clark's Pie and Chips. He had a bulk purchase of micro ships. I still need to get the old micro collection. I still need to get one of those. That was great to see. But of particular note, I loved um, Stormcab got a 45 Palatoy Empire Strikes Back Dengar with the main blade. Uh, it's unpunched. And what I really loved about this, what I thought, oh man, that's awesome. It's as well as being unpunched. It's got a John Menzies sticker. So it's got a John Menzies price ticket, which was a really, really popular shot in the UK and uh, £1.50. And uh, it's got the tick marks on the rear where people are sort of crossed off or figures they've got one in etc um, but he was delighted with this because he reckons he got it for about a tenth of the price of a uh, you know an untainted one now bear in mind this is sealed this is a sealed palatoy minton card the only issue is the, the marks on the rear and the fact that the nameplate is missing but recently one with ink touch-ups went for 1400 pounds so for him to get it for you know not much more than 100 i, I think it's bargain and actually there was a lot of debate about this and i know we've spoken in the past about what you do with a nameplate do you put another card behind it do you cover it with a fake nameplate i think i'll just leave it in situ i think i just leave it as it is because it tells the story it's for me the whole point of collecting stuff is, is the reminiscing and the storytelling i would leave it guys what would you do with that nameplate i mean i know i know i haven't shown you this image but you can picture it if you had a really really nice mint on carded figure but the nameplate was more you do i'd leave it as well i agree with you it's part of the story i mean what else could you do with it you could put another cord back behind it i've seen that before i think was it chris mann was a champion of displaying things in that way or possibly michael smith one of the two so i've seen that but it doesn't distract it doesn't distract from it and and if if it does bother you you can use it as a placeholder until you get another one totally agree with me but i just thought yeah definitely worth a chat because you know i'm all about the bargains and i think he did well there other things which i want to mention on page 2288 uh, sorry 2287 jabber wookie um he's mentioned i love it when we do this when we influence people or affect people and people listen to the podcast and then end up buying something themselves and, um, and it was the Jabberwock, he said he's got a TVR-inspired purchase of read-along tapes from the last episode. So he's got Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Jedi, uh, Return of a Jedi, Ewoks doing a fight, and Droid World, and four cassettes to go with them. He said all he needs now is a Sony Walkman, and, uh, and he's sorted. Yeah, it's nice to see that um, after uh, listening to the podcast, people end up sort of going, oh, yeah, I might want one of those myself. On page 2288, uh, really, really lovely to see um, Andy Preston. He's had a major collecting goal achieved today. It might just be a tatty cheese spread container, but he's been after an Empire Strikes Back Dairy Lee box for so long. Thank you, Sublevel Studios. He loves it. You came nothing? You're braver than I thought. Nice. Come on. Right, so that's it for Star Wars Forum UK at the moment. Moving over to Tantive. If you are just wound up in the Star Wars collecting world, just ditch Facebook for a week and just get yourself over to Tantive or Star Wars Forum UK or even Tig because people are just nice. We had a nice little thread called Show Us Your Boxed Items thread. And, and it's exactly that. It's just a thread of people showing off their boxed items in a really lovely way. So, um, yeah, we'll look at that. But it was on page nine of their sort of latest acquisitions, Commander Clint, with some coolie cups. Now, I'm going to put this to you guys. I haven't left any sort of questions in the notes or anything, but coolie cups what are you aware of these things because um yeah i wasn't really that familiar with them 
I'm kind of hurt over to you. Well, I do know, and I'm not sure why, but there's a load of them have just appeared on Facebook in the last few days because I've been looking at myself and thinking, should I pull the trigger? Should I not pull the trigger? I'm I'm going down the Dixie Cup routes. I mean, I think the artwork on the Dixie Cups is far better, but uh, I do have an admiration for the Cooley Cups as well, but it's just not another license that I want to go down and start collecting. But yeah, there's quite a few on Facebook at the moment. I think the guys want between 5 and $10 per cup, depending on uh, condition of the cups, but yeah, n- nice items. On Tantiv, Clint's there, putting up loads of stuff, and he puts up these coolie cups. And I'm thinking to myself, I haven't really, um, I haven't really seen these before. I start googling them, looking at them, and I do see uh, a poster first of all, and it says Star Wars cups. Purchase a 16 ounce serving of frozen Coca Cola and keep the cup. There are 20 different designs. And you look at the poster and you think, do you know what? I know what you just said about the artwork. You prefer on some of the others. But the, the, this artwork, there are some classic pictures there already on this poster. So there are nine on the poster. There's a cracking one of Luke in the gunner's chair in the Falcon. It's an artwork from behind. So you see him sort of lying down and you see the gun. You see TIE fighters comes in. It's brilliant. There's another one with Jarrah's carrying R2-D2. There's one with Luke in the training ball on the Falcon. I mean, how did you get to see with uh, Han, Luke and Leah in the trash compactor? There are some really interesting and different sort of um, different concepts there. But I continue to look. I was trying to look for all 20 and I was looking around and there were lots of pictures of say you know 12 or 15 I couldn't find a full set and I thought right where is probably at the moment the best place to find information about cups drinking vessels actually back on Tantiv so I stopped searching like the internet as a whole and went back onto Tantiv put it into their search engine saying coolie cups and lo and behold yeah straight away They've got a load of information and they're all there. This is, again, why I just can't stop raving about Tantive because they've got everything there. It says this set of 20 plastic cups was available at various convenience store chains. It's a promotional giveaway, Coca-Cola Company printed on the back, but it's been found with several different store brand brand logos added as well. There are at least four versions. So there's versions with Coke only, Coca-Cola slash Coolie, Coca-Cola slash Coolie Lil General, and Coca-Cola slash Coolie Shopping Go. So does that mean that theoretically there are at least 80 of these to collect if you were a completist? I don't know. But as you said, Rich, they, they started off at 39 cents and uh, actual cup size is there, uh, it says they're about six inches tall, they're about four inches or just over three inches wide. So on one side, they've got the graphic and then on the other side, it's got a lot of writing about it. So I'm looking at Stormtrooper down the, uh, Stormtrooper shooting his weapon down the Death Star, um, down the um, sort of um, prisoner prisoner cell block area. Han and, Han and Chewie in a classic pose. As I said already, trash compactor stuff. There are loads. I'm not going to list them all, but there was one thing which I really, really know. Tarkin. There's one, uh, Darth Vader, Leia and Tarkin. And it actually says, Darth Vader and Moff Tarkin, the power-hugging Greek governor of the Imperial Outland. And it, it gives you a whole load of information there. It said before that there wasn't much Tarkin uh, memorabilia out there or, or, or stuff for Tarkin. Don't think we mentioned the Cooley Cups. So I think we just increased the amount of Tarkin stuff available by about 20%. I think I'm going to be purchasing these before the end of the year. Oh, yeah, love this one. Lab, this is a classic. Pete, you'd like this one. 
Ham, Leah and Luke, after they've have just blown up the Death Star and they're walking along. You know that classic scene at the end where they all rejoin and they're arm on arm, Leah's in the middle and they're just walking off. It's that image, but face on. Really, really nice. But the, the greatest thing is all of this information is available in one place on Tantive. And with their amazing engine, it's just been easy. We're going to go over to Facebook now and, uh, and Rich, you're first up, mate. What have you seen? And uh, tell us all about it. Well, it was something that I spotted on the Palatoy Collector Group, and I do really like flicking through these smaller niche groups such as this one. And it was a post made by Derek Lane Waters on November the 14th. And his post reads, He has proof as how good Palatoy's customer service was. In 1981, I lost Leah's tiny blaster. So I wrote to Palatoy asking for a spare, and they sent me back a bag of around 20 various guns, including a Leah one. My parents had to write a cheque for 50p. Now years later, I opened up my Palatoy desktop playset, and guess what fell out of the fold in the cardboard base? Leah's long lost blaster. So that was absolutely amazing, but that's only just part of it, because I also want to talk about what else he had on there. So he's got the original envelope, which is just a small plain envelope with the Palatoy company stamp on it, um, addressed to Master D. Waters in West Sussex, and he's uh, blocked some of the address out. But he's also got the repair note, which is um, it's an acknowledgement from Palatoy stamp 78029, which basically says replacement weapon. And then he's got another pink repair note as well, which has an invoice for the 50p, which has 35p for the replacement weapon and 15p postage and it's got stamped on there paid by check 25th of august 1981 what a fantastic little set of paperwork that means far more than that little Leah blaster so i've never seen that paperwork before it's absolutely brilliant i'm looking at the stamp actually on the on the postcard the stamp actually says the 2nd of june 1981 and 11 and a half pence postage so i wonder if he's been robbed of three and a half p on the postage or whether they've taken a little bit of time out for packaging Oh no, actually I've got this wrong because he's posted another little card there and it's um, he's had two letters from Palatoy. So this one says, Dear customer, we thank you for your communication with regards to Star Wars guns. We regret that at the present we are out of stock of this item, but we will arrange to dispatch to you as soon as it's available. If you could find it necessary to contact us again, please telephone the number shown above. Assuring you of our attention at all times, Consumer Services Department. So he's he's had two two notices in Palatoy, and it's fantastic that he's found both of them. So so thanks, Derek. Cheers for sharing it. Hey, that's awesome. I did see those pictures, and uh, yeah, yeah, really, really great. So um, yeah, delighted for him. For my brother Anakin, I loved you. Moving over, right there, mate. With uh, with Ollie. Anyone knows Oliver Olsen, he's got, he's got an amazing collection and buys some amazing pieces. Um, things he puts up to, to sell are always like high quality, quite high high items of, you know, rarity. So he, he bought a poster, it's an Empire Strikes Back poster, the one that's uh, made up of like the Hollywood classics, you know, with the uh, the hand over layer, like Gone with the Wind or thing. It's got Luke on the Tom Tom. But uh, he was looking for this poster for five years and it is that poster, but the Norwegian version of it, which uh, I think... It, it's called Empirit Slartilbake, but uh, obviously not being Norwegian. Um, I know I'm pretty fluent in it, but I'm not sure quite whether that's how they pronounce it. But uh, he's been looking for it for years and years, and he's guessing that there's only probably five or six around in the world. It was the first first of the 
start any of the movie posters to be done in Norwegian. Star Wars didn't have any. And it's just so beautiful with the different logo. It's the, one of the best posters anyway of any of the movies. But um, with the Norwegian logo, it just looks amazing. And I just thought it was worth, worth a shout out because it is so rare. And someone like him who manages to pick up so many amazing pieces. Uh, it's taken him five years to pick up that piece when he, obviously he is Scandinavian. But um, yeah, just a shout out really, Jez. It really is that nice. I'll take your word for it. That's, uh, that's awesome. I recognised your foul stench when I was brought on board. We've been going over to Beyond the Toys and the stuff which they're showing is, is and this is no exception. So Pete, please, can you introduce what it is? Well, it's a rather striking poster. As in, it's striking because it's red and it's got uh, an offer of money on it, which is uh, always a good thing. Um, this is by Phil Heath. And it's Return of the Jedi and it's a, a £5,000 reward information leading to the arrest conviction of anyone responsible for the theft of a film in Hastings, which is a place in the south of England. Now, um, I've never seen this, this sort of thing before. And I thought, that's a bit odd. I mean, it's a, it's not the most, well, I say, it's not the most attractive poster. Um, it's, I mean, the red part of it is, is probably the, the best part of it. And of course, I've turned it to my logo, but, um, it was quite a, a, a serious thing at the time. Now, I don't know about you guys, but do you remember when you were, well, actually, none of you will because you're all like teenagers. But when I was a kid, um, and in like the early 1980s, everyone seemed to be having pirate videos because, if you wanted to buy a video cassette in a shop for a new film that came out, you couldn't just like always go into a normal shop and just go and buy one, for like, you know, a tenner. The ones that the films that came out and were offered for sale in video shops were usually about 100 quid. I remember a very wealthy friend of mine actually did that. And uh, we were all very jealous of him. And he's going to his house to watch. I can't remember what film it might have been. Um, Star, uh, Star Wars or, or something like that. But yeah, um, you, you couldn't really buy them. Uh, most people with videotapes would normally be taping stuff off the television. And as he went, but there was always a lot of pirating going on. And, um, and this leads to it. Now, I found an absolutely fascinating article about this because I wanted to know, one, where did the £5,000 reward thing come from? Um, why it was five grand? Um, did it? Did anyone ever get found out? Did anyone actually actually have that money? Did anyone, anyone stop it? But as we probably know, as you were kids, and like I said, because of videotapes, this was never stopped. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And uh, it was never a, a prevention. Jez. Do you have any recollection of these kind of things as a kid? These, you know, videotaping and, and dodgy, dodgy videos? Mate, I am convinced that the first time I ever watched Star Wars was on a moody tape because Star Wars, I, I saw it on a videotape, but Star Wars on TV until, I oh, know you've put me on the spot now, <laughs> Star Wars didn't actually come out on TV till like 1983 or, or something or other. Much after Empire Strikes Back came out, close even I think, to when Jedi came out. I think, when did guys find out we were right now? When did, when did Star Wars get first aired? Because I was definitely a collector of Star Wars before that, so I must have I must have watched a movie tape, mate. But it was a it was a pretty good quality, I think, from what I can remember. Yeah, I think it was. Um, I've got a feeling it was just was it just before, just after Return of the Jedi uh, they put it on. Oh no, it was eighty two, wasn't it? I think um, that it first came to TV. But anyway, this, this article I've talked about from the New York Times. Uh, this is nineteen eighty three, and uh, it talks about the the theft. So. I'm just going to read a little bit. We can always cut some of this out because it is a bit of a lengthy article, but there's some corking things in this. Uh, some great quotes from various movie industry people. So if you're okay with it, I'll, I'll kind of just go through it as much as I can. So you can always chop it a little bit, but there's some, some really good stuff. Um, it says, during the last two weeks, this summer's blockbuster movie, Return of the Jedi, has been stolen six times from theatres in three states and in Britain. The movie industry is certain that the objective in each case was to turn these 35mm prints into illegal 
home video cassettes to be shipped around the world. The latest such incident took place Thursday night when two thieves in clown masks stole a print of the movie at gunpoint from a theatre in Santa Maria, California. Earlier, thieves broke down theatre doors in Hastings, England and Sherman Oaks, California to get the great metal film cans. I mean, this people weren't messing around. This isn't just someone lifting a, a film for a bit of fun. This is serious business because, I mean, the amount of money people were charging for these things. It wasn't it wasn't a five here and there. People were then passing these on for, you know, a hundred dollars at a time. In South Carolina, the movie was inexplicably missing. And in Overland Park, Kansas, a projectionist was confronted in his theater's parking lot at midnight by an armed robber who forced him to return to the movie house and surrender the film. The police in South Carolina acted on a tip, found the missing print on a <laughs> country road two days later with its seal still intact. In the theft in England, an incomplete print was taken from a small theatre, but the movie industry believes that the other prints Return of the Jedi, a film that has earned £155 million in its first six weeks, probably have already been turned into video cassette. Now, Robert Grieber, president of Lucasfilm and the producer of Return of the Jedi, said, all those people who think it's a trendy thing to own a pirated tape are accessories. Someday, Someone's going to get hurt, and a person who buys a tape will be as guilty as a gunman who pulls the trigger. So, Jez, you're guilty. You are guilty. You're an awful man, Jez, for watching that pirated yeah. tape. Um, I uh, so when I was given the tape by a <laughs> friend of my father's, who said, "Oh, you might like that," and that's why I hadn't really heard of it because there was no hype really at that time with it on the TV or anything like that. So I was an unassuming, innocent party <laughs> in a in a horrific crowd. Well, apologies for that. Yeah, you're a terrible man. I hope that hasn't affected your billions of pounds. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I want to go where, where the five grand came from because I was interested to see, you know, why five grand? Was that just a thing? Now, it lead, this leads back to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, it was ready to be shipped to theatres, and Paramount wrote letters to the 1,200 theatre managers who will be playing it. And we reminded them we'd hold them responsible for safeguarding the print and suggest they personally made sure the movie was physically locked up each night and unlocked each morning. And those letters were responsible for the breakup of a major piracy operation. We got a tip from somebody who saw the letter posted on a theatre bulletin board in Benton Harbour, Michigan. Our informant said that at precisely 11.30 the next night, the Raiders print will be removed from the theatre and taken to Illinois. The Film Association's security office alerted the FBI and the thieves were trailed to their warehouse where 63 master tapes of first room movies were found. The theatre's projectionists have been paid £300 a week to supply the pirates with movies. And this was, was by a guy called uh, Mr. Moscaret of Paramount. Now, the informant who helped them out here was paid $5,000, Hollywood's apparently standard reward for such things. And after the previous week's theft of Jedi in, in Hastings in England, 20th Century Fox, the movie's distributor, took an advertisement in a large circulation British daily newspaper, The Sun, to advertise a $7,700 reward, which is obviously five grand, for information about the theft. So that's where it comes from. So somewhere there is a an advert in The Sun for this. So I'm assuming it's the same advert we see. Um, I think that's just a, a standard advert they probably put up in, in the cinemas and wherever. But um, yeah, somewhere people need to check their newspapers as well because uh, that could be a little cool little addition to that as well. So I wonder if... Uh, I wonder if Phil's got uh, an additional item to that. So it was running in this only the sun, though, which is quite interesting. It doesn't mention any of the newspapers. But um, yeah, what what a <laughs> what a fascinating little little thing. I, I, I couldn't believe how much, you know, how um, not how much. I can't believe how, you know, dangerous it is. I mean, these people being paid lots of money, people being shot and held at gunpoint. This, this is pretty bad. I mean, I can see why that, Jez, you would be guilty of such a crime. 
you know, you you know, wherever you got it from, those guys were were risking their lives sometimes to to move this film around. So yeah, so that uh, that advert has a lot of uh, provenance, I guess, and and I'm suddenly interested in getting one, so I'm gonna look out for it. Nice one, Pete. Yeah, I mean, do we know was that one ever recovered, or it was that they were advertising? No, apparently not. It, it that that was it. It just it never went any further than that. But yeah, it it just never went anywhere because the the, the videotape copying industry was just out of control. I mean, I mean, even President Reagan got involved, uh, actually made it. A prisonable offence if you were if you were found to be guilty of things. So in 1982, President Reagan signed a bill making film piracy a felonable punishable by five years in prison. And uh, recently, Universal won a 6.6 million dollar judgment in a civil court case in Britain against pirates of last summer's blockbuster movie E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Because that didn't come out on video until the until the mid to late 80s. Because of that case, effectively, and the fact that Spielberg didn't think that video cassette was a great you know delivery system for his films a bit like george lucas originally didn't want tv showing star wars so they were a bit precious about these films doing the rounds and uh yeah i mean it was a it was a big deal so no there was no no one got a reward it, it's too late by then i think that 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 first reward where it originally came from for that informant that that was long long gone by then long gone i i did actually write i did actually write to fact so um that's the federation against copyright theft to see if they had any information but uh they didn't have sort of those records available so there we go i'm massively appreciating your super sleuthing <laughs> and then uh, writing to facts as well good on you that's uh brilliant Yahoo! so there we go lads you know as i said it's been it's been great but i don't know if you've noticed a trend on this month's new acquisitions eight poster stew poster rich he had pack here with the uh, with the weapons and stuff like that coolie cuts bit of sigma forgotten about the toy completely gone up years in the ships normally at the end of new acquisitions we discuss a ship or some sort of mini rig or something or other and recognising that we'd completely forgotten or, or just walked over the figures now Stu you recently bought a figure with regards to your game your new loose collection reinvigorating yourself in love with a figure didn't you? a figure which came out of nowhere and you had no idea you just didn't see this come you didn't see how much you'd love this figure please mate you introduce it because this is going to feature we've got no idea how this is going to go but I'll feature it for the new acquisitions this month yes mate so like I said at the beginning of the show I've been buying loose figures and added um, I think I said 13 at the beginning of the show it's been really nice to, to re-pick them up and hold them in my hand and have another great look again and there's something magical about collecting a loose collection now I managed to pick up a stunning imperial dignitary no nose rub a really nice condition off eBay 40 quid it's calm it's lovely stiff and I, I was sitting in my office I was opening my bits and pieces up that arrived that day and I got this figure in my hand and it's the first time that I've ever sat there and truly appreciated the beauty of this figure it always gets a bad rap it gets a bad rap when I do the fallen figure of the year I see it constantly getting a bad rap on Facebook groups on forums people saying it is boring it is not it is lovely everything about it is just amazing the colours are amazing his little face is amazing if Rich was going to cosplay I think he would be this figure facially he's spot on just thought it was a good suggestion that maybe this month we looked at the Imperial Dignitary now I know there's not going to be a lot of packaging I know it's not going to feature on a lot of boxes or anything but just wanted to give him some love boys and I know for a fact you're all going to do the same this is another month for me with unnecessary Dublon pod you know interspersed within the podcast but yes you're absolutely right mate. it's um, a lovely fit but I think what we'll do because of the grandiose of the Imperial Dignitary you know he's there looks like a bishop etc we're going to go straight over to the Vintage Rebellion podcast Ron, and give us the full download what's and all about this fantastic figure and I, I know that Ron is a massive fan a massive fan so um, here we go the Rebel Alliance is too well equipped they're more dangerous than you realise Howdy guys, this is Ron Salvatore for the Vintage Rebellion Alliance. 
It's mid-November here, and things are starting to look a little gloomy. Gray skies, fair trees, chilly weather. What better time to talk about the Imperial Dignitary, the most authentically depressing figure in the vintage line? In truth, I was a little surprised to hear you were talking about the Dignitary, because what is there to say about the Dignitary? Here's my hot tip on the Imperial Dignitary. He's purple. He looks like Syce Fromm if Syce Fromm wasn't such a lard ass. The Dignitary was one of the 13 figures released as part of Kenner's 1985 Power of the Force line. To say it was among the least interesting of those figures would be to insult Warrock, who, who at least came with a bow, a quiver of arrows, and a devilish glint in his eye. Let's do Warrock a solid and admit that the Dignitary was absolutely the least interesting figure in the Power of the Force line. In contrast to Warrock, the only thing the Imperial Dignitary came with was a propensity for nose damage. The figure's head was shot in purple plastic, and the greenish paint on its face is prone to chipping, particularly on the tip of the nose. It's pretty hard to find a loose example with an unperturbed nose. So what's the story with this figure? Well, the Dignitary, who is visible for maybe two seconds in Return of the Jedi, was designed by Lucasfilm conceptual artist Nilo Radish Jamero. His original concept art can be seen in the book entitled The Art of Return of the Jedi. The art looks more or less like the figure. It sports purple rose in a face that can only be described as zombie-like. Get this, of all the things Radish Jamero designed for Return of the Jedi, the Imperial Dignitary was among his favorites. He actually referred to his design as exciting. That's right, exciting. Well, take that, Warrock. Nobody ever called you exciting, you creepy little badger. As to why Kenner decided to make a figure of the Dignitary, well, I'm not sure anyone knows that answer. Even though I get tired of hearing collectors complain of the Vintage Line's lack of a Tarkin figure, I'll happily admit that Tarkin would have been a better choice for a figure than the Dignitary. At least he didn't look like Catherine Hepburn wearing a purple toga. Hey, did you know that Tarkin was actually considered for release in the Power of the Force line? Yep, Tarkin is included in a portfolio developed by Kenner's conceptual folks, showing possible toy releases after 1985 and the Power of the Force. You can browse that portfolio on the SWCA. The Tarkin page is just a photo of Peter Cushing in the words, Grand Moff Tarkin. But it's Tarkin, and it's not the Dignitary. Over the years, I've heard a number of collectors suggest that the Dignitary is a female. But aside from its lack of boobs, the figure is described as a male on the coin with which it came packaged in the United States. So I'm pretty sure it's a man, baby. Here's the full text of the coin. One of the evil men who is close to the Emperor and serves as an advisor in his plans to destroy the rebel forces. Wow, he advises. He's like a Space Steve Bannon or something. Just because I was curious, and because I'm a glutton for punishment, I took a look at the character's entry on the great Wikipedia. I love Wikipedia, by the way. It reminds me that, no matter how nerdy I am, there are people out there who make me look cooler than Arthur F. Fonzarelli on a motorcycle. Anyway, Wikipedia claims the dignitary's name is Sim Alu, and that he owns a warehouse full of valuable artifacts gathered from the far corners of the galaxy. Things like rare books and jewelry. I guess that means he's the one Star Wars figure who represents a collector. You see what collecting does to you guys? Just look at those sunken cheeks. Okay, what is there to collect that's vintage and dignitary related? Sadly, there's not a ton. Basically, you have the Power of the Force figure, the Trilogo figure, and the coin. There are surely also bagged versions of the figure out there, if that's something you're interested in pursuing. The Power of the Force and Trilogo figures differ in that the figure background is violet on the Power of the Force card and red on the Trilogo. Also, the photo on the Trilogo is cropped more closely around, around Sim Alu's grim visage. Prototype-wise, the coin can be found in an anodized bronze color. Presumably, that's a test for the Ewoks line. There are actually some pretty rad prototypes out there for the coin, including some owned by Gus Lopez, such as the original pencil art on which the coin sculpt was based. 
You can take a look around the, inter in, around the internet if you're interested in seeing that. Uh, in case you're curious, the wax sculpt of the figure does still exist. No, its owner is, is not likely to trade it to you. What were you planning on offering, big guy Pogs? Got some really rare Tazos and Magic cards stashed away just waiting for the right deal? Sculpts, of course, are about as good as it gets when it comes to figure prototypes, and certainly not worth trading for Tazos. Fortunately, parts for about half of the, the Power of the Force figure are known to exist. I'm sorry, fortunately, parts for about half of the Power of the Force figures are known to exist in sculpt form, so you can uh, see those sculpts in various collections if you know where to find them. It's always a good thing when, scul when sculpts still exist. Well, at around five minutes, I'm afraid this is a frightfully undignified assessment of the dignitary, but that's all I have to say about this purple guy wearing a hat. Honestly, you should be thankful that you got five minutes out of this. I didn't think we'd get two. I hope you guys are doing well, and we'll talk to you later on. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take it away! Everything in a nutshell, Ron has pretty much said it all. Well, I think he said it all. But there's a couple of things that Ron said there, Jez. And I'll tell you something, I wish we'd listen to that recording before we recorded the next segment that you're going to hear in about half an hour's time. Because, um, obviously, Ron had pointed out that the character was called Simalu, and we were scratching our heads, we, we sort of remember the name, but we couldn't. So, uh, the reason why we sound stupid in the Beyond the NA section is because we're recording this section about a week after we recorded that one. And that's not to say we don't sound stupid most of the time, of course. But there was one thing that Ron said that was really interesting that made me think... Um, about this, and he said that it was a wax sculpt was the origin of the Imperial Dignity, and I always had it in my head that it would be an acetate sculpt, just because of the 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 the, the sharpness of the figure and the, the harsh lines, and I found that really surprising. Um, I don't know why, I just thought it was always going to be one of the Bill Lemons pieces, but uh, no, cheers for that one, because uh, I honestly did think it was an acetate. Um, that's making me now think if the Anakin and the Emperor were acetates now and not wax sculpts. Um, I'll have to do a little bit of digging on that when I've got some time. You certainly seem to be uh, quite interested in the uh, in the Imperial Dignitary. You know, we we've got Steve with us tonight. We've got Pete with us. We, you know, Rich, Stu, there's a whole team here. That's Stu. You're you're quite clearly in love with this character. This character who's got no fingers and this character who who has the classic nose rub. However. I'm wondering if Steve, Pete, or Rich have actually got a little bit of love, or maybe they go against him. Steve, Rich, Pete, what, what are your thoughts, mate, on, on the Imperial Dignitary? Because uh, Stu, Stu's a lover. I'm actually quite a fan, personally. I think it's a, I think it's a really nice figure. I don't understand why, why it doesn't get all the love that it could. Sure, it doesn't hold a weapon, um, and it's kind of a background character that stands there. I understand that, but Actually, if you look at it as a sculpt, it is a beautiful piece of sculpture. The flowing robes are wonderfully executed, probably better than the Emperor's robes. And even the face facial sculpt, it's it's a very good representation of a very grumpy old man. And actually, I think I think it's done incredibly well. Um, whether it makes a very good toy, I guess, could be an argument. Is it something that you play with? Maybe not. But in many ways, would, would you really be playing with an Emperor's Royal Guard, which, although it has the cloth, cloth cape accessories, I think that's a very static figure for most diorama setups or play activities. It's not something that, that you would you would necessarily see fighting until far more modern uh, iterations in the movies. So I think um, I think it gets a bad rap, personally. I, th I think what Steve's seeing there is is that it was a fantastic 
design from Kenner and the, the artist has done an incredible job but the concept itself initially was a bit daft because you know at the end of the day it's the Imperial Dignity that had no screen time and did absolutely nothing and doesn't come with any accessories at all whatsoever I think Kenner's done their best and created an incredibly detailed sculpt and a, and a great figure for a useless toy the, the colours it's it's the only Star Wars figure I can think of that has such an amount of purple in it you know, it must have been cheap to make. I know it's, there's a lot of plastic in there, but, you know, f- keeping cost, production costs down, the, the whole fact that it's pretty much sprayed purple must have must have increased Kenner's profit margin in there because there's very little in it. But it's if you had to rank all the figures from 1 to 93, 97, 100, whatever you're going to call, it's going to come in the bottom 10. It's, go- it's definitely going to come in the bottom 10, but there are worse figures than that. <laughs> I think Stu's just looked in the mirror again. Sorry for our <laughs> listeners. I think it's I think it's harsh. Um, I think I think the, well, the big problem with it is that it it wasn't in most kids' radar when it came to figures because it came out you know in that last seventeeny kind of thing. So a lot of the uh, more mature of this podcast uh, would have gone past that and gone, yeah, Ewoks are pretty bad, and now we've got we've got the Emperor's wife, and that's not a good thing. Um, so it was kind of like oh scraping the bottom of the barrel kind of figure um i do like it i mean you know anyone with a jaunty hat is a good thing um but they could have made him a bit happier but then again you know if your best mate's emperor palpatine you would have thought you'd be you know a bit cheerier in the world you know because you've got your best mate can do pretty much anything until his his best mate threw him over the, the edge i wonder what happened to him what if he what if he just stayed in the death star and got killed or did he did he run off uh, i wonder but yeah it's not the worst figure, but it's not in my in my 200, 300, maybe 400. I'm sorry. I'm finding this incredible. Rich, <laughs> a, a bottom 10 figure. Uh, Pete is just talking absolute nonsense, okay? Steve, Steve's just alluded to it. A, a lovely sculpt. It is it is beautiful. And in hand, it, you just, I'm looking at his little face now, and he's kind of like got a half grin on his face. Jeski's going on. He's got no fingers. He's got gloves on. Just because he's got nice flowing sleeves doesn't mean he's got no fingers. They're sticking out, you absolute cretin. Uh, he is a beautiful figure. Now, I just want to read you what is on the coin, okay, before we tackle this nonsense that he is not a good toy right so his coin reads one of the evil men who is close to the emperor and serves as an advisor in his plan to destroy the rebel forces how does that not have any playability you know he, he could get on the old imperial shuttle could be flying somewhere he's got, got maybe the emperor and few um, emperor's royal guards on board and it crash lands on tatooine and the emperor and him everyone gets wiped out but him and the emperor so they get off uh, they need a few parts they go to go somewhere and source the parts but it's going to take a week to to fix the ship so they, they poodle down to jabba's palace have a few beers listen to a bit of um a bit of the old rebo band um the imperial dignitary old sim get maybe gets it on with size noodles for a couple of nights you know a bit of a holiday romance for this shit. There's so much playability. That scenario would have taken all afternoon to play out. And uh, just think what you could have got up to with Sim and Sai in one one movement. I just I just think you're all being really harsh. I urge everyone to just take it out. He doesn't need an accessory. You know, R2-D2 doesn't have an accessory. He's still a great figure. It's absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. In fact, I'm ringing off. Right, you clown. You've just said that R2-D2 doesn't have an accessory, right? So you've got one with the sensor scope, you've got one with a pop-up saber, and you've got the other one with the clicky head. 
So oh, a, I, clicky, a clicky head. Oh, he's got a clicky head. It's yeah. a great figure, but it's a clicky head. Okay, okay. Scrap R2. Let, let's... 3PO. The original 3PO. Right. So, would... Right, okay. Is the original 3PO a good figure? If, yeah, it's got hair yes. points of articulation. Yep, it's a good representation of the yeah. character, which was a major character in Star Wars. As right. it's shiny. This has got five points of articulation. Yeah, it has. Right, but okay, which which out of the first twenty-one figures would you say is worse than? Um, sorry, other way around. Which of the first twenty-one figures is the Imperial Dignity better than? Oh, okay. One sec. Let me just um, just just look at the first twenty-one. Yeah, let me just uh, have a, a little look, Rich. Because he's going to struggle. He's going to struggle, Rich. He's going to struggle because he knows full well. But the guy had no lines in the film, and all of the characters, apart from maybe the Death Squad commander, had lines, and they're more interesting. Okay, it's a better figure than R5-D4. <laughs> right, okay, possibly, right, so there's one out of 20, right? Now, uh, extrapolate that out, that puts it still in the bottom 10, so you need to be coming up with at least three for you to be uh, to be even close you know to having it not in the bottom head, 10. On the top of my head, I can name 10 figures straight away. That is worse than this figure. Lobot, 8D8, uh, <laughs> Tebow, uh, mm-hmm. let's go Reese, let's go Weakway, let's go Clatu Skiff, uh, we'll throw in a Barada, we'll throw in Yak Face, we'll throw in, I'm trying to think what's coming to my head, Prune Face, we'll throw in 2 1 we'll throw in the Emperor, we'll throw in Fett, we'll throw in Luke. We're just throwing things in. We'll throw in Luke Hoff. Oh, just throw in all the figures. No, I'm the just first seven, the first just... seven you said I give you, right? The first seven was pretty Hang good. carbonite. In and fact, then you the fell last... down. Let's, 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 let's just look at it. The last seventeen, it is in the top five of the last seventeen. What? Right. So a Luke Stormtrooper is going to be better, yeah. Uh, it's got a bit of a dodgy neck for the Imperial dignitary, but it'd be up there. <laughs> yeah, but it would be up there. The Imperial Gunner is a good figure. Great figure, maybe not quite as playability as the Imperial dignitary, but yeah, it'd be up there. Same Lando thing. General. Oh. Uh, no, I don't agree. Ewing pilot. It's lovely. Lovely. Ewing pilot. We had a pilot without a ship. And no, he's got no playability. What's he doing? Sitting in the back of the um, back of another ship, waiting for a ship to turn up. Rubbish. Well, it's it, oh sorry, I forgot about the Imperial Dignity mini rig that I came with. Um, <laughs> he can go on the Imperial shuttle, Rich. What? And the Ewing pilot can't. The Ewing pilot. Why would the Ewing pilot be on an Imperial shuttle unless he's nicked it? Well, because he's. Because his ship never arrived until the droids line, so and his, name, and his name's Terence, and there's no way a Terence is on an Imperial shuttle. And then move on. And then we've got the R2 pop-up saver, you know. That's not not as nice as the original one, is it? What the one with no accessories? Exactly, it's much be- much more beautiful. Has more of a delicacy about it. It's more of a um, it's more of a brie where the R2 pop-up's more of a derelict triangle. You, you know what I think is the worst thing about Imperial Dignity? Do you know when you go down to London and you see these, these ponzi yuppies walking around with a scarf wrapped around the neck, right? Even though it's like the middle of summer in November and stuff. That's a French rich. It, it just reminds me of one of those, of, of one of those people who will just walk around with a scarf oh. when it's hot, you know, and you just rich, want to slap rich. them. That's called fashion, mate. What do you want? Would you like this figure if he was topless with a tat going, eh, come on, let's have a fight with an accessory of a horse? No. <laughs> purple robes, purple robes in a soft floppy hot is fashion. So I, I'm going to tell you now. Last it, is where, it is where Stu lives. Yeah, it is in France. Last 17. Okay, I'm looking at them all now. The only one I think is better than the Imperial Dignitary is. I've got there's two. I prefer I prefer the Imperial Gunner 
and a man of man and the rest of them are all below the imperial dignitary so straight away your statistics are falling down so you're best muted let's have a discussion with someone else who knows we'll, a bit about Star Wars we'll do a vote we'll do a vote on my Facebook page and we'll see how many agree yeah, with you because they're we'll, all normal people aren't they that listen to us we'll just do we'll just do the last 17 right we'll ask them to rank them in order and we'll see where the imperial dignity comes I'm going to say more people are going to vote for the fluff that's in Droopy McCool's <laughs> belly button Rich can I ask you a question Dignity. this is a you serious question now you, you just did okay this is a serious one do you dislike this imperial dignitary because it's wearing purple and when you're wearing your short shorts and you look down that is what's poking out the bottom <laughs> you know but I, I actually don't hate the imperial dignity I do see, too appreciate what Steve said the sculpt itself is great as it's toy which is its original intention it's just not very good and and that's why as a collector's item it's far nicer go on well, Jez wrap it well, up wrap that well, up mate, go, go and collect masks or something right? because it, clearly this this hobby's not for you if you're dissing the best toys yeah I, I agree Jez wrap it up because because Richard's absolutely talking nonsense tonight and I'm, I'm embarrassed for him Stu you lost me when you were uh, listing those names and then you drop Reese and I'm like whoa 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 you scraped that barrel there really incredible not only is Reese an incredible sculpt but his hands and he's got his own special weapon I don't understand why that weapon's not a 50 quid weapon because it's the only one so then you start scraping the barrel with other you, you even said facts <laughs> at one point I want to get back to something which Pete said he was the leader in scraping the bottom of the barrel and yeah i agree with steve very eloquent but what a beautiful you know figure with regards to sculpt but that's not what did it you know i'm let's face it when i'm nine years old and yes i was nine before you say anything cheeky scandals when i was not years and these come up older looked at an imperial dignitary who had no lines who did nothing i just thought oh it was wrong with me and um yeah i'm just surprised that there are so many available because uh, yeah I, I don't know would have bought them that's eight crazy i like you Stu. i like you a lot mate you're wrong on this one yes you have to remember that Stu's star wars is effectively ewoks so the, the most excitable thing he got were small furry bears. So when he saw a big purple, great big bloke, he thought, wow, that's interesting, exciting. So that he was obviously, you know, inspired by it, where the rest of us had all the cool characters. And how dare he say that Klaatu Skiff with his white jumpsuit is a bad figure. Anything in a white jumpsuit is a good figure. Wait there, wait there. I didn't say any of what I listed were bad figures. I said this was a better figure. The, uh, 13, uh, the 13 I bought this month. I'm looking at them. They're all sitting together. Imperial Dignitary is the second best in that row after the Hoth Stormtrooper. The rest of them, you've got your Fets, you've got your IGs, you've got all the bounty hunters there. He's far better. He's better than Lando Skiff. He's better than Yoda. <laughs> obviously, obviously, he, 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 he didn't start that film. How, how is anything better than Lando Skiff? Come on. Come on, he's got a helmet that's so cool they had to put it in a modern movie to prop the modern movie up. That's how cool it is. Didn't see an Imperial Dignitary propping up Han Solo film, did you? Wait one second. I can guarantee so, you that you will see the Imperial Dignitary in more spin-offs and more movies than Lando Skiff in the next ten years. Hang on, bound to have been, bound to have been in the Clone Wars and Rebels. Uh, I don't think he was, was he? Yeah, it wasn't in Rebels. That's, that's, something's ringing a bell about... Lando Skiff. Lando Skiff's been a major... Definitely. I said the next 10 years. I didn't say instantly now. I'm telling you now. He, he will have more screen time than the Lando Skiff costume because he's a central figure. And once Lucasfilm wake up and smell the coffee and realise just how good he is, we will have all sorts. Let's wrap it up. 
because you're all talking nonsense. Okay, so we're going to put it to the listeners to decide, you know, how they feel about this with regards to the uh, the Imperial Dignitary. Is your Imperial Dignitary an action figure, which is what these are, collector action figures? So um, I'm, I'm not I'm not sort of putting any slant on it at all, but I'm just saying um, is the di- uh, Imperial Dignitary in the last 15, last 17, it, you know, where where does it where does it fall? Give it gives you top order. The last 15, last 15, and we'll see from an action figure point of view, and Steve, all the rest of us. That rounds off this month's new acquisitions. Yeah, being a bit of a weird one with all sorts of things chosen by all, or different people here, um, but rounded off with the toys and probably the least popular action figure. So I uh, just want to say uh, thanks so much, lads, and, and thank you, Ron, for, uh, for telling us everything you know and your thoughts also on the Imperial Dignity. And uh, let's see what we can find next month into the year. Cheers, lads. acquisitions now thanks to jez and Stu, we have got the imperial dignitary to talk about but before we start on collectible items something came up in my research which um kind of suggests maybe just maybe we are going to get a relaunch of the imperial dignitary now bear with me does anyone know just to start off with what his real name is oh you know what i've wrote it down as well it's Graham, like, isn't it? No, something like Simo <laughs> C- Amu or something like that. Isn't it? Close, close. It's Sim Alu. Sim Alu. This is canon, right? This is now canon. That Sim Alu, he's, he's kind of featured in the new era of the Star Wars canon. Um, it's kind of an odd one. Now, if you've been reading the comics, I think, Rich, you've read some of them. In the Lando Calrissian comic, and this meets up with The Force Awakens with uh, Kylo Ren 
having Darth Vader's helmet. Sim Alu is Palpatine's best mate, but also used to go around collecting Sith artifacts. So that came up in the Lando Calrissian story, where Lando nicks uh, Palpatine's ship, and you see a lot of these interesting Sith artifacts. Now, this leads me to a recent book that came out during the Solo era, which is an absolutely fascinating book. Now, I'm sure Jez must have this. Jez, do not answer. It's called The Mighty Chewbacca in the Forest of Fear. And in that book, Simalu's daughter uh, is after a Sith artifact. And along with um, Chewbacca, who goes and rescues this, this artifact, they meet up with Cassian Andor and K2SO. With the modern era Han Solo, I would think that in this modern new series, we might see some more of this Sith artifacts and we might even get reference to the Imperial Dignitary and his daughter. So it is kind of odd how that is suddenly starting to appear. So I'm sure when you chose the character, you knew this was coming. Is Similu's daughter called Paplu? <laughs> no, no. Close, though. Alinkaralu is her name. So uh, he sent her off to go and get some book, basically. And Chewbacca got in the way. And Han Solo got in the way. And Cassian and all. So in the new Cassian TV series, I reckon we will probably get some reference to this at some stage because it is a canon story. Does anyone know why he's purple and looks a bit odd? Well, purple is the colour of power, isn't it? So I'm guessing it's something to do with that. It came from a Radford Quarry painting. And there wasn't actually in the script about how they they looked. There was a quote by Nilo Rodis Gemero, who actually worked on the designs and the costume designs on the original Return of the Jedi film. And uh, he basically stated that um, he wanted to understand what the Emperor's world is like. And because he himself, the designer, came from a sort of Catholic background, he says, I sort of made a joke, and that's why they look like bishops. They wear red, and they have elaborate headgear. And that was a challenge because it wasn't in the script, and you see them only briefly in the movie. So that is pretty much it. It just came from a, a bit of a whim by the costume maker. So nothing more than that, really. And uh, But yeah, our friend Simalu, Imperial Dignitary, um, obviously a very popular character because he appeared on loads and loads of... Th- uh, no, he didn't. OK, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. Now, we haven't got many things. We've got a few, not many. And the first one, and uh, we all know when we've covered it many times, the Presto Magic stuff, the, the Death Star kit. Now, rather than talk about Presto Magic, uh, which we could opt for hours and hours and hours, that uh, uh, blah, 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 was owned by this or that, I have set the guys a task. Now, you all know what these kits look like. Now, the one with the Imperial Dignitary on doesn't just have the Imperial Dignitary on. It has a few other characters. So I asked the guys to kind of come up with a scene because there's a few interesting um, and challenging uh, parts of that scene. So the person who put this together obviously didn't really watch the the, the movie. They just went, oh, yeah, they'll do. So um, anyone want to just tell me who's on this set, on this Preston Magic set? You had... um the Emperor, you had Darth Vader, you had Luke, you had some Emperor's Royal Guards, and then you had an Imperial Dignitary in a uh, in a great pose, and more importantly, Ad- Admiral Akbar, um, looking very, very, very snazzy uh, in a very good stance. Um, is there any more figures am I missing there? You actually said the Emperor, but he's not on the stickers. He's actually on the background yeah. of the thing. So he's not actually oh. a transfer. It's also got some stormtroopers. And who's that little droid there? It's like a little black R2 unit. Yes, I, I, I don't know whether that's just a random R2 unit. 
or it's is kind of an R2 that got lost. But I, I'm, let's assume it's just a random R2 unit, which it's interesting because I don't think we've seen many um, random other droids, have we, on, on many things. I mean, it's normally R2 and C3O and, and maybe R5, D4. But um, is that the first time, one of the first times we've seen a different droid as a as a singular item, maybe? That's how R2-D2. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, it's darker, but it's, it's a dark, moody scene. They're adding some mood shading there. Um, it's weird that they've got two invaders. Um, obviously, they've got two Emperor's Royal Guards, three Stormtroopers. Yes, standard Presto explosions and... Bravo for finding them. Uh, yeah, good for you because we we thought it would quite, be quite tricky. But for some reason, they've got Luke Skywalker having peed himself, or he's stood <laughs> in some sort of puddle because he's got down his boots. It looks like I know it's shading, but it looks like he could have had a little accident. Darth Vader has really scared him, and he's got his left foot in a big pile, a big puddle of pee. It looks like. But there we go. Um, okay, Jez. Okay, Jez. Stop, stop there, Jez. Stop there. Stop there. Let's answer yeah. the question. Um, how would you okay. organise these characters into the scene? Well, what I would have is two. Um, well, you'd have the Imperial Dignitary. If you can picture it, for those of you who can't see the, the picture, it's a bit difficult, really. You've got the Imperial Dignitary. It looks like he's got hands in front of him. And then I'd have have another imperial royal guard and um, sort of facing each other and at the bottom of the stickers you've got what could be a lightning bolt or some sort of bar i don't know some sort of bar and that bar is going to be between those two figures now between the two darth vaders to me i know it's thanksgiving i'm working with, with all the americans but it looks to me to be a very tiny turkey and my plan would be to have that turkey um, with the skewer going through it, like a small rotisserie, and um, and you'd have the Imperial Dignitary holding the rotisserie turkey with the um, uh, Imperial Royal Guard, and you've just got Admiral Agbar stood next to them like some sort of sous chef, and um, you'd have some, well, because they've got to have a canteen on the Death Star, you know, so, so that's it, um, Thanksgiving turkey rotisserie. If um, if Admiral Agbar is, is in charge of food, would he cook fish or seafood? Or would that be some kind of cannibalism? That's a good question for another time. Mm-hmm. Another time. Okay, Richard. Well, that's amazing that almost everything that Jez said in his monologue was entirely incorrect. So what we've got here is, right, you've got em- the Emperor, who is clearly the host of a game show, right? That That's a given. You've good, good. got Luke, who is on Blind Date. You've got the Emperor's Royal Guard, you've got the Stormtroopers, and you've got the Imperial Dignitary, who um, are all lined up, and they are answering loose questions about, uh, you know, the blind date kind of questions, like where would you, where's the most romantic place that you've had a meal? Now, the reason why Admiral Akbar's here is because there was a lot of questioning about whether the Imperial Dignitary was actually a male or a female. Oh. And nobody really knew. And if you look at the card back, the card back looks incredibly feminine for it to be Similu, if he, if this Similu is apparently a guy. And Akbar's there because of Luke chooses the Imperial Dignity. He comes out with his classic phrase, it's a trap, because he's a guy, <laughs> not a gal. Rich, you thought about that a little bit too much. What is that? <laughs> I you, don't know. It's between the two Vaders. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know, I know what you mean. There's a planet. Well, I'm assuming it's a planet. It's a round thing. I don't think that's a planet, actually. I think that's a bowling ball. Ah. Um, in bowling. And I think if you stood the stormtroopers at, in the right angles, they could have been the Skittles. The Imperial Dignitary is sitting like he's on the scoreboard and he's had a right old laugh. He's put some really funny names up on the computer screen. You know, he's got Jez as baked bean head and things like that. And uh, I think I think it's more that kind of scene. Yeah. Although that wasn't my initial scene, but... I think it is a bowling ball, not a planet. I don't think there'll be a planet in there. Well, yeah, good, good call. I think. Right, right. Yeah, that was that was very challenging. I, I think I think Richard wins because he was kind of weird. Okay, now other thing that uh, that we found. Um, thanks to Stephen Savory, um, he sat there going through all of his colouring books and, and puzzle books and goodness knows what, and he finally found a wonderful and large sort of almost A4 version of Imperial Dignitary. And this was in the Kenner Canada Return of the Jedi colouring book. You've probably all seen it. It's as simple as that, really. It's the only time you need to get all your purple crayons out and uh, colour them in purple. But um, I'm sure we'll have an image of that somewhere. Do you, any of you guys ever coloured in an, in an Imperial Dignitary? No, but believe it or not, today at work I saw a kid colouring in um, a Darth Vader with a red imperial lightsaber and that's all it had on the image and he was colouring that in the day and he only had two pencils and one was black and one was red which was lucky but I thought what an absolute terrible thing to colour in what a, what a random thing for a child to have what, what, I mean is, is your school so far behind you just got round to return of July and I mean what's going on there yeah that's pretty much it guys what I, what I could find so it's down to you lot now I think Richard you have found something I have indeed, Pete, right? And yes, it was tough. If you type in Imperial Dignity and things like that, you're going to come up with next to nothing. So I thought, right, I've got to think outside the box here. How do I find something on the Imperial Dignity? So I did searches for Emperor's Throne Room. That didn't come up with a lot either because I came up with a lot of Emperor's Wild Guards and various other things. So I typed Emperor in the Throne Room, Emperor Jewel, various things like that, and I found something. And I've just put this image in text chat for you to have a look at. So what that is, is a Burger King, uh, Return of the Jedi glass. These were also available in Australia, labelled under the Hungry Jacks brand, which I'm guessing because the logo is virtually identical to the Burger King one, it's the same company. Um, and in there, on the glass, okay, because the guy who's put this image up has photographed the glass from three different angles, you can quite clearly see the Imperial Dignity there, and it's interesting to note that the Imperial Dignity is actually described as being fearsome, okay, so I thought that was particularly interesting, um, but yes, there he is there, in all his, well, is he purple, well, it's streaky red, streaky blue, I suppose you can mix the red and blue together and get purple, but yep, there he is, on the Return of the Jedi glass, and I was chuffed a bit when I spotted that. It's kind of a very detailed um, version, that is, isn't it? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that is that is a that is a beauty. I mean is that is that the same guy? I know it's an imperial dignitary, but is that our normal imperial dignitary? Is that a slightly different? Yeah, you because know, there were several of them, wasn't there? Yeah. I've got I've got a feeling that that's that that really oddly named one, that Greet Jass or whatever his name is. Okay, it's him. But yeah, another imperial dignitary, and it seems to say something on the. Okay, it says he is accompanied by a red helmeted emperor's royal guard and an imperial dignitary. Hmm. Rich, good spot, mate. Good spot. What are you two 
guys Stu, you've got thousands of books on this sort of stuff you must have found something <laughs> joe what i i looked extensively i uh with my books um over many meal times actually forgot the family stopped talking to them could not find anything but they've really missed a trick because he would have been brilliant on things like a duvet cover um do you know what i mean can you just imagine a really nice duvet cover with a really big imperial dignitary maybe emperor on your pillowcase he would have been brilliant on the on the roller skates his little face on the side of the roller skates with the imperial guard on the red roller skate would have really popped yeah absolutely i mean it's it, it's the lack of the use of purple within star wars that they could have taken advantage of uh, they really have missed out there i think they've made a i mean you could have you could have the, the hats those hats would be wonderful walking around the streets that as a kid with those big kind of purpley hat great on. shout great shout mm-hmm. he would have been beautiful it looked really nice on the lid of a dairy league offer you know yeah dairy nutri yeah, yeah don't be dignified uh have an imperial dignitary slice of cheese you know <laughs> these are marketing things that have been lost well i mean if you think what i said at the start about the fact that we're linking up the the sim aloof family with palpatine and the new the new um han solo and the cassian andor storylines then maybe they realize the mistake and we're going to get a ton of imperial dimitri merchandise it would make sense and they'd make millions to recoup all the uh, the losses okay jez did you find anything over there in afghanistan yeah. uh, i think the imperial dignitaries um venture into the curry world because um what's this chap's name similu similu's sagalu and so if you if you picture the scene you walk into a lovely sort of curry house with um, purple velvet on the um sort of chairs and some lovely sort of hint of, of purple everywhere really and um all they do is serve sagalu um, but with imperial dignitary knife and forks. Just are you telling me your entry is the possibility of a of a sim alu imperial dignitary curry? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Pete, can I just say before you wrap up, I went oh. back on Rebel Scum to about oh. 2002, and believe it or not, there was an imperial dignity focus collector. And I thought, right, okay, and I could not find a limelight. I searched everywhere. This guy, a pie, all accounts, has completely dropped out of the hobby. But, uh, you know, what an amazing thing, an Imperial Dignity Focus Collector. I thought, well, there you go, there's me loose one, there's me Carter one, job done. But I, I was hoping that I'd find loads of stuff from this guy, but sad to say, no, no showcase. I think you'll remember from the NA this month how close I am to starting a Imperial Dignitary Focus after how much love I now have for him, um, which obviously you heard half an hour ago. Well, Stu, you know, remember that, you know, if this if my theory comes true, there'll be a huge surge from Pill Dignitary stuff because it'll be a period. He might even have his own TV series. Remember, they said they're going to do three TV series. and They've got two sorted out already. So it could be the tale of Similu. And then suddenly your little collection of Imperial Dignitaries could be worth fortunes. So that sums up the Imperial Dignitary entrance for today. Now, if you guys have got any any Imperial Dignitary stuff out there, you know, it can be literally anything, aside from maybe, you know, stills from the film, which I think would be a bit, bit of a cheap one. So any merchandise, stickers that we might have missed, anything, 
foreign stuff. Even boot. We'll, we'll even we'll even accept bootlegs. Uh, anything at all. I'm dying, dying to see what we can find because it, it was a real stretch. And everyone I asked us went, "You what? Imperial dignitary stuff? You having a laugh, mate?" So there we go. Thank you very much, guys. That was a pretty good effort considering. I thought we did all right. And now the top five priced Imperial dignitaries according to StarWarsTracker.com. Many kids mistook the Imperial Dignitary for Emperor Palpatine's wife. However, he already had a wife. Her name was Sandra and she had a small potted plant business on Coruscant High Street. It's a loose Imperial dig for £145 in December 2016. At 4, Lucasfilm bought up the rights to mint Imperials to rename them in honour of the Dignitary. However, adding purple colouring made them taste like Palm of Violence, who everyone detests. It's a clipper for £148 in September this year. At three, the colour purple was Spielberg's love letter to Sima Lu. However, at the last moment, he went with Whoopi Goldberg in the lead role. It's a Palatoy 70D barcode on front for £179 in June 2017. When Sima Lu sent Palpatine a greetings message on a folded square of brightly decorated wood pulp, it was the birth of the SIM card. It's a power the force with coin for £191 in March 2018. Straight at one, the Imperial Dignitary initially was going to do a musical number just before Luke and Darth fought on the Death Star, but the actor had a cold, so they decided not to. It's a whopping £324 paid for a Power Force 92A in December 2016. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5. Right, boys, on to the close of the show. Now, I've changed the outro question because we were running over old grain. Last month, actually, was we, we discussed underrated toys. This isn't a question for this month or anything, but I was just wondering, just one, one word. What, what do you think were the overrated toys? If you could just have to name one. Oh, that, that is a really tough one because a lot of them are really good. Um, maybe the Ewok Village. Right. Jez? Fat. Pete? Nothing's overrated, Stu. So moving on, we've got, we've got a new game now. It's going to take us all through next year. Now, I'm sure we're all familiar with Going for Gold on the telly, that classic programme with Henry Kelly. We'll just keep a running tally. The good thing about this game is if one of you's missing, it doesn't matter. If we've got a guess, they can compete. So Going for Gold was basically there were clues to something, and on each clue, you will get a guess. You don't have to guess, but if you want to have a guess, you just say stop. I'll say your name. You give me what you think the answer is. But if you get it wrong, you're frozen out for that clue. And then the next clue, you can come back in. So on. OK, after one month, we'll, we'll totally have this nailed down. So all of you can say stop. If you just shout out the answer, I'll just ignore you. You're a mug. But uh, just say stop and you can answer. There's only going to be six questions. And everything we um, ever do on this will all be to do with something to do with vintage collecting. Could be anything. Could be a figure. Could be a toy could be um, a licensee that had something it could be someone that made a toy it could be anything okay nice and easy so do you all understand what i'm saying no but keep going right okay So I'm going to read a clue. Say stop if you think you know the answer. I'll stop where I am when I'm reading the clue. And you can have a guess. Okay. so clue one. The Simpsons episode Lisa's Rival, which aired in 1994, 
saw Ralph Wiggum fall on me and damage me. Stop. Pete? Chewbacca. Pete has only kind of got it straight away. (laughs) There you go. I said it could be quick. Well well (laughs) done, Pete. You bent my Wookiee. Do you remember him saying that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. I mean, I don't watch any Simpsons, to be honest. It's just that that line is on a podcast somewhere and it keeps coming up. And it's just like, well, that must have been the Wookiee then. So there we go. I can't believe you knew it straight away. Well, the other clues were, if you if you hadn't got it off that, uh, my card art was changed on a 65C, uh, although my original artwork was then used on a 65D. In 2005, Hasbro released a figure of me with a yellow face, depicting my look from a vintage Marvel comic. I could be found on a Meccano Square card, a poppy, on a glass leaf, and a model trem, amongst many others. I was part of the Android 3-pack, and my first release was part of the Early Bird set. So, Pete, well done. Great. Great start to this. You dominated the question. Do you know what? I would have only got that or the Marvel one or the rest of them. I wouldn't have had a clue what you were talking about. And to be fair, they were the two probably harder, harder <laughs> clues. So well, you're welcome to my life. Yeah, a bit mental. Right, well, let's go over to feedback then, as that was nice and quick. To be honest with you, I wanted to bring in Going for Gold so I could just play the Going for Gold theme tune every month because I love it. Yeah, playing Going for Gold leader, game over. Rich, feedback for 53. Well, it's always pleasing when we get feedback on the main interview and we've got a lot of positive feedback on Dave's interview last month. And it's also pleasing to see that Dave has signed up to Stars Home UK and can hopefully join in when he can because we're aware he's very busy. We've got lots and lots and lots of feedback on... um, Whose departure was it again? Was it Grant? I, I can't remember now, actually. But we just want to reassure people that if there are any exciting auction news up front, um, Simon will be more than willing, and if he's able, um, he'll join in with his updates and he'll do some little soundbite recordings for us. So, so cheers, Si, and I hope you appreciate all the feedback that came through. Chipsteak added a screenshot for Pete of the Vehicle Maintenance Energizer from Empire. So, Pete, you know, you discussed it and said it's not really one of the film, it's one of your unsung classics, but uh, Chips Day put a great photo in there, so uh, cheers for that. Ed and a few others mentioned negativity in the hobby and how it is a big turn-off. There's lots of users commenting about the number of Facebook groups they've unfollowed, and I think it's honestly the best thing to do is to bring normality back into your life just by unfollowing some of the groups that you do perceive to be fairly negative. Now, quite a few mentioned the double entendre, which Jez was talking about last month. But I'm sorry, guys, I've got to say, we provide the content, not the interpretation. That's all down to use. Big thanks to the person who said that Ren Hoek, who was the character that we discussed with the Chris Fawcett interview, um, is actually a character from Ren and Stimpy, the old uh, cartoon show. And Ed had asked if anybody had bothered tracking down the guy who had signed the cheque that was cashed. And I did do a brief Facebook search at the time, but nothing came back from the name. Uh, there didn't seem to be anybody who would match the description, and I was guessing it would be somebody in their mid to late 40s, but all of all of the returns with the name didn't didn't really hit that area. A great photograph from Ian Palafan, who built the Diego Bar snap kit with his son. Fantastic display, really nice set, and I was pleased to see that. Now, over on Rebelscum, we've had a little bit of feedback on there. So thanks very much guys, we do check in at Rebelscum, we check TIG, we check Tantiv, and it's really nice to get feedback in areas that we're not always expecting it in. So this one is from, how to pronounce this, is it 
Chich Lid Jedi or something along those lines. So he's put on there, I'm suing the Vintage Rebellion podcast. And usually we'll see something like that where we'll just go, yep, yeah, okay, that's nothing new. And then he's put on there, I'm addicted and I can't break the habit of listening at least twice to each episode. So massive thanks for your support. We really appreciate it. And as I said on there, if you are going to sue us, please just let us know. I'll come half as with you and we'll take a little bit of money off uh, Pete, Jez and Stu between us. More comments from other guys. So Stu, Rich, Jez, Pete and Simon. We'll miss you, bud. Thanks for the many hours of driving, entertainment and vintage education. Hand Down's my favourite podcast. I love how you guys tease the heck out of each other. Well, yeah, three would do, one would isn't. And I love how competitive you all are. No one wants to lose gimcrack. And it's probably time to have a little bit of gimcrack soon because we've, we've had a break from it for a little bit of a while. So uh, cheers for that one. And also thanks to Wampas Got To Eat Too for your feedback as well over on Rebel Scum. Uh, Stu, I believe that you've got some feedback that you'd like to bring up this month. Well, first of all, I had uh, eight separate people message me about um, about falling out of out of love with a hobby. People had messaged me saying, oh, I did this, uh, turned off Facebook, did it this, um, take a back seat, don't buy anything, turn off eBay. Thank you for everyone that got in touch with me because we had some great discussions with so many people. Someone else got in contact as well on top of that and former, former interview guest Lee Harris got in contact and he was saying, well, your story, Rich, that you were talking about Chris Fawcett, he had the same thing happen to him in the 90s where he bought a box tie interceptor and he had a, a micro one turn up as well. So it must have been a pretty common scam. I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone that had uh, contacted me. Some some great conversations I've had in the last few weeks with um, so many of you and it really was appreciated. Alistair Kirkland actually responded to my request from beyond the newest acquisitions. Um, he sent the Degabar the NPC kit, which is painted uh, with with Yoda and Luke inside of it, and he's actually painted it, and he painted this uh, 25 years ago in his youth. So where we put those pictures on social media, I really appreciate you sending that in, Alistair, because uh, I really wanted to see someone who painted up, and you've done a blooming good job, I've got to say. Beautiful colours. Luke looks like, just almost like the vintage figure, and Yoda is popping. That green is beautiful. So thank you very much. So anyone wants to send those in. Send them in because I didn't believe that actually existed, but they, there, there they are. They do. So thank you, Alistair. That's really nice. And the, the quality of your paintwork is excellent. And Stu, if anybody wants to get in contact with us, uh, what's the best method of communication? What's the best channels? Uh, all the usual ones. You can contact us by email um, at swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. Just, just look for The Vintage Rebellion. Search for The Vintage Rebellion on Instagram or go on to Twitter at SWTVR Podcast. And as usual, obviously, we're all uh, all happy to chat. Find us all on Facebook. We're all on Star Wars Forum UK, and I think most of us are on all the other forums as well. Obviously, all the other shows are still available on iTunes and at SWTVR.podbean.com. Go back, have a listen, have a gander. Mr. two times, go back and listen to three times, because uh, you might have missed something. If anyone could leave us a review on iTunes, it really does help us as well. We, we see what downloads we get, and we have quite a vast download now, but we have very, very limited reviews on iTunes, so it would be good to receive a few more of them. So that is it for November. Uh, we do have the Christmas special is coming before December's episode this year, so listen out for that earlier in December, and then the usual show around the same time as always. I just want to say uh, thank yous to the people that have been on the show this month. First of all, all from the Palatoy Talk, Matt Fox, Dave Barnacle, Bob Breakin, Jeff Maisie, John Holmes, Roger Morrison and Brian Turner. Fantastic information, fantastic events. Um, I'm very jealous of Pete and uh, Rich having attended that. And then also thank yous 
to Stefan Forcourt and Ron Salvatore for coming on this month's show and Steve Savory for hosting the quiz. But it is for this month. Goodbye from Rich. Later, guys. Goodbye from Jez. See you next time. Cheers. And goodbye from Pete. Oh, hello. And it is good night from me. And remember, only you can decide with Star Wars toys. This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough. Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of, say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? How many of the 16 three-packs released were ESB branded? Nine. Oh, it was ten, I'm afraid, Jez. In the Star Wars Hero Pack, I think you'll find it was nine. Okay. Are you sure? I did, sure the, the, I did come yeah. get the pictures twice. Yeah. Let me have another look. I've I, got think, um, I think there are seven stoles. Sorry, guys. I just need to check this. I'm sorry. Star Wars 12 backs. Look up Jesse. Let's find these pictures. Okay. I'm sure that there are seven Star Wars ones. And I've then the ESB, there were three of three. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. No, you're right. I'm an idiot. Right, let's do that again. I, I, you know, I'm quite happy to do it again. If you want to roll those scores forward into another month, and I'll do the same again. But you're going to have to give me more specialist subjects. And make a little more time for them this time so that maybe I can find out some slightly easier bits of information than I want Sigma on the next one. <laughs> or, or I'm gonna pull a jazz. How about we just pick four categories and you just yeah. give them to somebody, but categories that aren't so vast. I want films on the next one as part of the general knowledge. General knowledge. What's the name of the rocket? What's the name of the laser? <laughs> Everyone knows the laser of the Death Star. It's the super laser. Exactly. Yeah, that was embarrassing. Yeah. That, and Death Star what 1, it's just like, it's got a trick name. No. You can't tell me that Jez didn't no. have a f- picture of all 12, or all 16 three-packs that he was gazing no, at when he was going through. No. Yeah, you load them up on your phone. Yeah. No, that doesn't allow you to answer the question. No, Stu had questions along the lines of what follows... The Empus. Um. <laughs> Do you know what, Jed? You're a really, really bad loser. He's, He's a really bad loser. Okay, second. Well, you'd be st- well, second. Well, first is first. Second <laughs> is nowhere, mate. <laughs> Just, <laughs> you might as well come fourth if you're going to come second. I don't understand that. I did no, no way I'm going to do a. I rich because I mean R R five. I mean that is that is it. <laughs> 
I'm not sure. I, was, I feel it's harsh to go down like like movie questions because that's just that's crazy. But uh, I might well I might well go yeah. for dignitary as my category next time. <laughs> I'm still kind of tempted. Yeah, that's questions. the difficulty, yeah. isn't it? If you go for something, yeah. the more niche category you give me as your specialist subject, that yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah the, the questions have to get harder because it's less. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I felt sorry for Richie. I mean, they they were like, how's it? Yeah. I, I don't like I googled after them. <laughs> I I feel sorry for Pete for choosing the holiday special, and then I also feel sorry for myself for having to watch it as well. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, there's, it's beautiful. There's kind of there's kind of bits in it which you, you go. It's just that Wookiee scene where they're just Wookieeing. Yeah, <laughs> this, the, the whole beginning bit is just weird. It is, but but yet yeah, the canteen bit is kind of apart from the, the the sexual abuse part of it, it's actually quite fun. But <laughs> but I mean these these days it wouldn't be allowed. I mean that guy he goes around the side of the cantina, starts <laughs> fondling her. You're thinking, oh my god! No wonder they don't want to release it on DVD because that, that just wouldn't wouldn't play these days. No, and the sexual mind play <laughs> as well is just weird. The mind. I was. I was waiting for a mind evaporator. Question. <laughs> the mind evaporator. Steve. Yes, mate. Um, if we've got to choose niche subjects next time, um, can my specialist subject be every time Richard's bought a round? <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. You can just get in and play along, and uh, hopefully some of those easier questions, at least. As a listener, you, you, you'll um, you, you have a good stab at quite a few of those, I think. So, yeah. I'm really sorry about Jez. He's, he's... <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible, isn't he? Oh, he oh, was a goosey old man. He's the goosey he's old so man. Petty, isn't he? He is. Oh. Just, accept it. Just accept it, Jez. If he was a vegetable, it'd be a petty pois. I just want fairness. Fairness. <laughs> fairness, yeah. you. Fairness. Like that, mate. Rocket. <laughs> Name of the desktop. I got that one right. That was a fluke. <laughs> yeah. Also, no, the desktop. It's Death Star One, mate. It's not difficult, is it? It's like yeah. What, what's the, the name title. of the first Death Star? Brian. Yeah. That's the name of the first. Brian. <laughs> and I got that one right. I got that one right. I can't believe Stu's. Oh, oh, dearie me. It, but the thing is, he didn't know the questions. He was just guessing random stuff, and it happened to be right. I was just like, guessing? You were guessing? No, most of them, um, I knew them. It's when it comes to things like lines, I can never remember things. Yeah, yeah. And my missus can watch a film once, and you sit there with her, and she can just come out with the lines constantly, and you're just like, shut up. <laughs> I mean that in the nicest way. Cause... <laughs> She'll punch you, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can never remember how, how the lines in songs either. I can never sing onto a song. I just completely forget about it as soon as I've heard it. So, yeah, I love that tune, but I can never remember the lyrics. Same with films. Never. See, so, so some people just start going, oh, do you like that film? Oh, yeah, I really like that film. And they, they give you 45 um, lines in the film. You go, look, look, stop it. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I can't remember it. <laughs> I, I struggle remembering what happened yesterday. So that's when you get old, boys. Get old was me. going to start losing your mind. Well, boys, um, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Um... Thanks for that, Steve. Thanks for that, Jill, yeah, for writing well done, uh, Steve. questions. That was, good. <laughs> that was good stuff. Do you want to start crawling now, Jess? I'm going to make him sound like a rhyme muppet when I edit this month. <laughs> so you're not going to edit anything? I'm going to leave it as it is, yeah. Very <laughs> 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 oh, harsh. Very harsh. 
the fact that Benny Conselin is in people didn't we cosplay a costume that he was going to wave in Chicago <laughs> because he was probably relying on us for all the support to boost his confidence that he wasn't going to look like a complete tit when he was in Chicago do you know what Rich it's about the third time you've been really hurtful to me today <laughs> and that was behind my back because you didn't realise I was back so um, maybe have a you know bullying, bullying might be fine where you come from but you know, I've been bullied all my life. It's not, it's not, it's not good. Yeah, it's not good. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. So, um, but you carry on, mate. If it makes, if that makes you happy, you carry on because it doesn't matter, does it? Um, as long as you go to bed happy, don't worry about others who may be sitting there thinking about bridges and deep lakes and things. I'm just doing. I'm just going for an outro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But to be fair, a deep lake for you could be a Dixie cup. <laughs> <laughs> so harsh. Oh my god. Yeah, what I will say. Coolie cup. The people that are laughing and encouraging the bully uh, are as bad, okay? <laughs> <laughs>